You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Weird Science DC Comics Podcast, episode 501. Eric is still not with us, but we are going to carry on with a ton, a plethora, plus 50 co-host and it's one of those things that i'm really enjoying actually i'm enjoying talking to a lot of different people and this episode there's going to be a lot of new faces popping up a couple that i hadn't talked to before we recorded what we end up having on this podcast which made things kind of a weird play but kind of exciting as well getting a little more juice in everything that we do i'm sure that most people would have seen the time that this is going to take we ended up having the Bit here being one of the longest shows that we've had in quite some time. And I told people that this was going to happen because I am getting a bunch of people to talk one, two books, whatnot. And when you end up doing that, you end up kind of, you know, just letting loose and talking for a while because there's no real constraints of thinking to yourself, okay, we got nine books tonight. We got to kind of get in out these things. It actually does allow it to be more of a free flowing, longer podcast. With that, though, I do have to admit that at this point, at the end, because I'm actually recording this intro, the last thing that I'm doing, you know, because of the backwards nature of everything that I end up doing anyway, but it it, it was a tiresome process. It was very exciting, and I do appreciate and love talking to everyone, but at the end here, where it's now Friday night, and I've recorded almost every day multiple times to do this, it was a bit of a tiring type deal, but we're going to keep doing it. I'll get used to it. I'll get used to it. I'll get back in the flow of things. I have to remind myself that we used to have a 10 to 12 hour podcast teaching every week and, you know, a six hour or so thing. What is that? That's a cute little podcast, isn't it? I think so. But with all of that, before we get into all of these books, please check out our websites, both the WeirdScienceDCComics.com website, but also check out the Marvel site, which is WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com. Very easy peasy like that. Then go off and check us out on Twitter at Weird Science DC. And then please go and check out our Patreon account. That is patreon.com slash weird science. Help us out for everything that we do here. And I am trying to put an effort to not end up having like, okay, Eric's not here, so I'm going to take a break. Or Eric's not here, and I'll kind of get through this. I do want to have a cool Maybe even a different feel of a podcast until he does get back. So I hope that people are appreciating that. And if you want to hear more, more, more and want to hear more reviews, especially what this week's DC Comics Badass Spotlight was. Two books that were picked on the Patreon by the badasses of the Get Fresh crew. Uh-uh. And they ended up picking Fire and Ice. Welcome to Smallville number one that me and Simon ended up talking about. And then also Justice Society of America number six that me and Rocky talked about and that show almost clocked in at two hours itself so we had a lot of stuff going on here and over on the patreon it's not just this show we have a lot of other shows as well and the cool thing about these couple weeks and whatnot is that a lot of the people that i have on here as co-hosts i do shows already on the patreon with and that's kind of a cool little play you get a little sneak peek at some of the you know back and forth interaction and things like that but if you want some more comic book shows like a hellboy reading club and injustice gods among us reading club stuff like a uh ultimate marvel i'm trying to think off the top of my head 
even stuff like a Miller World, the Mark Miller books. There's a reading club for that that we review each and every issue. Go over to the Patreon. And again, if you want to even just help support us, go over there. And also a big thing is you get early access to this show and a couple other things. Again, patreon.com slash weird science. But after that commercial, we're now going to talk about the badasses of the Get Fresh crew. And again, those are the, I mean, you can actually say those son of a guns who end up picking the book. So if you're mad, like, oh, I really wanted to hear a fire and ice welcome to Smallville. You can go and listen to it on the Patreon, but if not, you could shake your fist, just blame the badasses like I do, and here they are, because this is the badass roll call. All right, we're going to get right into this. I don't have Eric here to mess me up like he does. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying. Stephen Dad Mitchell, a Trevute, Dad Nation, yeah, yeah. Eric K., Jeffrey Greek, Zach Walker. Zach will be in a little bit later. The Annihilator, Ted Probst, I Love Punchline, Stork, Michael S., Cam, Matt Razor, D-Man 3000, Niels T-Wart, David Fink, Stephen Baum, Jason Colby, Sue 42, to you and me, Michael G., Ken Halleck, Comic Boom, Rocky, already mentioned that he talked JSA with me on the regular show. He's going to be talking with me about the Superboy Man of Tomorrow in a little bit down the line on the podcast tonight. Tommy Dreamer. I dream of that guy. Mark Jager, Bill Bear of the Bat Pod, Ruben, Carlos, Noah Marv, Matthew Rapier, Luke Hollywood. When Luke Hollywood shows up, you know there's two things, manga and nonsense. And they both come up later with Superman versus Meshi that we'll talk about. Simon, talk about Simon. I do a bunch of things with him. Luis, Manship, Andrew Belfast, Swanee, Anthony G, Josh Million, Batman Beyond Mark, B, Muir, Brandy Murray, and Double Aaron. Doxing his ass in Minnesota. Those are the bad asses of the Get Fresh crew. Uh, uh. And let's give a shout out and a salute and maybe even a tiny moment of silence for two all time greats, Reggie and my man Rob Lewis. They had gone too soon, and I wish they were here because I know they would be picking up the slack with Eric gone as well. But that is the bad asses, and a big shout out to everybody else who supports us on the Patreon. Really do appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. But with all that, let's get to these books. There's a lot going on this week and a lot of people talking about a lot going on this week. And again, I hope that everybody not only appreciates the idea that these people are coming on and taking their time out to do it with me, but appreciate that they can deal with a, a motor mouth like me. I keep telling anytime we get on with people, I, I tend to just say, listen, I am going to talk a lot. Please just interrupt me and I will take care of that in the edit. Right. But then it seems like I I don't know. People need to interrupt a little bit more. That would be what I say. But we'll see. And and some again, we're going to have some people that I had never talked to ever in my life come into this show. And it's going to take a bit maybe to get a little bit of chemistry going. But I think everybody did a really, really bang up job. And if there's anyone to blame for nonsense, it's me. So just yell at me, not everybody else, because, again, I hope that everybody understands and appreciates everything that these people are doing. And please, with that, go and check out all the links in the show notes for each and every one of them, because a lot of them have their own things going on. And I think that that would be nice to extend that to check out everything that they do. With that said and done, let's get on with it. We're going to start with Sus Gabe. And you know what happens when Sus Gabe shows up? He's sus. That's what happens. And it is funny because Gabe ended up saying that, and a lot of people say, Gabe has a tendency to do this like dramatic sigh 
And it came booming through last week. We had the Patreon-only show last week. Again, if you want to listen to episode 500, I should have brought it up. But that's on the Patreon as well. Gabe actually has adjusted his setup because he was so upset hearing that dramatic sigh turn into a dramatic roar is what it was. But, yeah, we're going to go off. Me and Gabe talk a little Batman. We have a bunch going on, a bunch of new number ones, some fun stuff. So I hope everybody enjoys it. And away we go. Batman and Catwoman fighting So many fans are buying Damn that that family's dying The way they've always done before What is the shit we're reading? Don't even know where it's leading Look at the hate they're breeding The way they've always done before What's the outside? Selena's got the moon unified But it makes bad men women qualified At Sam's And it is the Gotham War. I'm here with my man, Gabe. What up, Gabe? I think your mic is muted, Gabe. Sorry about that. There um, he is. <laughs> Gabe has returned. What up, Gabe? What up, Jim? Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Sorry about that. That is fine. And, and usually I'd edit that out, but I think it's kind of funny. So it'll probably sure, why not? So here we are. And yeah, we have Gotham War. And, and me and you aren't the biggest fans. We we didn't like the first issue, and then you like this issue less. I think I might be a little more positive on this one, but not real positive. Uh, the the first issue had, gave you a lot to swallow. This one just basically choked you all the way down. So I thought you were going to say you spit this one, but that that'd be a little bit disgusting. Oh, Here you go. Now, great. Now, why don't you just get the Predator Nine score out of the exactly. way now? Exactly. Predator <laughs> Nine, sus Gabe fighting with everyone. There, that, there you go. That is Gabe uh, in a nutshell here but Great. we are talking about part two chapter two of the gotham war it is batman number 137 written by gip sadarsky jorge amenez on art this is one of the reasons why i think that i'm going to give a little more positive score but tamu moray on colors and clayton coles on letters the thing i said last week when we talked about it and if people hadn't heard that or don't know what we're saying uh we ended up it was on a patreon only show because of annuals week but when we ended up having the first chapter I said that just the premise of Batman, he's never going to go with this. He's never going to end up saying, okay, you're right, I'll let crime go. It's just that's not happening. And anybody thinking, including Selena or the Bat family, thinking that Batman's ever going to yield to that is is ridiculously dumb. Even though I think that in this issue, we're going to find out that the Bat family, in my mind, are ridiculously dumb. And go with one thing that I'm like, really? Like, who's going to play? Who's going to believe that some of these things are actually happening or are going to happen? But overall, my take is is that I'm sick of the Bat family fighting. I want them to come together. With it, it seemed like they were going to after you know Death Metal into Infinite Frontier, 
And now we're just back to the same old shit. And Chip Zdarsky, on top of that, just wants to grab anything he can from Grant Morrison's Batman stuff. And it's starting to get irritating. How about you? This is the same thing we, we were talking about when we, were, when we covered Battle Lines last week, which is, you know, where are you going with this? Trying to, fi- trying to figure it out and trying to piece it together. The, how, what is the possible outcome of this ridiculous plan from Selena to try and create this Hunchman Union and then sort of pit the family against uh, Bruce at the same time he's being pitted against Selena. And the one of the outcomes that we talked about was this essentially would, could lead to a possibility where uh, Batman basically disowns everybody, <laughs> except for except for maybe a Damien. And, and you say, well, maybe that that's kind of extreme. You never know. You get to this issue, and you could absolutely see how how you eventually come to the conclusion like none of you are worthy. All my training has been to waste. When when the chips were down, and and you were confronted with with the one of the top challenges that that I've ever faced from a at least a moral and philosophical perspective, every one of you turned on a dime. You none of you deserve to wear that, that cape and the cowl. I'm done with you, Damien. You're the only one who stood by, beside me. Let's go, everybody else. You're out of here. Yeah, and it just doesn't feel right. And a lot most of the people who are talking about this issue and this Gotham War in general. First off, we talked again. We talked last week about rarely, barely a setup. You have Selena in the Catwoman book. She breaks out of prison. She has a couple of, you know, these crow. Then we end up where we have night terrors. We're told Batman falls asleep for two months. We don't see any of that. And then suddenly Selena's running the town because she's grabbed the henchman. In a way, too, that I think that they go against it in this issue. There's, again, there is that philosophical deal is. Is Batman bad for Gotham? But again, I've, I've seen this be done a million times. But the idea of, well, if we give these henchmen a way to do these things, they'll be better. We said they're bad people anyway. But in this, it kind of goes against all that. And I, I don't know. It just overall, the Bat family seems to be written out of character. They don't seem like they're smart enough to even realize what's going on. And, and I saw some people, some people were arguing with us on Twitter about the issue saying, well, the Bat family hasn't sided with Selena. I don't mind. I don't care if they've sided or what. They're sitting around talking about how Selena's plan's better. And that Batman, and then all you're doing is you're going back to when Jason died and all of a sudden Batman got really violent. And the idea of, oh my God, we have to settle him down. And I'm like, everything in this feels like we've done it before better. And it was more interesting. And I just want a new story. I don't want things that are just, okay, that feels like that. That feels like that. And Chip Starsky's run a lot has been, you know, with the R stuff and whatever I said, it's going back to the Grant Morrison stuff in a way that I don't think is that interesting. But, uh, yeah, how about you? You excited about this? I would say that based on the ending, I'm more interested to see what he does with Zernar than what I am with the family. So, right, you were right. People were arguing, saying, well, they didn't really side with her. They were just not sure, like, or they were unconvinced. Or I think Tim was one of the ones that said, I need to see the data. Let, you know, prove it to me. But, but which is fine. You know, if you want to have a, like a, a, a conversation about analytics and, and, and what are statistics and what's the right move to take on an individual basis, that's fine. You get to this issue, that's out the window. Everybody, because what what happened is, we'll talk about it in a minute. But th- there comes a point later in the in the book where um, Batman goes in the direction that they didn't want him to go, and they all team up and actively attack him. Yeah, they go. So th- th- there's no question at this point that they have all now firmly put themselves on Selena's side, and so that 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 debate is over uh, with this issue. And so and that's the, the way. Is, that's I know the thing. 
And the guy was talking, when we get to this plan that ends up getting bad, I don't know that the Bat family, I don't think they're in on the plan. But when the plan ends up coming to be and there's fighting, they, they do go against Batman. Batman has to fight them. And one of the best parts of the issue is when you end up getting uh, Stephanie Brown punched right in the face by Batman. I, I had people talk to me and said that the issue has to be at least an 8.5 because spoiler gets punched right in the face. And that made me giggle. But we'll, we'll get to that because you start off again, you're going to see, oh, my. Selena's trained all these villains, these henchmen, and they're they're smart. They're going to play this up. There's not going to be any violence. They're just going to steal from rich people. And that's, you know, right away that kind of, you know, rubs you the wrong way because crime is crime. It doesn't matter. And they're really going to go with that idea of the violent crime and death are down. That's fine and dandy, but you did have the one guy die. We kind of mentioned that. But when we have Hoops and Carlos, they come in. They're going to go and pretty much rob this, you know, penthouse apartment that they end up, you know, saying they're electricians. They're going to, or they're actually fixing the AC. They turn off the deal, but Batman's waiting for him. And this is the thing where, again, because Chip Starsky and Teeny Howard, they're trying to play this game. I do think that, yeah, Batman is a little violent here, but you're playing him up like that. I even think that that is out of character from what we've seen coming. And there's a lot of things going on. Zoran R in his head while he's in that cage, whatever, he's still there. He has that that hand that I'm starting to think might have been a serial killer's robot hand. But then you also just have him going. But when he ends up beating up Hoops and he ends up beating up Carlos, and he's going pretty tough on him. He's going hard on them. And you end up where Tim Drake shows up. But Tim Drake shows up as this, oh, Batman, you're getting too bad. It's the same thing he did back when Jason died. The same thing of, oh, you need somebody to be the light here, whatever. And this is a... It's a Tim Drake that just went through the multiverse to save Batman. Batman finally comes back, and then suddenly you're against him because you're like, "Oh, you're being too violent," and then has the nerve to say you should take it easy. The guy just rested; he was asleep for two months. But yeah, while this is going on, you do see Batman just going to town, and oh, where's getting Marquise is telling Selena, "You're gonna have to deal with that Batman." And she's like, "Oh my, we'll have to end up distracting him with Jason." And when Tim comes in, I'm like, this, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right what Tim's doing here and or the rest of the Bat family, right? It, it doesn't feel right. And also what's kind of funny is if you, if you go through that narration where Mar- Marquis is basically telling Selena how he broke up the Iceberg Lounge and he um, arrested uh, Fright and, 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 and took care of the, the robbers from the beginning of the story, they're sort of narrating it as though he's out of control and that he's he's, he's sort of lost sight of who he is. But if you look at what he's doing, He's doing the same thing he does every night. There is no difference here. He's not killing anybody. He's not. He's not. He's not breaking backs or anything like that. This is the same thing he does every night. So why are they acting like somehow he's different? Uh, you want. You want me to tell you why? Tell you want me why? Help me. Help me. Help me, Jim. Please help me. For years now, they haven't let him do this. You end up where some these writers show up on Batman and even Detective Comics. Well, when they show up, Batman has to hug, not punch. Batman has to be this nice guy, Batman, because. They end up, the, a lot of the people writing it are embarrassed to be writing Batman suddenly. The biggest character in, in thing, you could argue with Spider-Man, but still, the biggest DC character. And a lot of them seem to want to use it as a way to say, oh my God, look at how bad the system is. Look at Batman. He ends up punching. He doesn't help people. So in this, I, I'd laugh because I think longtime readers like you will yeah. end up being like, this isn't out of control. This is this is Batman. We're finally getting Batman. I think that there'll be a lot of people who are reading this and like, thank God we're getting a Batman who's actually stepping up. I mean, how many times has Batman lost Gotham City in the past 
six months in comic deal because he doesn't do anything. He's not prepared ever. He did. And, and Chip Zdarsky has been writing him as a bat god. Yeah, he jumped from the moon down to Earth. A lot of people shook their head at that. But Batman going into the Iceberg Lounge and attacking villains and attacking people. And, you know, you just see him there, like, just punching them. That, that's what Batman does. But they don't let him do that anymore. So now that has become, like, the new norm is that if Batman goes into a room and punches somebody, oh, my God. What is Batman doing? I mean, we've had parts where you, it looks like Batman's going to throw people off of buildings and the, that's Batman. Jim, I, I, I think we, I think we need to invent a new term. We're, we're going to call it the Tom Taylor effect. Yeah, it might be. This is, this is the Tom Taylor effect where you get heroes who are classically have been, uh, you know, they, they punch villains. They, they knock out criminals. They arrest people who are doing the wrong thing. And yet somehow they've sort of devolved into this state where everybody has to be kinder and gentler and treat crime as though it's a medical condition rather than somebody doing, making bad choices. And, and it's ridiculous. And this, I, it might even come up later in the podcast because I was talking to somebody about this, this, the idea where once somebody ended up, and I remember seeing it at one point, like, oh my God, you can't. You, you can't punch the scarecrow because he has this mental condition and this. And yeah, in real life, maybe this is comic books and this is a set universe where this stuff is, is how it goes. And yeah, you can have stories on the side of, well, I want to help, you know, scarecrow. I want to help Zaz. But in the comics, you're there to have fun and, and, and do these things. You kind of have to go with the idea. That's a bad guy. And he gets punched and whatnot. And it, it's like they won't let that happen. I think the best is I think that the one story that got me, it was a Megan Fitzmartin deal in, I think, the one Christmas holiday special where there's a bunch of rioters and Batman hugs them. And I said, it's over. I mean, what is going on here? How can you think like it, it's crazy? And that's why I'll give Chip credit in this, though, because I'm sure that there's going to be people. Oh, my God. Batman punched a girl right in the face. Yeah, he's done this before. Harper Rowe, back in the New 52, one of the funniest things me and Eric ever talked about was when he socked her right in the face. I'm like, oh, my God, that's a little girl. But yet he actually him. This is a funny play. When he punches spoiler, I think that that's actually him giving her a lot of props. Like, listen, you're fighting. I got to take you out. You could take it, whatnot. But you're right, though. Like, everything is in this weird skewed deal that once Batman starts actually looking and feeling like Batman, they think that he's over the top. Yeah, I think there was there was some recent, uh, not recent, but it was it was in one of the Star Wars comics. I think this, and I know this is Marvel side. People were mad at Darth Vader because he he cut down yep. one of there his tenants happened who, to be a woman, right? There was and a they woman were like, who "How was dare he do that?" This is Darth. What are, we to, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, I rarely give Brian Michael Bendis any credit, especially his DC stuff. But this happened, and again, we're going down memory lane. But I think it is relevant. He came over and he was doing the Superman stuff. And at one point, there was a really bad guy. This guy set up as being a real piece of crap. Ended up calling, I think, calling somebody a retard. But the thing that Brian Michael Bennett and people flipped out. Oh, my God, this guy's using. And Brian Michael Bennett said, this guy is a piece of shit. Like, I'm using yeah, of that course, in the yeah, way. Of course he like, would use that kind of language. Yeah. You're, and I, he wanted that reaction. He wanted to use it. And then he realized, I guess it's changed up a bit. And I think he apologized. But there was no. This is a bad guy. Bad people do bad things. And when bad people do bad things, there has to be a hero to come and stop that. And we got to get back to a point where you do have to have some heroes able to end up. And I said, this is why in books like this, you, you can't really have them. He's 
fighting the criminals. That's bad. So now they have to fight each other. There's only heroes left fighting heroes anymore. And and that's kind of bullcrap. And I kind of want to just get back to, you know, occasionally some books dealing with some greater issues. But I also want to have a book where Batman's prepared for anything, beats the crap out of Freeze and ends up, you know, voila, we're done. But in this, it just sets up this, you're, you're too fine. And of course, he has Tim do it because, again, Tim was the one who recognized that when Jason died. And this involves all that, too. And, and Selena says, we'll get his biggest distraction. We'll get his biggest mistake. And I hate the way that they term Jason through this. Jason needs to be allowed to evolve. It's way past that shit. And she goes, his biggest mistake, Jason. Later, Batman, he's a mass murderer. I'm like, yeah, so's Damien. You will leave with Damien at the end of this issue to be Batman and Robin again. That kid has killed a million more people. They, oh, but that was because he was... No, don't give me that. If you're going to go with Jason and shit like that, you better remember all the others as well. But all that goes on, and you end up where Batman... And Batman, the way that they're writing him, too, is the idea. You're either with me or against me. He doesn't even want to talk about it. He's going against it. So, again, it's making him feel like he's... Oh, he's out of control. He's too mean. But he is just being Batman. And this dialogue of them debating... Well, you know, should we go with the Batman? Should we go? And Stephanie, she she admits that she saw a crime going on and turned the other way. I think she's got a hand in her Bat Family badge right now. You, you can't do it. You can't let crime just go. And that's the basis of this whole bullshit story. Yeah, the whole family is basically basically sitting around or standing around saying it feels kind of weird that I'm just not doing anything. In other words, they've already decided. They're they're, they're they may not be saying it out loud, but their actions dictate. That's exactly what they're doing. And I think probably of the, of all of them, the one that seems most, I, I don't want to say cavalier, but at least uh, most set and just just kind of okay with it is Barbara. She's just munching on a donut saying, yeah, I'm going to take Selena's side if she asks me. I mean, it's, it's like there's no, there's no internal struggle. There's none no. of the things that are Batman. Is, there's no struggle from any of them about what's happening. We are now. Now, again, Bruce did fall asleep for two months, but in the current deal, they thought for a while that Bruce was dead. He he got blasted by failsafe. They had to have thought he's dead. Tim, David, Tim wouldn't, you know, go with that. He said, I'm going to go to the multiverse and back to bring him back. Yes, I know. But th- this is a play where they think that, oh, man, Bruce is dead. Then they go, oh, my God, look at all that crap. He had to deal with it. That one night of night terrors. He fell asleep. He's in a coma. Will he wake up? And they end up right after that just like, yeah, I think this Batman's bullshit. And even like you said, the idea of not really saying, okay, call up Selena, we're in, but Barbara says if Selena asks, she'll help. And what else is she going to ask but ask for help against Batman? And then even then when you have Dick Grayson there where you want to play your, your game, you want to have your cake and eat it too. Dick Grayson's a billionaire right now. He's a billionaire, but never address that. Never address like the idea. And the whole, whole idea of this has been set up that if you end up giving henchmen a better deal, set them up with actual actual pay, all that they will end up doing things better and more things. But what happens in this, and Jason says to Batman at the one point, you're beating up these henchmen. You're just making them bad again. Why would that make them bad? Why would if you actually, like, if me and you get a job, a better job than we've ever had, and we end up where somebody who is legitimately against us comes and does that, it's not going to make me quit my job and go back to, Skip because they were always beat. That was the whole play. 
They always got beat up by Batman. So now that at least they're still getting paid, right? Yeah, yeah, the, the trouble with the with the Tom Taylor effect, as we'll, we'll now you know dispassionately call it, is if you're talking about beating up like you know Scarecrow or Joker or somebody like that. Yeah, the, these are people who are, are bad or evil, but they're also legitimately ill. You could say that about say Jervis Tetch as an example. But henchmen are not. They're just people that you know. I, I'm down on my luck, or I need fast money for whatever reason. Sometimes it's a good reason, like I need to pay for my daughter's surgery or, or something in that realm. But for the most, for most of them, no. It's just like you know, I, I'm not good at anything else, so I'm just going to be, I'm just going to rob and beat people up. There, there is, there, there is no reason why um, Bruce going up against these people is somehow going to make them evil when they didn't have a choice. And that's the, and that's kind of that that what we talked about last time with that dollar bin socialism about you know that they have to do this because there's no other possible way they could survive. That, that, which is people do that every day. People do it every day. There, there's no reason for this to be happening, and and for for you to apply some some semblance of, of sympathy to these uh, henchmen, it doesn't make any sense. Also, I, I want to know where Bobber got her box of bat donuts. I know bat donuts. And so the irony is, she's munching on bat donuts as she says this line about, "Yeah, if Selena asked me, I'll, I'll just do whatever she asked me to do." Well, Batman has to make some money. Maybe that would be the play. They're pissed off because she's actually drinking. And it doesn't look like a cup. I'm guessing it's a paper cup that she got from Bat Donuts that has the Nightwing symbol. And he's like, yeah, I'm not getting a cent from this. Yeah, Bruce is like playing it up like the NCAA used to have where they used the student athletes, made tons of money, and didn't give them a cent. Maybe that'd be a problem. But in this again, though, it, 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 Chip Zdarsky gets a little bit away from the heavy handedness that is the parts that with Selena, you know, this idea of, steal from the, she thinks she's a modern day robin hood but she's not going at it that way anyway and even so again you're, you're setting up a brick wall of batman that you knew that you'd never be able to get past he's never going to go with this and now she's just going to try to get the bat family and while they're talking and they're saying this and yes yeah, steph says i walk by a crime all right uh you end up where you know jason says hey you know i'm in here too because he's on the comms they don't seem to maybe know that he's dealing with selena just yet but he ends up saying that yeah i'm gonna go talk to batman and and dick grayson says well keep it chill no 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 don't let him go there's no way in this situation that batman unless some crazy thing but batman's always going to react the way they write him now to jason which is a shame but here's the thing that i think is where you're starting to you know get a little stupid with your deal now, it ends up being what they think is a, a twist. You end up having Chip Starsky. I think he's being clever with this. But when you end up getting the wraparound deal, every one of these Bat Family characters, including Nightwing, who has been at this game for a long time, they're just complete idiots. You end up where Barbara says, hey, he shut down his comms, but he kept his tracker on. There is no damn way that Batman is going to do that. There is no way that Batman, and if he is doing that, they have to know that it's to set up something that he has. There's no way that Batman would ever, he knows the suiting, knows what he's doing, and he knows what would go on and off. There's no way he'd allow that tracker. He does it to set up a trap for them. They know this. There's not, I'm telling you, the minute that they, she's like, I don't know, he, he took his monitoring out, but there's still the tracker. Dick Grayson should say, yeah, he's, he's up to something. Don't go by that tracker. And if they go by the tracker anytime after this issue, it's bullshit because he actually puts it on that drone that goes in because they're tracking that drone the whole way through. So he's, you know, trying to play that. If we get another issue where, oh, he's here, I'm bullshit. There's no way. There's no way. But after that, again, most people, I think, after that scene, they probably are like, this is bullshit. 
Yeah, the whole we, deal, we, right? this, we said this last time. It, it, this issue reinforces it, and if they keep going down this road, it's just going to reinforce it even further, which is a, a serious mistake. Is the only way this scenario works? Forget about forget about the the Falcons and the Maronis. Forget about the GCBD and and the other criminals which actually come up in this issue, which should have been done earlier. Is the only way the situation works is if the Bat family is written completely out of character for who they are. None of it, none of about nothing about how they're acting makes any sense at all. So from from Barbara to Dick and 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 Jason and everybody else on except for maybe Damien, he's the only one who seems to be has his sense about him. The only way this works is if everybody acts dumb, like they don't know who, like they don't know each other, like Batman doesn't know them and they don't know him, and then they just start making actions that are that go completely against what they've been trained on for years. It, It doesn't work at all in any context unless you write them completely different from who they are as individuals, and that's that's what's I think most infuriating about this issue. Yeah, and and I think that granted, at points you could play that. Say Tim Drake says, you know what? Maybe Selena has a point. But while he's saying that, he's helping Batman take down all the credit. Like, this is maybe a discussion. It may be something that afterwards you say, well, I know you got mad, but maybe we can do something different. Let's think it out. Let's do this. But in the meantime, what you get is just, yep, I'm with Selena. I have to see the numbers. Batman's bad. And and really, to me, it, all this is setting up that Batman coming back, Zoranar, and even that hand as you were talking about last week, uh, is starting to affect them. He's starting to get more violent, and they're going to end up where, again, where I see that it looks like kind of like, hey, we're back to Batman. Instead of that, we're going to get, oh, he was being taken over by this, that, and the other thing, and, we, and, you know, that whole play. But we'll have to see how it works out. But right now, it just doesn't play out very well. But in that, you get the villains come together, and this is where you could end up having a huge bloodbath now. It could end up the they're going to get the numbers back because all the villains show up and like, yeah, this sucks. We don't have henchmen, but we're going to get back together. Let's form up. And they're going to get together to go off. And that might be a big mistake for all of this. But at this point, after this issue, it looks like Selena's kind of done. I mean, most of the people in her crew are beat up or arrested. And she does get them out at the one point. But again, now you, Selena herself, is really breaking laws even beyond what the deal is. So it just it doesn't fit but the big play they set up this deal where jason's going off and pretending that this one house is being robbed sets up traps and then a a drone comes in and it has the tracker they think it's batman because in the meantime batman's over in alley town beating up everybody on selena's deal and jason ends up realizing it's a uh, you know oh my god it's an effing drone list i feel bad for this person's house he actually says that the guy is asleep he snuck in put traps and now everything's blowing up. I'm like, this poor guy, what's going on with this guy's house? But in the end, they just he just beats up all of Selena's people, right? I mean, I mean, we talked about the first scene where they're actively discussing what to do and how to do it, and people were saying, well, they're not necessarily on their side; they're just sort of mulling it. This, this again, this is the second scene where that whole notion about whether or not they're on uh, Batman's side is, is completely out the window. They're they're actively setting traps in innocent people's homes. <laughs> Trying to get him over now. Somebody on some I forget who it was, but Twitter or somebody else said something about the drone self destructed. I I'm looking at this. I'm looking at it right now, and that that to me looks like somebody is shooting at the drone. Here's the thing, and and I guess he said you guys were. I I actually tweeted right before this. It's the traps. Jason set up traps. He ends up saying I set up traps. When that thing busts through, they're just. It's a laser. It's a laser. A bunch of lasers hit. A couple of them miss. 
one hits and it blows up. And then he sees it. Oh, my God, it's a drone. All right. So that means that Jason set up lethal traps, lethal killing traps to... To take down Batman. Exactly. So uh, your your argument is null and void. He has Whoever a knife. Like making yeah. that argument, your argument is null and void. He has a, a knife, lethal trap. too, right? And then when he goes down to see, he doesn't sit there and say, oh, my God, Bruce. He says, shit, drone. Like, oh, man, I thought this was dead Bruce Wayne. But instead, it's a blown up drone. And that's Jason, bad. There is there is no way for Jason to come back from that. And, and uh, I, I can't see thing. any of a scenario where he, where, he, where he sets a lethal you, booby you trap. You say this? When the fuck did he come back? Any book anymore? He's over, he, Task Force X. He ends up, fuck you, Batman. I'm doing my own thing. He ends up in every story, except maybe Chip Zdarsky's deal. But remember even that deal in the uh, Urban Legends that start out that where Chip Zdarsky had that bad. Even then, you're doing this, you're not. He never comes back. That's my problem. He's always going to be the guy who kills the guy. It's just bullshit. Yeah, but there's a difference between, you know, Jason making choices in, in, in whatever he's doing in his mission, if you want to call it his mission, making those choices and Batman saying, that's not how we do things here. And the two of them being at, at, at sort of metaphysical or, or philosophical or moral odds. That's one thing. There's another one when you're actively scheming to kill your mentor. That's the only thing you sense. can think is that Batman will never find out. I mean, he probably has a, a video and he's like, oh, shit. But even in that, though. When Batman goes to fight Jason, oh, he doesn't say, I thought he was beyond this. I thought that I could help him more. It goes, this is where I, I get upset. If people will get, they'll go on Twitter. Oh, my God, I can't believe that Batman ended up punching, you know, Tetch in the face. He's a, He's got mental illness. He's doing this. But when Jason shows up, it's fine to just say straight up, he's a mass murderer. I'm going to beat the shit out of him. That, that That's not, it, it's, it's not right. And Jason just, he's just. Treading water since he did come, especially since, say, the new 52 or whatnot. And there's been barely any progression of the idea of him being brought in by the Bat family. That's why I wish that everybody, if they're going to go against Batman, I wish that you had that surprise that Jason was with him, that Jason said, no, no, I think Batman's right. Because again, I think that the idea of crime and all that, Jason's kind of cut and dry. Crime's crime. Fuck this. I think he would have went with, but they have to have that. that there's the trope, bad Jason, the black sheep. He's going to go with Selena. Oh, my God, they're going to fight. But he's going at Batman with a knife. They're not even at this point. Like, he goes and drives to Alleytown with that deal. It's one of those where if you ended up, you're on trial and like, well, I didn't mean it. It was a fit of rage. Like, bitch, you just drove 20 minutes to get there. And still had that nice going. I mean, no, this isn't. A- By any legal definition, this is premeditation. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't get away with it. He went act- actively out of his way and planned to set up a scenario to <laughs> trap and trap. kill. <laughs> there is- and then got pissed that it didn't work and then drove across town. Jason gets it worse than Wally West. Jason gets it so much worse. And he ne- and, and he needs that redemption arc better more than Wally does. Yeah. and And one of the things being like, Again, I'll keep bringing up Damien, who has killed many. When he says, I create a mass murderer in Jason, he should say, just like Talia did with Damien, because it's it's even worse that side. But they, they make it seem like, oh, you know what, Damien, what would he do? Yeah, he's redeemed himself. Jason's redeemed himself a bunch of times. And the bit that I don't get here is where Batman's fighting. He's saying this in a way that isn't like, oh, my God. I wish I could have been better. Like he's had points where he says this, but at this point is I created a mass murder. I created them like cut and dry. Jason's a mass murder. How could you expect at any point 
that he would be allowed to be back on the fa- and be on that family portrait, which he's not, which I think that that's his real big thing that he's pissed off. But you end up where, you know, they're going and uh, Barbara freaks out. Oh, my God, this isn't supposed to be like this and sends in the Bat family. But again, the Bat family comes in not with, you know, open arms and like, whoa, whoa, Bruce. They come in, you get freaking an RKO out of nowhere. Yeah, they're not coming for an intervention. They're no. not coming for a family talk. Tim ends up RKOing Batman. Batman turns around and just punts him away, but then you have everybody, weapons drawn, everything going out. And yeah, I, I don't mind, and I think Chip Starsky's trying to play this this game. Listen, Failsafe took me down. That was the Zornar deal, but I set up my own Failsafe. It's the Bat Family. But usually when we get this, this would be shown as a good thing. The idea of if I ever go over the top, which I hope I don't, at least I have these fat family members that care enough that they will take me down and stop this but in this it's just like oh shit the bad family and then it fights on it's the hand the hand is the x factor and that's and that's and we talked about that also again we talked about coming out of the the deal as well too he's got this cool new gadget and that he doesn't even understand fully himself which doesn't provides an x factor I mean, I like the idea. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it. But uh, I, I like the idea that that gives him a, a new X factor that nobody could predict. But at the same time, that that should have been something you could have leaned on to kind of set this up a little bit better. You like he's got set this it up a little more, right? Yeah, yeah. Like he's got this weapon that all of a sudden goes out of control, and he didn't realize it, and it creates a problem that they have to they have to team up to stop him because essentially they become the new, the, uh, just as you said, the, the same ver the, the his 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 conscious version of failsafe. Which, which never happened. When you end up having this, you do get to, and I'll, I'll just skip ahead for a second. The idea that Damien ends up and he's like, man, that, that head is awesome. Like it shoots smoke. When does it shoot smoke? I bet it, it ends up where when you're punching people, there's a lot of dust and shit going on, but I never saw that it really, like he's saying, man, this is awesome. At one point, he shoots the grappling gun at cast, but I think the smoke there. Is from the grappling gun. You know, it's a weird play. He okay. I see the one point he does shoot. Smoke yeah, there's, out. it's like something comes out of his that? fingers. Like, and and he's like, yeah, you wouldn't want it. I do see now that I'm going through it. I see it says Dick Grayson goes, but that's just silly. And so the idea, I want one of those. No, you don't. It's making like the idea that it's making it's like fear gas or something. Yeah, I don't it's know. just ridiculous. So when you end up having, at least I do see it now. Uh, when you end up having all this, though, I. You got to set it up a little better than this. And I think one of the plays, too, is that we ended up having this before Night Terrors. You get two months. Nothing really happened with that ham while Deadman was in there. You know, you have that. But even so, when we get to this, I don't know. Maybe you really specified that it's his left hand that has that. And, and all of a sudden, when you fight, Dick Grayson says, What's going on? You're right handed. Why are you fighting? Something that shows you like he's favoring it or it's taking over something. But you really don't get. It's funny now. I, I I just must have thought that that was just a ridiculous thing when he should, because it kind of is. But but, but I like Damien's reaction because that is a very Damien type of reaction. It's like, hey, hey, where do I get where do I get one of those? <laughs> it's like, no, you don't want one of those. And so when you also you have Chip Zdarsky and Teeny Howard, more mainly Chip Zdarsky, you know, writing the Damien stuff and whatnot. But again, Chip Zdarsky, a guy who was you know big at Marvel, more comes over here to write Batman. And I'm really worried that what you're going with with Damien, because Damien going off to the Batman and Robin book with Joshua Williamson and even the stuff that happened in the Robin series, he's become a better guy. He's become a better kid. He's maturing. He's growing up. He's and in this, I really think that the play of cut and dry Jason Todd murder, 
I think that what you're getting with Damien is that not that he wants to go with his father, that he loves his father. I'll even go with another step that he hates Selena so much and really wants Talia and Batman to get back together. So that would be something. But I swear to God, the way he's talking and goes through this, it's it's Damien. Finally, Batman's like me. Batman's violent and a piece of shit and he's uh, angry. I think that that's all it's going to play out, that that's why Damien's joining up with him, is that he's going to say, this is the Batman that I wanted. I, I like this really over-the-top Batman and because of what he says and even as they get going. And him saying, I respected you, Jason Todd, because you do the job and whatever you need to do. Whether or not deep inside Damien you know, respects Jason, there is no way those words come out of his mouth. He actually, for the most part, through all of his history, he hates Jason. He hates Jason so much it might be because he's kind of a similar deal or whatnot. But, yeah, he does not like Jason. He never has shown any real respect for him. He loves Dick Grayson. They were Batman and Robin together. And so when Damien comes in, I do like that somebody does step up and help and actually save Batman here. I do like, too, that little little Damien who is trained like suddenly becomes the Hulk and is bashing masks off and knocking people out but still. Yeah, he is, he's bashing that mask but I, if I look like closely he's got some kind of like brass knuckles or something going on so maybe yeah, that helps he him out a little deal. bit. It's just crazy the idea of him, you know, it, it always is funny when he can overpower somebody especially in the Bat family but still he does that and kind of says you, you do what's right for the job just the wrong job and, and then him and Batman go off. And he's like, it's going to be okay. He's there to save Batman. That's fine. But the Bat family, again, they just lose their minds. Like, oh, my God, he's gone. Oh, we're going to have to stop him. What's this? Oh, this. And then you have this weird play. They open the door. Who's this? I'm like, oh, we'll have to see what is going on there uh, of mystery. But the whole play of this, too, is while this is going on, the distraction, it, Selena ends up where she finds out that, oh, my God, Batman, he ended up attacking you know, the, their big headquarters. And even when they're fighting there, Batman's beating up people and he's like, Selena's training to be better fighters. I'm like, he said this last week. That, no, that's not what she is, but she shouldn't be. She's just trying to get them to be cat burglars and things like that. But even then, this big play of Lady Clayface disguised herself and it's to get these characters that were being sent to prison to, to get out and it makes them kind of loyal to Selena, right? I mean, it's, yeah, it's this okay. is all coming out of the Catwoman title from Teeny Howard. Isn't it funny well, that when you get to the Catwoman <laughs> stuff, it just gets real boring? Well, yeah, that. But also, if you if you haven't been reading Catwoman, you have no idea what's going on here because there's no setup to it. It's true. You don't know yeah, Lady yeah. Clayface. You don't know any of like a lot of these things. You don't know who Fright is. Down. You don't know why she, Selena's trying to set them free. You don't know where any of the context are in the background. And and, and yeah, you can understand. Well, she's just freeing more people. But if there's if you try to apply some meaning to this, and you don't, you're not reading what T. Howard is doing. You have no idea what's going on here. And again, you're you're supposed to be playing this game of Selena. Oh, Selena is like I don't know that anybody's reading this, and they're like, man, Selena's right on. She, I wish that people would do this in my city. And so then she's breaking up. Yeah, that's her crew. And but it's it's again, it's a villain thing to go and take out. A armored truck that's going off the Blackgate, free your pit. Like, she's just breaking laws left and right. When we talk about the thing going on here about Jason Todd, that's fine and dandy because they do always somewhat. But Selena's got to be done. I mean, the idea that I think that Bat Cat readers and fans have to be like, this is bullshit because it, you had Selena last issue blame Batman. You didn't want to be married. No, he did. You're skewing it one way. And then when you get to this, like, 
you're getting too far along the line of breaking laws to ever be allowed back in that group that really didn't accept you fully anyway but batman i think you just go back to well we can meet on the rooftops occasionally we could do this but i mean part of the you know if you think the wedding's happening after this which is odd because you would think in the future helena it it just all gets skewed and and all over the place and people keep bringing up the idea well you know they were he was she was always a criminal and he was always the hero and and their relationship was sort of walking that sort of that razor walking that razor blade of of you know the way selena managed to get away with it for so long sort of not always but sort of is she basically she would rob other criminals or she would rob or she would like you know rob somebody but return it to the person return the jewel to the person who was stolen from to begin with and then she would claim the reward in other words she would find ways to break the law but sort of you know excuse herself from his wrath because she was basically <laughs> robbing from the robbers and and trying to play that game which i don't know why they, she if she was going to go down this route why she didn't just do the same thing and that way she could do what she thought was right but also stay off his radar at the same time if she'd set it up so that she said Okay, henchman, you do what you do, and I'm going to train you, and I'll make you better. But instead, but the only people you can rob are like the Joker, or or rob, or rob Two Face, or somebody like that. Yeah, maybe that would have been a completely that. Di- that would have been a completely different story, and but it would have no, made the sense. Thing he's doing now, and and it all was set up when she went to prison. She's like, oh my, and again, the people that she's getting, Lady Clayface, and all the, they were actually already in prison for crimes, but it was never told what half of them could have been for murder. And it was weird setup, but the idea of Teeny Howard, who has no idea how the legal system goes, they're in prison and Selena just pull out black and white. Anybody here was just thrown in prison because they were innocent, but they got railroaded. They don't have options. But a lot of these people were in prison for a reason. And now you end up breaking them out again out of the steel. And it's just it's too much. And then Batman, he ends up where he's you know doing Batman thinking time. And he's sitting there and saying, like, oh, man, I, I wonder if they're going to end up attacking me in the brownstone. I don't think they will. I'm like, I don't know. I, I would. If after that, if, if they're fully acting like they are, go right there. You're not going to blow it up, but go and take them down. Also, where in this point are you going to get where the police show up or do anything? Because they're not. I mean, y- usually in this kind of story, Batman will go over the top and the police will then end up trying to arrest him. But they, I just want to see them. Where are they? We always see as a police car taking them to a prison they get taken down where are the police to then say we're gonna stop this maybe even get for the first time listen but not the first time but batman i know you're a vigilante but we're deputizing you here you go sheriff batman in town something like that but they're just in the background because it doesn't play well with the story they're telling so they just get shoved aside but in that you end up batman's like yeah and he's gonna reiterate some of the things here that's happened so in our the idea that he's tired. He was feeling old even before this, especially in it was being pushed in the Mariko Tamaki Detective Comics. It, it comes and goes, and so does his riches. Nobody really knows how much money. He just doesn't have as much as before. Lucius is off somewhere with that dough having a grand old time right now. But in that, you end up where even at the end before Night Terrors, you did have the Bat family hanging out in the mansion. They were eating breakfast, and it, that it never makes sense when they go back there. But you have the back cave underneath and whatever. So in this, Damien thinks the hand is cool. That's awesome. Ah, you wouldn't want it, kid. It's like that crazy deal. I, I get like it's like the movie Walk Hard. You don't want this, do you? I think I want that. Because I think at some point, how how can we do it? But how is Damien going to get himself a robot hand as well? 
like yeah, the I most amazing is- the most amazing thing about this issue is that for all for all of its faults and flaws, the only one who's written in character in a way that makes sense you know, is Damien. Batman is Damien. He's on brand. His 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 the dialogue is on brand. He's on point on everything he's doing. I like the nicer Damien that is kind of gone, but uh, in this situation where uh, he he should be really freaking out of like I I'm telling you, Damien's the type of as they're sitting there. He's talking about the hand, but I'm telling you, because Damien always wants to be a number one. He's probably like, eh, I don't know about that Dick Grayson, huh? He's a real jerk. Like, I could see Damien doing that. Yeah, like, trash talk really him. Trash out, talk him a little bit. Trash talk yeah. out, the, out the wazoo. Man, I think Barbara <laughs> has more to do with this, and I don't know. I never trusted her. Like, six that would be so hilarious. It's so silly. And, and, and I think where I – this issue actually gets me to appreciate Damien. I, I think I think I like Damien more after reading this issue than I have any time before, except for like you know Super Sun type stuff. I'm actually I, a huge I, I like Damien him a lot. Fan. I think he's I think he's a good I think he's a good foil for what Batman is trying to do. But at the same time, this just kind of t- turns me off of everybody else. I, I'll give you I'll give you I'll give you an out at least a one way if you could do it. Uh, you could do it, and I think we talked about this last time. Is it wouldn't surprise me if this entire scenario is of the mind. If it's of the mind after Nightmare, like, like if it's Zurinar still in there and he's playing around and he's playing like he's trapped, but he's not really trapped. He's I don't just think trying that's to keep. The case. He's just trying to keep. Him, he's just trying to keep him occupied. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's trying to keep him occupied. They're going to play the playthrough. I'll give you this is again. I'm going to get on my prediction. You know, stool. I don't know what you'd call it, but what's going to happen is Batman's going to keep getting more violent, as they say. He's going to go more. Eventually, Damien's even going to notice it and think. And I guarantee you, we'll have a line of the, the sort of, uh, you know, hey, dad, I don't like what's happening. And then it'll be like, yeah, but but I'm like you, Damien. I'm more like you. And he's like, I don't want that. You're better than me. That's why you're Batman. And you'll have the Bat family. While they're against all this, they are going to end up stepping up and they're going to have to save Batman from Zornar and that damn hand. And that's how everything gets through. I'm not even saying Gotham War. I think it goes past that. I think that what is setting up but this violence stuff continues, will continue after the Gotham War. Gotham War is just a way to show Selena's kind of smart, get her out and have Batman go. But I think that we'll have a story where it's definitely Zornar taking over. Batman has completely lost his mind and they have to save him. And that's how you'll save the Bat family at the end. But the problem is the end result of that, say that this would happen six months from now, that doesn't help how bad this is you know what i mean it's like one of those where i if i punch the shit out of you for three days but actually i'm doing that because somebody's watching like it's not going to matter i still ended up making you feel real bad for for all those times and i think that you're really pushing vandal savage at the end it's things start happening at the end you're like maybe this is too much because batman ends up finding out that somebody bought the mansion selena's pissed off she's going to do things she knows things and at one point she was the one who kind of had the money and then send it off to Lucia, so who knows what she has sticking around, but she, somebody buys the mansion, and Bruce is like, oh my god, is it Selena? If it's not, we gotta get over there, he goes down the back cave, Zornar's there off the mine yelling, just, you know, concrete up the entrance, we need to be here, he wants to just blow it up and take it all down, and then yeah. we find at the end, it's like, hey, hey, again, when you have this ending, I'm like, what? Like, it, it's so crazy to just then, it's swashbuckling Vandal Savage. Yeah, Vandal buying the mansion and then just showing up out of nowhere is definitely a, like one of those out of nowhere tweets that you don't expect. Yeah. Um, but that also gives me clues to think about as to whether or not, I, I imagine it's going to be one of those scenarios where Vandal comes along and says, look, you're, you wound up in this situation because you weren't willing to play tough. 
Yeah. And, that, oh, and, I, I think and you created, you created the scenario like that. Yeah. So I'm going to show you for, for your own sake, because you are one of my few worthy adversaries. I'm going to show you how you need to step up and be tougher. And that's going to, yeah, that's going to be like Vandal against Damien or something like that to your prediction. And, and we'll see how it goes. Now I'm super curious about next week because next, next week is Batman in uh, Robin number one. How in the world do you build that out of this? I don't or think you are do. they even going to, are they going to be connected at all? And then if they're not going to be connected, how does that even make sense? Remember, the only uh, thing Joshua Williamson did in the Night Terrors in the Batman tie-in, he had that deal with, well, uh, he wrote Dead some Man. terrible comics. Remember that did. conversation? And he's like, uh, I, I have a problem because me and my dad were real good at Batman and the Robins, but we're not good as father and son. And then Deadman's like, that doesn't sound good. I think that's all. That's all it's going to be. I think that when we get into that, it's going to be a lot of like, hey, uh, I love you, maybe reference things, but I think it'll be its own thing. I'm I'm looking forward to that. But at the end where Vandal Savage comes, it's so funny because if you, you remember, Vandal Savage got killed at the, at the beginning of Metal by Scott Snyder. He ended up getting killed by Lex Luthor. He came back then. After the whole death metal, everybody comes back. And he was actually part of the totality, that kind of superhero villain conglomerate that was supposed to, but that, that disappeared. Nobody, they, they just completely threw that out. And then he shows up here and I saw a lot of people. And I do think that you'll start with, it'll be one of those. Batman's going to react with a fight. Oh my God. And then Vandal will be like, no, 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 I'm here to help you. I actually bought the mansion because I don't want people to fight. Like he knows Bruce Wayne's Batman. He's down there. That's fine. He's an immortal. He's all that stuff. And I do like Vandal. He gives him swashbuckling in, though. I'm like, all right. Then it starts to feel a bit like the Orgums and like the stuff with Randy's detective. But I'm, I'm eager to see how this works. And that's the last most recent time we've seen Vandal Savage. He, is, he showed up, I think he showed up in a flashback or something. He's in the flashback when, when they, stories with uh, Rachel Gould. And, when they were, and the, yeah, when they're the talking past. about how the Orgums got the, got the, the, um, the asthma and where, and where all that came from and how the family tree came up. That's what the saw so him last. So I'm, I'm wondering if they're, this is Zdarsky's attempt to try and tie those two things I in. I doubt but it. That's too, com- that's too messy. No, I'm I gonna think try that what it is together. again is, oh, Vandal Savage. Yeah. Grant Morrison did a lot with him. I'm going to grab him too. It's all Grant Morrison stuff. It seems it's all this crazy idea of, I got a Grant Morrison, everything up here. I'm looking at the yeah I'm look, I'm looking at the panel looking at him standing there with that jerk with his open shirt <laughs> and his big clunky yeah. boots and trying to be all cool and hip yeah, how dare he how dare he how dare you thinking of like how is this set up like Vandal Savage walking into the bank with this you know cutlass and his thing like look yeah. at this fucking guy like hey I want to buy the Wayne Manor and even then it feels weird the guy shows up with that and it's like one of those things where. Yeah, the manor's there, but it was still going. I think that there would be something where he might have to like finalize that or actually agree to it. But here we go. Yeah, or maybe he's working through a shell corporation or something. Isn't something that, funky it all like came that. to go out when you ended up having him lose his money and all these things and his assets were ended up with the designer was really the thing that really threw it out there when Selena ended up tricking everybody and getting his money to save it, but then sending it to Lucius. But even that, it's like all these things kind of get. You have them in some books. They don't really mean. And really, this Batman with no money, he's never been with no money. He still lives in a brownstone. He still has all his stuff. The big play was going to be he doesn't have gadgets anymore. At first, he was like, he had to like a battering. He had to go back and grab them because he couldn't afford it. And now he's just, it's nothing. And so when you get this, it's like, oh, you're doing that again? All right. Well, he has. And I do think it was. I think Vandal Savage will say, listen, I heard. That this, this, and this, Selena, some other, they were going to, I bought it so that you would have it. I ended up buying it to help you, but now you owe me. 
you owe me. And like you said, now you get this whole Vandal Savage with the idea of I like this new look you got. I like that hand and let's wreck shit up because I'm with you. Crime is bad. And we'll see. But Vandal Savage showing him really ups the ante in, you know, what might end up happening. It's it's crazy. It's probably the only thing out of this, besides Damien, the only thing out of this that really got my attention to say, okay, now we're going somewhere. Now, because everything else uh, everything else up to this point is stupid. Yeah, yeah, it, it, <laughs> it is. I mean, sense. I hate to say it, but it, it ends up being something that is so out of character all around and just something that feels like, again, writers trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel. Trying to tell, it's hard to tell stories with characters that have been around 80 plus years and things like that, but you can't go against these characters to tell your story. You can't end up saying, oh my God, I want to do this and the Bat Family. You have to set that up, and they really didn't. Uh, and yeah, everybody hates Batman except Damien and maybe Vandal Savage, but I'll go with those odds. I, I, I'll go. I, I saw Batman punch spoiler right in the face. He, he, he did a good job. So maybe it's me and maybe I'm just being short sighted. I can't see a way out of this that makes sense unless it's like an of the mind scenario now i could be wrong and maybe it's just a, a fancy but that's the only way i can see a way out of it like like they do and cut if dick grayson ended up killing somebody right oh my god dick grayson you killed somebody but we find out that dead man had possessed his body you're not going to blame dick grayson you're going to say oh no. he, he didn't do it i think that it's going to be the idea that's lauren r and this hand combined that that's what is going to do everything here and Batman is just gonna, he's just going to accept them back because of the idea that they probably will save him and he'll just or he'll be like what happened I don't <laughs> like it will be kind of a dream Sarah but more of a possession or take over deal I don't know and they'll they'll mention it again even though he slept for two months they'll say oh he was tired I can see how that could happen and then just bullshit but what would or, or if you or if you want to get clever you can say that um failsafe is actually still running around and he he took like remote control of his hand and that's and so, so he's hallucinating or i mean there's just i can imagine 10 different ways you can slice this what i can't what i can't imagine is why they're doing it this way <laughs> because it's just not good it's just not good i like the art though the art's pretty good uh what would yeah. you give it as a score oh shoot i don't even remember what did i score this i, I think you gave it a four out of ten <laughs> yeah i gave it a four out of ten because it was just so the out of character characterization for the family was just so out of whack. It, it just I, I couldn't get I couldn't I can't, couldn't get my head around it. So yeah, I, I gave it less than a five. I had to give it a four. I'm giving it a five point five. The art is decent. I like yeah, the I art. like the art. I like the I art. Like the art, and art. I like Damien. I like the ending with Vandal. That intrigues yeah. but me. But that's a and single page. Everything I know. else well, is the just thing foolish. Is, in my mind, if I go through this and I sit there and I can pick out the four things that aren't really anything to do with Teeny. I like, okay, that's cool. But once you get in the Selena, once you get the Bat Family, that's Chip Zdarsky having to meld and mold this thing into that story. And he didn't do a great job because, and, and being a guy who is kind of new to DC and things like that, you're always going to assume, well, he doesn't really know these characters. He's never, re-. and, and it's sad, but it seems that way, right? It seems weird. And so by the end, I do like, it's funny. People are like, man, I love this issue. We got to see Signal. Really? Duke Thomas for like two minutes for like two minutes the worst part is he's there to show up to fight Batman it doesn't even seem like at the most point they even care to talk to him about the situation like he just gets called in hey signal come in and Batman takes him out second that's a big montage round table conversation that's happening in the beginning he's not even part of that conversation they don't need him and they don't think he's really part of the Bat family they need him because he's powered and even then you I wanted to see there's a lot of people probably don't even know the character anymore they should have allowed him to use his power a little, which 
you know, sometimes just ends up being a big spotlight. You could have had to, it would have been a funny play. Now get it here. You end up where they show up and you have signal boom, spotlight, and you have that classic cover. Batman's against the wall and he puts his hands up like back it'd be in a monster. Yeah, that would have been cool. Cover. That would have been cool. And then he takes them out. Don't you shine on me, asshole. But yeah, it's not. But, yeah, but you know what we got to do now? You know what we got to do now? Now we have to read Catwoman number 57. Yeah, that's next in the dream. And <laughs> the only good thing about this, when I look, we have, and this is what we have left, Catwoman 57, Batman, Catwoman, Gotham, or Red Hood number one. That's Matthew Rosenberg. I expect that to suck. Batman 138, Catwoman 58, and then another Red Hood, and then an ending. We don't have that much in the story, luckily, because there's not much story here. And so we'll see how it goes. I think this is more of a, an event to st- set up status quo than the other, you know, Batman and, and Catwoman books. But you didn't need it. You didn't need that. We we just came out of event. Wait, 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 wait. Let, me, let, let me make sure I get this straight. So we're setting up an event coming out of Night Terrors, and it's all about Batman, Batman and Catwoman. And a big part of that is a two-part Red Hood story written by Matthew Rosenberg. Yep, yeah, out of nowhere, a, a two-shot. <sighs> Again, feeling very Night Terrors-esque, and you're you don't need that. Matthew Rosenberg. Just, yeah. Great. And a lot of people like him. I, I don't. I think he's a hack. But there you go. I like Chip Zdarsky, but this isn't really hitting with me. I this like is, This is not Zdarsky's best work. No, I, I like this Batman either. more than some, but this isn't good. Well, I'm, I'm also thinking about his work on, on Daredevil, which, you know, has its up and da- ups and downs, but generally speaking, was pretty good. Until the end. Once you had Devil's Reign and went into that new numbering, I was not really big on it. Yeah, this is, this is... This is di- disappointing for Zdarsky. I mean, I hate to sound like the disapproving father, but that's kind of how it's yeah, coming across. I don't think is, this is... He should know better than this. This is ridiculous. Allie's being forced to write with Teeny Howard. She says they're best buds, so who knows? But with all that, I'm giving it a 5-5. Five, five. You gave it a 4. I'm a little more... I give it a 4. Really, I'm going to stick with that. I really like that. the art uh, and like a couple of the things, but yeah, it's, it's not good. I'm not really into this, and I don't see it getting better in the Catwoman book, but maybe we'll be surprised. But with that, Remember to go into the show notes, check out Gabe's site and new YouTube channel deal, or at least up the ante YouTube at the Comical Opinions. And also, uh, he does the reviews on our DC and Marvel site. So go and check those out as well. But thanks for joining me once again, Gabe. And we're going to go off to talk a little Birds of Prey. Me and Max MVP are talking about that. So we're going to go to that right now. Welcome to the show, Max. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I do want to say, again, that Max, MVP here, go and look in our show notes. It'll link to his YouTube channel, which is awesome. And I ended up talking with Max originally on the Thinking Critical Comics Aficionado show. And when he did hear that Eric had stepped away and I needed some help, you were actually the first one who actually stepped up and said, yeah, I'll help you. Actually, while we were on the show... I ended up going over, and so you had sent me a DM. So I really, really uh, appreciate that. I really thank you for that. So everybody, please go and check out his YouTube show. And I'll just tell you right now, I won't make fun that you're a Warhammer 40K fan. uh, (laughs) It's funny, when I ended up where you had talked about that on the Comics Aficionado show a little, and we were poking fun at you, and a bunch of people that end up listening to the podcast also listen and watch that show, love Warhammer. And gave me crap because I kind of made fun of it for a little. But there are some fans, and, and they are out there. But thank you for joining me. And said we're here to talk a number one book. I figured it'd be kind of cool to have you come on and talk a number one book. This week, there were a couple options. You ended up having Birds of Prey, number one, which we're going to talk about. But originally, I used Slate it for the Fire and Ice book. 
which you were glad that I didn't give you, right? Or at least ask you to do. Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, I was so thankful. I think I got through like maybe the first two pages or something of that and just had to nope out of it, unfortunately. It, it's but rough. Uh, it was rough. it was brutal. So I'm very thankful that we were able to get to review this one because I think that we're we were able to take like a much more objective look at the actual writing style, the artwork at, at this one. Um and uh, you know, I, I think we've got some good things to say about it or some some interesting takes on this one. Yeah, sure. the, the thing is, I think that me and you overall, we don't mind this issue. We were talking before we started recording. We're not against it per se, but it's one of those things that happens to me a lot, especially recently, when you end up reading an issue, you're like, okay, that was okay. Then you go and look at all the various places that you can see reviews. I go to the comic book roundup. You go to League of Comic Geeks. But even both of those, it's like people are through the roof. There's a guy on the comic book roundup who wants to give this an Eisner. Yeah, even <laughs> on the yeah, even on Twitter, you know, you'll well, of course, it's Twitter, but yeah, you you'll see. Like I was looking at some of these reviews, and like you said, some someone wants to give this an Eisner. Uh, you know, they're they're getting they're giving this book ten ten out of tens, and I'm like, man, th- that is high high praise for a book, and this does not deserve it. Yeah, and, and just, you know, pulling back the curtain a little, this morning I ended up reviewing The Coyote Gospel by Grant Morrison from his Animal oh. Run, Animal Man Run, and that's a 10 out of 10 for me. Not oh, this. Nice. I mean, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, the idea that some of the greatest issues, and I know that, that some of these reviewers will play the game. Well, I don't mean it's perfect. I gave it a perfect score. So what's the deal? And it just is kind of eye rolling, even though when and then when I see that, I, I want to not like it. It's a weird play. You almost want to fight back against it. But it's not the issues fault or Kelly Thompson's. But it's it's a serviceable issue. While I think it is better than fire and ice and you lucked out the reason why, because it does still at least feel like it fits in the normal DCU, the normal continuity. It's not trying to be something else. And uh, with that, though, kind of got a little not fully bored but a little disinterested by the end of what all is going on i'll give the credits and then i will ask you what you think of that because this birds of prey number one written by kelly thompson art by leonardo romero colors by jordy belair and letters by clayton coles so we jump into this and it is just a let's get the team together right yeah it seems like and i think we were kind of uh we both somewhat agreed with this fact that you know, it is an issue that's kind of introducing us to each one of these characters, and yet it doesn't allow us to really breathe or get acquainted with any of the characters. It feels like we're just kind of introducing one, going to the next, until we finally get to Harley, not to jump too, you know, far into the issue. And it just, yeah, it it, it wasn't paced well enough. And uh, yeah, when I initially had heard about the issue and I looked at this team, I actually was pretty excited i thought man you've got you know people like big barda on this this sounds really exciting and there was something about it that said man the the character development between that that can happen between the lot of them could actually be with a better writer something really intriguing and we just did not get that here yeah and and the funny play is if you were paying attention while this was going down kelly thompson it was announced that she was coming to dc Yet another Marvel writer kind of jumping ship over. And not all of them have worked out either. But she was giving this team like, okay, each couple days, each I'm going to announce a new member of the team. And you let people then, you know, get excited about things. Oh, my God, Big Barda. Like you said, people were like, holy crap, I never thought Big Barda would be on there. Oh, my God, this. And then it was like the last one where they're like, and Harley. And it was yeah. like a record scratch. And everybody just turned and like, really? Like, why do we need more Harley? 
And unfortunately, what Kelly Thompson does by the end of this, Harley's already taking over the focus of the team, which is a shame because there's a lot of characters in this that I don't know that everybody knows Zealot from the Wild Storm stuff or the Wildcat stuff. And you get Cassandra, Big Bart of Black Canary, and then Harley. Everybody knows Harley. And it's not like this is a different Harley. I mean, she's just (laughs) Harleying it up by the end, so you don't really need that. But we start off in Star City, you end up having Oliver and Dinah just sitting around. It it seems like Dinah's already been like, hey, I'm going to get this team together. I need to because my sister Sin is in trouble. And that's a thing that I really was taken aback because Sin is a character from the Gail Simone Birds of Prey run before the New 52. This is her first time in this continuity. Even though you can say that the continuity gets swished around since, say, the death metal and stuff. But still, why not tell us more about her? The whole play of this is set up to be, I have to save my sister's sin. But yet we don't really, you kind of push that aside and just go with the idea, oh, sister in trouble, let's go. And I even was talking to you. Do you know much about sin? I don't, actually. And thankfully, because of you, I've, I've gotten to know her a little bit better and you were kind of describing her. But see something like that, I would have loved to see much more of the the dynamic and the relationship between Sin and Dinah. But instead, we get pages of like a flashback to Harley beating up Cassandra Kane, And it's like, take those pages out and put in some like backstory of why we should care about Sin and Dinah. And the weird play about it, you have in the current books, a lot of the different big two books the way that you end up elevating a character is by having other characters say oh my god they're so great we've had this with miss marvel (laughs) you get that a lot with harley right so when you end up having sin and you get no background for her all you're going to get throughout this whole play is these kind of crazy characters like to connect big barda cassandra black canary harley quinn and zealot together all you have to do is mention sin black canary says it's my sister sin oh sin i know her i'm in But nobody reading it probably will know. There's a very minuscule amount that Sin ended up being a girl that was groomed to be the next Shiva and lead the League of Assassins. And he ended up having Dinah kind of go and save her adopter, these sort of things going on. But this is her first entry into this. So who knows if that's even being played? Who knows? But it seems like it is. But nobody would know that. Isn't it the perfect way? You see a picture of them together. You're thinking this is just going to go to a flashback the next deal to tell but we don't you end up just having oliver asking who are you going to have on the team and it it just it just doesn't play out as exciting i think as it should because it just ends up being what she has a checklist in her hand of who she doesn't pick and the real play is barbara allows this but she doesn't want to know about it it's a very odd play oliver sits here and says hey can i be involved and she's like yeah i'll get you involved later You, you settle down but even going forward then, because then they decide, ooh, Cassandra has to be in. But before that, this actually kind of spoils the uh, Green Arrow miniseries by Joshua Williamson that's going on right now. Mm-hmm. It actually ends up when Cassandra shows up. She's in Spirit World. She's in trouble there. There's a lot of weird plays. And the only thing that it mentions, the weirdest thing to get you caught up, is I hate to separate after dot, 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 everything. Everything includes Oliver getting killed by Doomsday, being sent to that. Like, they really push this in here, and you're just going to have to go for it. And I think that there is a lot of setup missing. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, it's it's weird because, yeah, that first page, like, your first page of this issue wasn't anything extraordinary. 
it's just Ollie and Dinah kind of like sitting slash laying on the bed. And you're just kind of like, oh, it's already very dour. And the first line of the entire book from from Ollie, he says, I'm sorry I'm so useless to you in this. And I'm like, okay, great. Like, that's a great way to start off our superhero. Yeah, poor comic. Oliver, right? I know. He just gets, he gets trashed. And, uh, like, I understand his sentiment because he does want to help Dinah. But, I mean, where they're going, as we find out later in this book, I he, wish that was played out better because yeah, he really oh, is saying based on where they're going there. And we'll say we'll spot, they're going to Themyscira. He can't go. But the way that Kelly Thompson frames it is he's just useless. Oh, yeah. And and we kind of see that throughout the book. Like we also see Zealot, you know, with Grifter and Grifter is in bed as well. You know, so like the two the two main, you know, male characters in this book are lazy, kind of pathetic in their beds, just laying around, not doing anything. It's like okay, these guys are superheroes. You know, it it was kind of odd that, well, maybe for Kelly Thompson, it's not that odd, but uh, it just felt like, you know what? Come on, we could, it, for me, it feels like whenever a writer has to degrade another character in order to lift their characters up, it feels very lazy and condescending. I, I agree. That's one of the things that I have a real problem with. And even like I said, it's not quite that, but when they mention sin to anybody, a character that not many people would know. And the idea, too, where Kelly Thompson does these things in this book that's weird because the idea where sin is so important to her, but you you might want to think about the whole play that, well, if she was so important, why haven't any of us heard of her in years of continuity? Right. And how did you let her get taken? And in the Gail Simone deal, it was kind of more of a mother-daughter relationship with this because she's so much younger. But I know that I think that you go sister here only because of your mother. Then you're a real piece of crap. But this girl, she ends up revealing is 16, but she's lost track of her so much that, oh, my God, she got kidnapped. And now I have to do something. But it's weird. And you'll have a weird play with Kelly Thompson elevating things once Harley comes that goes against how she elevates things in the beginning. And it just gets all wacky. But again, it, it this is just the hey, Ocean's Eleven. Let's get the, the gang together. The problem is, is that while that's a big part of things, that's not the be all end all. So by the end of this issue, you are only getting that. Let's gather the team. And like you said, you don't even have enough room to even really get that much interesting things about them, because really all they're all doing besides maybe Zealot is just kicking ass. That, and it's fine, but you're not getting any character work, really. Right. And I don't even, I wouldn't even really say, yeah, besides Cassandra, we, we really don't see much action in the book, which is like, like you said, understandable. We're just trying to get the team together. But I mean, I think probably at the staple mark in this book, like probably the halfway point, the rest of it is just, you know, how do we get Harley involved? Why we should get Harley involved? Harley actually getting there and then being her quirky, you know, goofy, dumb self. And we just, we really don't get, like, I feel like so much of that was unfortunate because, so, like, a lot of those pages could have been taken out, or honestly, Harley herself could have been taken out of this. And we could have spent much more time with the characters that, you know, people may not know as well, or having the dynamic between the characters because it is a unique lineup, right? But once, like you said, once Harley's introduced, everything just kind of focuses on her and we don't really actually get to spend more time with our other characters. Yeah, it's weird because at the beginning, Cassandra ends up, she's fighting, you know, League of Shadows, League of Assassins type deal. Mm -hmm. And you have Black Canary Dinah realizes, okay, the best way I can get Cassandra is go help her. 
Even though she might not need help, she's great. She can beat up anybody. Oh, my, she's a living weapon. Most people would know this. Uh, The idea that when I went into this, I was wondering, is this going to be the talky-talky Cassandra that we had recently in Clune Red's Batgirls? Well, let's go back to the classic that doesn't talk a lot or at all. And it's weird because you get this play where she's talking enough. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's not, like, weird things. It's not when you get to Barda. Barda kind of talks in that crazy, like, over-the-top, almost like an Amazon-type talk, but that's fine. But when you get to this with Cassandra, she's like, yeah, I called this in. Hey, it's I need your help, Sin. Oh, Sin, your sister, yeah, she's in trouble. And she says, of course, what's more important than a sister? This seems like a very, you know, person who's able to speak and say their mind, but you're going to throw a joke in later. Again, tying it in with Harley, but in that, you just kind of get Cassandra and says, yeah, I'm in. Sin's in trouble, I'm in. And then they separate in a weird way where Dinah says, I'm going to go get the third person on my list, but it, it's tricky. It's real tricky to, to get this person, but I want you to go get Big Barda. To me, that's tricky as well, but she sends Cass to go get Big Barda. The thing about Zealot, who was the one who sh- – it wasn't that tricky. She ends up <laughs> owing her a favor, walks in and says, hey, Grifter, what up? Hey, you want to come and join me? And joins. It's just that way to separate them. But even then, you just have Cassandra go to Big Barda, and you have what seems like on paper – oh. Big Bart is fighting vampires in a bar that looks like her own bar there in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But you don't, what, you don't really get that much excitement from it. It's just you know that they're just going to beat the crap out of them. And even that, you know, Assassin's League of Assassins deal, it wasn't like there was any sort of thrill to it. It was just an obstacle for them to then talk. And it's kind of that with Barda as well, right? It felt very much like uh, as they were writing the script – Kelly probably said, okay, we need an action scene here and an action scene here just to kind of have those beats within the script. Or maybe editorial said, hey, listen, we need to put in some sort of action here. So they kind of infused it because, yeah, both times I was like, why is this necessary? Why are they fighting these people? Vampires? League of Assassins? Like, uh, they're on rooftops, they're in bars. Like, there's, okay, I, I, I just, I had more questions when they were you know, in these action scenes than I did answers. So it was more so just like, okay, I feel like this is just a plot point that they're trying to hit. Um, but all of it seemed to be like, you know, contrivances because then it's like, oh, well, see you later, vampires. We never mention you again. It's like, all right, sure, <laughs> Just crazy. And, and even like, are these vampires? Yeah, yeah, the vampires were fighting them. There's nothing, there's no personality to the fights. No, it's just no. random mooks that they're, yeah. you know, fighting. They just happen to be vampires assassins you didn't realize that off panel you you get this mr miracle he's in bed right now laying down in the next room he's the uh, like everybody has to have their guy laying in bed i think (laughs) mr miracle's over there he's just you know lounging (laughs) out he's like i'm in here uh but yeah and again though it comes down to where you're gonna play because i do think what you're doing here is oh my god this team when we heard about uh, how are they gonna be together oh my God, how can you bring a Barda with a Zealot, with a Harley, with a Cassandra? It all comes down to, hey, sin's in danger. And and at that point, Barda's like, I have my own things to deal with. I mm-hmm. can't help you. I'm sorry. Because everybody seems to be like, eh, I don't know about this until sin's mentioned. And oh, it's because Dinah, her sister, said, sin, she's in danger. I'm in. You, 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 the only thing you don't get is that you son of a bitch, I'm in, which would yeah, be right. great. But <laughs> I mean, that seems to just be the be all end all. But yet we as a, as a reader, a lot of people won't even get the real connection. It just, you know, a sister, 
a sister's in trouble, and it kind of gets very tropey. It doesn't feel like earned, especially because it, it isn't. It just shows up. And that's really the way that they, instead of character work to get them involved together, you're just going to have that MacGuffin of they all want to save this girl. That's it. Yeah. And it's very odd, right? Yeah. One of the things I think I would have liked to see, like like if we could have changed maybe some of those scenes where, you know, they're, they're just fighting random, you know, villain of the day or whatever. Um, when they're talking about, oh, yeah, well, this is for Sin. If we had an introduction where we are introduced to Sin for like people who may not know her, then we get the stakes and we go, oh, this person obviously means something to Dinah. Then as she goes along throughout the issue, we understand how important this is to her. So then when we get to those action scenes, it's not just maybe, um, you know, useless fighting, but maybe like we could see something that Cassandra does that makes her a prime candidate later in the series to why Dinah would want to recruit her. And then same thing with uh, Barda. Why is Barda useful? You know, if, if she's in an action scene, maybe she takes out or maybe, you know, her strength does something to where it'll be utilized later in the series that we could see. But for the most part, it just seemed uh, like, uh, I don't want to say useless, but really at, when I was reading it, I, I just kept thinking that like, this is just, this is, you know, I don't see the point in this. Yeah, exactly. Now, again, if you go with something, we'll just take Cassandra, for instance. They'll probably bring it up later, but why not right away? Sin, if they go by, again, this is the first appearance in this continuity, but the way they're playing it, I think they're going to go pretty much with it. Sin was being brought up as a weapon, just like Cassandra, to mm-hmm. replace Cassandra's mom, Lady Shiva. I mean, there is a huge thing for Cassandra to say, I don't want anybody to have to go through that, or I felt bad for that before. Now they're doing this again to her. So there, but you don't, you don't use that yet. And and the first issue, that's the first impression. Get it going. Kind of like you said, show some things. And even if you showed that little, she's a little girl who everybody's trying to, you know, use and abuse and do. You, you'd feel sympathy and and feel it. But in this, it's just a name that's being thrown out there. Plus, the name is Sin. Which is not something that you can be like, oh, my God, uh, Harley seems to like it. But even that Harley makes a joke. But then she everybody knows this girl, except maybe Zealot, because then we go to Zealot. She just owes Dinah a favor. But this is, again, this weird play of just, hey, I need a favor. OK, I'm out. There's not much character work here, right? Yeah, there was a lot of just everyone was for the most part. There was no real struggle to go. You know, it, it was it was one line of dialogue to say, no, I'm too busy or no, I can't or I'm kind of doing something else. But then the second, like you said, they mentioned sin, uh, they they, you know, go along with it. And for for them, it makes sense in the story. But for us as the reader, we don't understand why. And I think that's the the, mis- the miscommunication or the non-communication of not having that between writer and, and reader that was what was um, was lacking there. I agree. And and by the end, once you fight, like you kind of lose track that they haven't really told anybody what they're being recruited for. And if this was something where they were an organization where you have to follow rules or whatever, that that would be fine. You know, we're going to send you wherever we want to. But they're just hearing sin. We're in to only later find out this is an end of the world situation that they probably will die doing. But yeah. they don't seem to mind up until that point. And even then they're like, oh, my God, because then it just and again, it's very much like you said, where it seems like Kelly Thompson's doing the script. We're going to do this, this, this. And then afterwards, well, let's insert a fight there. and Let's do that, because even when they get zealot, they go off and they have a team that really was set up where Oliver, 
and her were talking, they want a team that legitimately quoting, I want people to shit their pants in the street when they see this. I think you got it. I think you got a good team here. I, I don't know why, because you told me even beforehand, like the idea of, oh, we need to add Harley because we need a wild card. Why do you need a wild card? There's yeah. no reason to have a wild card. If if anything, it, it puts the team in more jeopardy to have Harley there, you know, because if this is a life and death situation where it could, you know, potentially mean the end of the world, I'm pretty sure you don't want a wild card that could potentially do anything to put you or Sin in jeopardy. And so I'm just thinking everyone would have been better off. The reader, the writer, the team itself would have been better to not have Harley. Now, Kelly Thompson is going to play the game where I'm and that's the problem. You're setting up us to say, why would you get so she's going to know this. And Mm. then I think she's going to end up trying to make up for that. And all we're going to get is Harley. We're going to get the Harley show like we do a lot of times with the Suicide Squad and all these other team books that she gets thrown into. There's just not, I'll, I'll admit, I am actually one of the few Harley fans, but Harley needs to go away for years. Harley has to go to a point where people want her back, not just sit there and say another book with Harley in it. And it's mm-hmm. been that way for a while. You and, know, you need to kind of push her aside. Yeah. And I think that she's, you know, probably better in smaller doses or like as a, you know, because you look at uh, Batman Joker Deadly Duo by Mark Silvestri that came out not too long ago. Harley was in, in that book and I didn't mind her at all. I think she was written really well. And we had her in smaller doses to where when she did eventually show up, uh, she had some great character development, great character work with her teaming up with Joker. So I I think that um, I I don't think that the character is bad, but what has been done to the character over the past few years has been uh, it's almost been like an oversaturation of her. Yeah, it has. And when she's on a team and you're pulling out the wild card deal. What you get then is she her thing in the book will just be to keep quipping to keep getting in the way, to keep Ugh. doing things wrong, and that dominates the script then. Yeah. You know, what is what is Zealot going to do while that's going on? Because Zealot is Zealot, going to do mm-hmm. the deal, do the job. So it really ends up where the focus really gets thrown. Like you said, at the midpoint deal, pretty much where Cassandra says we should get Harley. That's the wild card. We need her as the wild card. And they say, no, absolutely not. And then Cassandra, I mean, even the idea where they're talking, she's like, I have an idea, Harley Quinn. Can I tell a story? And then she goes through a couple pages of this flashback story that's just basically fighting. It's the And it's the idea that where Cassandra, and again, when we say elevated, you have Harley kicking the crap out of Cassandra, which is off. But the play is, oh, she doesn't follow the rules of the fighting, and she's crazy, and she jumped out a window at the end. And then we come back, and the joke is, you really didn't tell that story very well, and we take a page to actually have that joke. I'm, we don't need that joke. We just saw the story and it was fine. We know what happened. We're going with this. And that is not your strong point, telling stories. Oh, my goodness. You'll be fine. But that's just a go and get Harley. And now, again, we're going to go and she's fighting Joker gang randomly. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, why? why? Yeah, that, I think ultimately the, the book suffers from poor pacing and poor writing. I think uh, we had kind of discussed, like, and it all kind of comes back to, the aspect of like the the writing is very bland it's stale and honestly just boring and that's why i think we um initially we had said that there's nothing like super offensive i I don't think that this you know there's a lot of character assassination but i think the writing is just like it was what i would expect from like a 14 year old who's like 
just turned in her first comic. <laughs> that is like, shade. I, 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 mean, I, I love it. I, love I, I, I don't mean to, uh, you know, no, no disrespect, but this is just how I read the book. Um, like a, like kind of a, a 14 year old teen it is who's just kind of turned in her first comic for art class. And it maybe got like a B or a B minus. Like there's nothing of real substance here that makes me go, this is a fantastic first issue that is groundbreaking or interesting. You can't really take anything away from it. No, it, it's a serviceable way of getting a team together. Sure. And yeah. hopefully it will improve from here. But it's weird because this is where you have to get some of this character work and some of the stuff nailed down between the characters. You don't even have a point here where usually in these teams, and I think like you said about a 14-year-old, which makes it giggle. But I also get the idea from that because there's not really any friction in the team. Like, you, you yes, don't have yeah. zealots say, the hell with you. I'm not going to be on a team with Harley. And mm-hmm. then, Canary, remember, you owe me this. All right. Like, usually we'll have some friction. This is just, not, again, I hate to say, but it's like sister power. Your sister's in trouble. We're in. No matter what, here we are. Let's go. And I think you do need a little bit of a friction. You need a little bit. And it seemed like Harley would be that. But once Harley gets in there, it's just joke city. At one point, she's even doing cartwheels saying, hey, everybody, look at me. That seems like a a joke just that we would say, like, oh, man, I'm surprised she doesn't have her to cut. She has her do that. And then through all this, it is just the Harley show. Harley, Harley, Harley. To then get to, okay, what is the big thing that we have to do? Finally, somebody's like, maybe we have to find out what this job is. Yeah, and you yeah. end up finding out that yeah, it's an end of the world thing. But even to do that, you throw in Maps, the character from Gotham Academy that a lot of people did like. Cute little girl likes Dungeons and Dragons. Suddenly, it's the future Maps as Meridian who comes out and start. And I'm like, uh, uh, you're throwing too much in here by the end. And then just say, oh yeah, by the way, we're going to Themyscira. It's end of the world stuff. The Amazons might end up doing something with Sin that will destroy the world. You're like, all right, you you really at the end, it almost felt like, oh, crap, I got two more pages left. Boom. And you get this big deal where I kind of was like my head's more like spinning at the point. And also, like you said, it's just like, yeah, I don't know if I like this team yet because I like the characters, but you're not really doing anything with them is what I'm afraid of. Uh, But what did you think by the end? Yeah, I think um, overall it didn't like I said, it didn't really leave me with anything um, substantial. I always like to ask the question did this book need to be made? You know, like whenever I'm reading a comic, I always like to ask myself, what did I gain from this that I otherwise wouldn't have if I didn't read it, right? And there was absolutely zero that I gained from this book. Um, It was just a net zero across the board. Zero Um, point zero. There you go. That's what it was. Yeah, oh, 100%. And uh, now in terms of like, that's the, the story and the writing, in terms of the artwork, I honestly didn't mind it. I think that the art and colors are trying to portray a very retro kind of classic, maybe 60s, 70s era um, artistic style, which I didn't mind. Um, so, yeah, it really just came down so- solely to the storytelling and the writing for me. Yeah, and, and when, when you go, you said you look at a book, did it need to exist? What I end up doing a lot of times, and it, it takes, you know, even if it's a miniseries, the idea of when I start to when I end, do I think the character, do I think more about like, oh, man, that was awesome. You showed me how cool this character was, or man, I want to read more. I actually, when you saw the lineup, besides maybe rolling my eyes at Harley, I was interested in this lineup. This seems really cool. And why mm-hmm. at the end of one issue am I less interested? I'm not saying that I'm writing it completely off, but I'm saying at the end, 
that last page, I'm less interested in this lineup than I was going in because you see that there is no real overall earning of why they're together and what they're about and how this goes. You just kind of get the characters and the real oomph was just if I said Batgirl, Cassandra, Big Barda, Black, you know, if I mentioned that, oh, man, that seems cool. What's going on? By the end, well, what's going on is they all agreed to just help Black Canary save her sister. That's it. And I, I thought that that was a less deal. What would you give it out of 10? Ooh, I think I'd probably give this maybe a 4 or a 4.5 out of 10. It's not, you know, uh, it's not like a 1 or a 2 because, like I said, it's not super offensive. But, um, you know, uh, probably within the 4 or 5 range just because it's so average and just mid that, like I said, I I didn't really take anything away from this, but I also don't want to rip it up you know, or like toss it away. It's just it exists. I, I know a lot of people have liked it. Um, so that's kind of where I would I would put it on the scale. So you're not giving it a perfect score. Ten out of ten. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was worried uh, that you uh, might be doing that. I, I could kind of tell while we were talking that you loved it so much that it's an eyes. I'm a five point uh, five. I could even be okay. convinced. I could be convinced up to a six if we get a second issue that ends up giving me more of, you know, that whole play. Okay, this was there because of that. Even by the end, like you said, when you go and reread it and you realize that Oliver, oh, he meant that he can't help because they're going to Themyscira. Mm -hmm. That's something. But the way Kelly Thompson plays it with every she's not setting up things properly. The pacing's off and not much character work. You're just having them thrown at you. And then Harley show. So, yeah. I'm a 5.5. You're a little less than me, but still, I, I'm not going to say that you shouldn't read it, but it's one of those that if you go into it, you, let us know. Let us know if you like it or not, but I just I can't see why people are saying it's perfect. It's crazy, but thank you for joining me, Max. Uh, really, it, it really does mean a lot to me, and just again, to remind people to go to the link and find MVPs, and it's Max Von Priestley, one of the best names. Wes always says it. It is one of the best <laughs> names ever. I don't even think just in comics or geekdom, I think of all time. It does sound like a villain, though. But yeah, Max is a great guy. And, and please click on the link in the show notes and go and subscribe and check out his YouTube channel. Anything else you want to say before we leave, Max? No, I just want to say thank you again for having me, brother. Uh, this was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I'm very grateful for the opportunity that we always get to have on uh, Wes's channel, on Thinking Critical, whenever we get to talk on uh, saturday mornings on the aficionados but uh, yeah this is this is um this has developed some really cool relationships um especially you know here on youtube with all of us that i think ultimately uh our our biggest thing or you know our, our biggest hobby and our passion is is storytelling and comic books it's a fantastic medium and i think that's uh why we love doing these reviews so much and so that's why i appreciate you having me on today it's it was uh great to review this even if it is a you know for me like a four Not or the five greatest. Yeah. yeah it's so. still though it's the one thing like you said we love comics you you want them to be better i yeah. mean when they're not yeah. as good but some people you know they're satisfied with what they get that's fine too so we'll see we'll see what people think but thanks again and i'm gonna go off now
Oh, yes. It is City Boy once again. It feels like a while since we talked City Boy, but for this week and possibly going forward, I have a special guest host to help me out. And that's Chris from Homebrew Comics. What up, Chris? How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, it's hard to find people who have actually been reading City Boy. I, I do have to tell you that, though, uh, so far I've been kind of positive about it. I actually like it because it's easy to do parry songs about it. I have about a trillion. <laughs> but with all that, though, of the of these We Are Legends books, it has been kind of my favorite overall, only because it's not like messing up like some of the others. But I, what do you think? Do you Have you been reading and enjoying the We Are Legends stuff? Do you actually like City Boy? Uh, what is your take on it? Um, I had checked out like the first few issues of them, and City Boy was, was one of the better, honestly, out of the three that I checked out. Like the, I like City Boy 1 and 2, and when you asked me about City Boy 4, I hadn't even read 3 yet. So I was like, cool, let me read 3. Um, I like that one, honestly, better out of all three. I'm, uh, I, I still am going through a lot of, um, like the, the Batman stuff. I'm a huge Batman person. So I like to dive into Batman. Um, but City Boy definitely stuck out to me out of those three that they put out. Yeah. It's kind of cool. The other thing, like the vigil by Ram V, I kind of like the first issue, but that kind of lost its way. And Spirit World has been, that's been a little bonkers. And I think that Alyssa Wong is. Kind of lost control of what that story is, but at least Greg Pak here, we're getting a story. I, the funny thing is, people have been saying to me even this week again, man, I think City Boy could be a character to stick around. I'm like, I don't know what that name. That that name mm. is one of the worst names. You know what I mean? And even I said, what what happens when he gets to be 30? Is he now going to be City Man? It, it's like the idea back in the day, the Beach Boys, when when they ended up getting real old. You're like, yeah, it, it kind of seems silly, though. I do like him, but. We will jump into this and we'll see what we think of this issue. I will tell you I'm with you, though, that I think I like last issue a lot better. That seemed like almost like the pinnacle of what I actually wanted from City Boy. It felt big. Yeah, it's Superman going off the Bloodhaven here. And then even at the end of this, feeling like it's more of a scavenger hunt that they did announce that at the beginning. But I thought that we were kind of setting our roots in Metropolis. But this is City Boy number four. Feels like forever since I talked about it, but it is written by Greg Pak, Minkyu Young on art, Sebastian Cheng on colors, and Wes Abbott on letters. So we start out, and we we knew after the last issue that City Boy Cameron had run to uh, Bloodhaven because he wants to see what happened with his mom. The big play is at the beginning of the series, she ended up dropping him off in Metropolis to what he probably thought was visit his dad or granddad, and then she drove off, and he knows now she must have had this new family and whatnot, and it is kind of depressing. When he ends up in Bloodhaven and he's trying to follow the spirit of his mom just through the memories of the city and things like that and realizes that she had another family, right? I mean, it's very sad. I felt bad for him. Again, though, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a cool thing, but I kind of like the idea of big giant dragon monster in Metropolis more than just going through Bloodhaven to find, you know, that his mom had a new family. I guess we're still going to try to figure that out. Uh, but overall, what do you think? Yes, the, the dragon I thought fit. Uh, personally, it was uh, my 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 notes on this one. Um, you know, the like like I said, one and two were solid. Three was was still really good to me. I thought I thought three started to have a little bit of a dip in it. The um, the thing that really stuck out to me that I'm kind of concerned about because this is the title that I like out of those three that they put out is it's starting to get a little bit repetitive. Um, and that's kind of the nature of his. His situation right now he's going through a lot there's a lot of emotions going in it's like he goes in then all of a sudden something kind of messes with him a little bit and he has this outburst and then we have to fight the city you know 
or we have to like deal with the city situation. And my concern, not just that, but also do we need star power in every book to make this relevant or can he carry a book on his own without having, you know, the, the backdrop of a city with that city's hero in that? Yeah, that, I don't those know. are my concerns. Yeah. I don't know if you actually read uh, Monkey King, Monkey Prince. I mean, Monkey King, Monkey Prince. It was kind of the same thing, even though, you know, you could have said, oh, well, I, I kind of like Monkey. But every issue, he was going to another city to meet up with that city superhero. This has a very similar feel. And I'm with you. And the funny play is when you think about it, the idea if, if say Nightwing wasn't there, you still could have had the same, you know, issue. You really don't. Nightwing shows up to just kind of be there as a foil at points of like, hey, I'm going to go get this girl. So that's, it. oh, no, no, don't get her. But he's not really that needed. But when he does show up, it, it does end up feeling repetitive. It feels, again, like Superman and the last couple. And, and that is a problem. My other problem is his, his powers cool enough, but he doesn't really seem to be able to control these city monsters anyway, as what we would think that would be in like a going forward deal. And maybe he will. But really, the idea is picking up trinkets and treasures and like, oh, my God, that girl ended up having a bad time during Final Crisis. Oh, my God, there's my mom's deal. I don't know that that's a really great power to actually, you know, drive a book forward. It's nice enough. You get some character work. But I don't know. Something else has to give. And I'm expecting more because the powers and you reading a couple issues in a row and whatnot, the powers have kind of like, oh, here's where he's moving bricks and doing this. And then you say. But nothing's really set in my mind of what his real power set is or what he can normally do or what he wants to do. And that, I think, is a problem as well. How about you? Uh, agreed. And that was something where even when I was reading it this time around, I was going back and I, and I was I was wondering, like, can he control this? Is he going to be able to? Um, honestly, even in the issue one, I reread it because it it was jumping a lot. You know, there was a lot of jumps in there, which, you know, lending to the art, I did like how they kind of differentiated the colors there. So you kind of knew this was this was in the past. This is his backstory. This is like the origin. Um, so I, I did like that. But there was a lot of jumping. And I'm like, can you control these city things? Are these cities like culminations of the emotions? Because um, I like to go in with like a, a, a blank slate when especially on an issue one. I don't I don't want to think about, you know, what happened in Lazarus Planet or anything like that. Like, what are they doing to me as a new reader here to get me invested in this character? And it was a little rocky there. Um, to be honest with you, issue one, even though it was a good issue, I felt it was a little bit rocky because we didn't know the origin of this power. Is it an emotional thing? Is it a culmination? Is he feeling like, because they just, they just say the city, but what really is a city, right? It is the people inside of it. So when, especially when Superman shows up and he's talking about the city, you know, I think Batman and Superman are two really good characters to have talk about their city because Superman loves Metropolis. So he can talk about Metropolis and the people within Metropolis and give you a good like, oh, like feel of this is the people from my city. You know, honestly, you know, <laughs> Gotham, you, you got a question like, it why do you want to? <laughs> it would be funny if he, if he goes and he actually talks to Gotham and actually see what Gotham even thinks of what's going on and, and why Gotham keeps being lost and things like that. For, but I, I, I do agree. Like you said, Superman loves Metropolis. He loves it. The thing about Batman, like Batman and Gotham are so interconnected. Like they almost feel like they're like symbiotic, like twins or something like that, that you would kind of go with. And that would be really cool. The idea of Bloodhaven and Nightwing is okay, but they go right with the crisis. And I, I agree when you say that 
the city is the people. I also go with that as being the emotions from the people and how things are looked at and the idea of how. And we had Gotham already with that little trash monster nonsense. I'm like, oh, well. And I was we, we kept joking on the podcast, like, I wonder if we're just going to get trash monsters. But that was just Gotham. And I do like it. But even so, like, when you get Bloodhaven, it's kind of like this mechanical bat type thing. I'm not really getting a great feel of like, oh, man, that's what I thought. Bloodhaven would be, or oh, I think Metropolis would be this giant dragon. Though it's neat, and I like it. And really, what it comes down to me about liking City Boy the most out of the We Are Legends, and actually, you know, for a lot of these new number ones and newer books, say like a Fire and Ice and a Hawk Girl, things like that, is that at least Greg Pak is centering on his main character. I mean, we we get an issue, and the issue is about City Boy, and that's something that seems so ridiculously simple. But not nowadays. A, a lot of in, in these weird legends, the vigil is a team, but it's all over the place. You're, you're not getting much story. You're getting more character introduction. And Spirit World, like I said, you're, you're all over the place there. I do like that it's just with City Boy. But I think that, you know, as we're talking about this and you brought up the idea of repetitive stuff and the nature of this book, I think that it is while there's six issues. So we're almost done anyway. We're almost at a breaking point. Like after this issue, you got to do something big and the big thing that people were really grabbing on at the beginning obviously was dark side and bruno Mannheim inner gang i mean this was something that oh my god what's the city boy and then when you hear dark side and bruno, holy crap like people were blown away like the idea of this little book is gonna have this. so but you have to do more with that than just keep just mentioning it like you have here this issue though it had a weird like disconnect for me when he gets to bloodhaven he ends up, you know, feeling things, okay, I'm chasing my mom, and he has to explain to people, listen, it's not really my mom's ghost or anything, this is just, like, almost like a psychic imprint that I'm chasing. He does get down and, like, well, it looks like she's happy, she has this other family, I still want to find out about her, but he's a little down in the dumps, but then it ends up overtaking. Like you said, is it the emotions of this? Is he not controlling? Well, he ends up with the nuclear blast and the whole play in Final Crisis. That he's like, oh, my God. And he's really freaking out from this. It's really affecting him, which is cool. But then Nightwing just comes. And I don't know. It just the book kind of veers off in a weird direction, especially with what we're getting right now in the Gotham War, where it is that weird play of Dick Grayson being, okay, we got to get this girl. And you say he's playing a weird game, too, of like, well, I don't care. She's not a good person. She ended up. doing, And then in the end, actually being nice and helping her. But it was just a weird play that I want this with City Boy learn more about his powers. And really all we're going to get is another flashback to this girl's history because he picks up this lighter. And then pretty much the I won't let you take her down. Nightwing yelling, I'm going to take her down. And it really does end up at the end. I'm like, hmm, no, it didn't really do much for me overall with the character, the power set, and even with Nightwing in here. Because Nightwing was there during Lazarus' reign deal and Lazarus' planet was the one who really started this so they know each other. But how about you? I mean, I, I, I like the series. This was a little down for me, and I wanted to get better, and I don't know if we have the time. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, this one really, like I said, out of the four, really, you see a really a, a big dip. And I don't think, like you said, that he even needed to be there. Um, I think even in DC right now, he's in a, a whole bunch of different books and a whole bunch of different things. You can't get away from him. You really yeah. can't. Yeah. He's like, in everything. Why do we need him here? You know, um, this would have been a really cool, like, part of the story to show that he can exist in this universe without the existing heroes to carry him. Um, you know, even put a recognizable face in there. That's fine. Just 
he I would like to see him be the center focus of the story, because even in, in, in issue one, he really was that center focus. Um, we we got to see a lot. I, I, it, was a, it was a lot. But then you have, like you said, Dark Side at the end and you're like, oh, God, like this is cool. And actually, when I saw that, it did make me go back and reread. Like, why does this kid matter to him? You know, like that's a big deal that Dark Side doesn't just like show up for for some little little dude, you know, Um that made me go back and go, okay, let me, let me really dissect this and see why is he a big deal? Well, if he is a more of an empath and an emotional thing, that is a, I mean, it's a really cool power to be able to not only draw on the emotion of the people living there, but the past and what this city has gone through and think about that from a broad spectrum. You bring them to a random planet, you can find out everything about that planet. Um, there's in, in, in my notes, I put like his power set isn't for everyone. This isn't going to be your, superhero fan book all the time because it's not it's not like an it has its action but his action it doesn't lend to that power set that's it's he's it's an emotional power and so i think again if they can get him to carry the book and build that fan base around the character and do more character building i love the story build his character who is who is he gonna be besides city boy like you said as he grows you know like We've seen it before where characters, you know, upgrade their names. Nightwing is the perfect example. Um, I think Nightwing is a blueprint of that character, uh, you know, that backdrop character who quickly can find his own footing. Um, and if they're going to be using him as much as they are, use him as that, you know, that pinnacle for, for, for City Boy. Like, how did, how did they grow? And given we have a lot of history with him for that, but use that, you know, um, one thing I, I did want to say about these three books is I like that they're bringing us new stories and new characters because it gets really tiresome reading the same characters all the time. And I like it. I like that they're trying something new. It doesn't mean it's going to work with all the titles and everything. But if we, yeah, they're giving it a shot. And us as fans, we're not getting burned out on the same Batman, you know, or the like the the three, yeah. the big three. We're just not getting burned yeah, out. Yeah. And that, that's smart. I, I agree. And the thing is, I really I agree with that. That's why I find it odd that it now is devolved into like, hey, let's go to Bloodhaven and meet up with Nightwing. And I think that a, a cool play because he does follow his mom and that energy back to Bloodhaven. Maybe you could have played the idea because he has that connection with Nightwing. Nightwing's known to be in Bloodhaven. You could have him say, oh, this will be okay. I'll go see my buddy Nightwing. But when he gets there, Nightwing's busy. Nightwing's not around. Nightwing's out with the Titans. Whatever he's doing, the whole play, you could you could set up the idea that Nightwing may show up. But I would have liked to have had him just kind of go around himself, like you said. And so what happens here is there's this girl. That ends up as, you know, Nightwing's trying to find and the idea of, hey, you're here, City Boy. Thanks. This will be great. Your power can help me. Let's track her. Let's do this. But as he's going, he sees the slider and picks it up. And it does give you that. It, it's a weird play, but I think that Greg Pop does a, a decent enough job that you want to see that this girl ends up, you know, he feels like they have kind of a connection of how they grew up. She ends up getting in the wrong crowd, all these things. It's very quick and it could be a little forced, but. The idea is like, I'm not going to let you take her in. It's not her fault. All this. That's fine. I wish that Nightwing might have just said right away. You're right. I'm not here to do that. I just want to talk to her. We're trying to do this, that. But the whole play of this is that she and everything else here has that connection to Makari's son, the whole inner gang. And then we get back to City Boy. They're going to use him to make 
another apocalypse. They're going to make fire pits out of the city. I still don't really know how that ends up working with City Boy. That's one of my biggest problems is when they do say we're going to use City Boy, we're going to end up taking over the world. He's going to make the fire pits. It's a new apocalypse. I, I just sit there. I'm like, okay, well, how is that? How How is that going to work? Because of the power set of us not knowing, most of the things that we see is him reacting to something that the city shows him or does with him, not a ton of him. Yeah, we saw the bricks and things moving before, but most of the time it's just this psychic energy and, you know, the monster or, you know, I don't want to say monster, but the whole deal of the city. Uh, and I didn't, I, I still am really like, okay, well, what does that mean? But at least it sets up like you can't, you can't let Cameron get caught by Makari Sun or inner gang because they have these big plans but it still feels like just being told big plans not really seeing exactly what they mean but we only have two more issues left so i hope that something comes around because at the end of this i i don't know if you'd agree but i really just want to think city boy's really cool and noah's power set so then when another book comes down the line or something oh man city boy would have been perfect for this oh man that would be cool to have him and uh, right now, I like the character, but I think that we're already getting to the point where I'm worried that it's going to be a missed opportunity, that by the end, we're still going to be a little confused of what the character is. How about you? Uh, I, I hit it right on the head. Um, with such a short amount of time, I don't know if he's trying to do too much in a short time. I feel like with, when you have these short stories to introduce a character, creating so much actually takes away um, letting the character breathe, showing us who this character is showing what kind of impact he can have moving forward. Uh, because when you go, especially with DC and these big companies, they have these long lasting characters that you can just put their name on something and people pick up the book. Why am I going to pick up a, you know, this book over another one? And if, if he had kept that momentum from issue one through issue two, and then into issue three, we see like this uptick and we're like really getting invested in the character. But again, when you start throwing Superman and I, I hope they don't I honestly hope they don't bring in Batman really I just hope they don't I hope Superman was the last one I think that I like if, if that was his last like interaction until maybe the end I would be happy let him have his page time um, you know when you're talking about characters and you're looking at the overall scope of a book with a reader that character's impact you only have so many panels to to get the reader to like him and if you use it on these other things it's taking away from us liking this character in another book um he actually has like the you know the, when it, when i first saw his power set honestly it didn't sit well i'm like what is this what would this even do um you know you look at like superman and you know we're talking about him that's a character that can carry anything like you can you know his power he he's there's so many stories about superman to go in here and talk about but this guy has a very unique power he can like pull on the emotion of a city which is very like unique that's a cool story to tell um if done right and i'm hoping that we get it done right so far it's been okay it hasn't hit that done right piece to me yet to say okay when you reboot this character in another book i'm gonna go pick it up because he's made an impact if they leave it to where we still don't know what his limits are if he can control it um really like where did this power even come from you know um Give me some of that, uh, th then then we'll go. But for right now, it's a cool book. I don't know if I would continue reading him or pick up the next series if they don't round this out and show me you. that he can carry it. 
And it's a shame because I, I do like it. And like I said, I like it because it's, it is at least centering on him, but we're not getting a lot. And yeah, at the end, and I say this a lot on the podcast, one of the reasons why I've kind of gone off and read a bunch of manga as well, where you get, you know, the character work at first, then you go with the story. And I've always gone with the idea. If you get good characters, you'll follow them through whatever story. If you end up, you have a great character, you will go through a couple down stories, but because you love the character. But you need to know who he is, why he is, what's going on. And I hope because even at one point, it was just that deal of, oh, I'm finding money and I'm finding a hidden watch. Then it becomes the emo- like there's a lot of stuff that swirls around, but nothing real concrete to kind of make a little bit of a pun about City Boy. But by the end, you do end up having. You know, again, inner gang, Makari's son show up and they are going to, again, try to get Cameron, all this. And he ends up kind of stopping him. And then at the end, you do end up having him. He thinks at one point still that, oh, this girl. But the girl is also superfluous to me. You don't really get much of her. I want more city boy. Yeah, it's nice to see that he's a good guy. He's going to protect people he ends up feeling bad for. But by the end, I'm like. I don't know that I really need this girl. She seems to just kind of walk off. And then at the end, after they send Makari's son and inner gang off, at least for now, and Nightwing's aware now kind of of what this plan is, which is a big plan where he should start getting a hold of a lot of other people, which, again, I don't really need. But you end up having at the end where I almost giggled because then you have City Boy. He's like, yep. It's like the old you know Hulk TV show. He's just walking down the street whistling. Leaving mm-hmm. town, I guess I better go somewhere else. But hey, and then I don't know where he's like, man, I know how it was growing up in juvie. I'm like, I don't know that we even knew that. And then he just decides to go out in the woods, lays down against a tree, <laughs> and then we see Swamp Thing. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? Like, it went from, okay, I see what's going on here in, in Bloodhaven to then Swamp Thing. And I'm like, ah, yeah. oh, that's a little too much. That's like, we have two more issues. And now you are now just saying, okay. Next issue. So, and even that going from Superman, Nightwing, Swamp Thing, that is a weird progression. I guess the play will be that because of the green, we'll have a connection to a city. Is that? I don't know. I well, don't know exactly the deal, but it's a weird play. Swamp Thing, kind of, honestly, Swamp Thing, Poison Ivy, those more emotional based powers are fitting for his story because. You know, they fall in line and given Swamp Thing is a beast. I'm not even going to like his power set, but they can they can help him. Um, hopefully they help him kind of learn how to use some of this because they've had to do that themselves for their own power sets. Given his is m- much different, but still falls in line with that emotional piece. Um, I did. I did kind of feel that they and, and if you saw his introduction in Lazarus Planet and I, I know it was short. But I felt like he had more control there than he does I know. here. Here's and the weird play. When we were talking on the podcast, we thought that the story was taking place before Lazarus. Because it, remember, it was like, oh, my God, my powers have upped the ante and I have control. And I thought, OK, but then they mentioned here, like, that's the thing. In the, it's weird, right? Yeah, because he even he saw Nightwing in Lazarus plan. Yeah, yeah. He was the first one that Nightwing was kind of there to help him out and go that. So. They know each other. That's why he goes here and they kind of meet up again. But it feels weird. That felt like that should be like where he actually gets all his powers in it. He said that that Lazarus reign increased his powers, but we didn't even know what they were before. That was why I thought we had this series to lead. The, it's very odd. Now that you mention it, though, Swamp Thing with that, you could end up finding out that 
this power set ends up being kind of an avatar of the city, the avatar of civilization, something that would maybe connect to the green, the red, and all those and become part of maybe a pet. I don't know, but it might be something that might be kind of cool. That would be a saving grace for me is knowing it's tied to a bigger thing. And he's another piece of this emotion because, you know, when they were doing the whole like introduction in that very beginning of issue one, I did feel like that that was like a CW show. Let's just get through this so you can see him get his powers and be done with it. And it it, it bugged me. Not going to lie. It really did bug me that. He just stumbles in, gets hit by this thing, and now it's it was very Spider Man. Does that make you know? It's like yeah, it felt it like Spider Man. Yeah, I'm just gonna walk in, get powers, and be done. And now the reader has to go through this journey with me again as I learn my powers. But where where is this going? You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm why why are we having him chase his mom? I I actually kind of like the family storyline of that and learning more about his family. I think that's really cool. All these other things going on at the same time take away from us learning who he is. And why we care about it. Um, when, in this, like, like, even when you get into the swamp thing, I do hope it starts to wrap it up and we close out, even if this, this is just like a chapter one backstory piece, we close it out with him going, okay, this is, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And this is where I fall in line with this universe because everyone in DC really has a place in the universe, right? Uh, how does he fit? Where is he? Um, is he like a Justice League dark character? Cause I think he would fit well there. Um, you know, I think that would be an interesting place for him to land. And if if Swamp Thing lands him there, that would be great. I think that would be really cool. And he has the connection, so that would be cool. That would be cool. And again, on I think that while we're saying we want to know about the character, if he's going to carry a book, I really do think that his power set really goes well with a team. And he would be somewhere where they could use him if they go into a new place. You haven't said if they go out and stay, whatever it is. He does have an interesting way that he could be an integral part of a team, but I do think, like you said, it would be even cooler to be on the Justice League Dark. If they brought that back, he would fit right in. I think that that would be really, really cool, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with Swamp Thing. And again, it's one of those weird cliffhangers. I'm like, well, that could be cool, but it kind of made me roll my eyes. Like, okay, now we're just (laughs) going to Swamp Thing. And I'm like, it's kind of like, you know, here, here we go. Let's do this whole scavenger hunt. And who's going to be the guest of the month. And I didn't want that, but that's what we're getting. But what would you give this overall? I want to give it a four, but I'm honestly leaving about uh, leaning about a three and a half. I think it's a step backward for the overall title. Um, I liked it, but I didn't like it as much as I liked the issues before it. And that holds it back to me. Um, you know, uh, four out of five, three, really three and a half out of five. The art, I do want to say, I really like the pairing of this artist. Um, I do like the art a lot. Now, I want to I want to make sure you're talking like a 3.5 out of 5, not yes, out of yes. 10. Okay. No, not out of 10. I, I actually was like, holy moly, he didn't like it. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I, I'm a 6. I'm a 6 <laughs> out of 10, so I'm actually a little lower than you. I just thought, boy, he doesn't like this at all. But yeah, out of 10, you're about a 7. The reason I say the art is the art kind of saves some of it for me because you know, this is a visual medium. Comics, the reason I love comics is it's a unique medium. You get words, you get pictures, and you get also the ability to fill in some of your own, um, like it's like reading a book, you know, the people that read books like their own visual, to create their own visions in their own head, Um, you know, theater of the mind. Comics allows you to have kind of all three. And so the, the art here, I felt really lended well to the story not every book you pick up, the artist really matches the story. And I felt like this did a really good job there. And so that really brought me up a little bit um, because 
it never took me out of the element. Like sometimes art can really take you out of a good story. This really uh, did a good job with it. Um, but yeah, like I said, three and a half out of five for me. Yeah, and I, I'm the deal. Uh, I give Greg Puck some credit too because even in that flashback scene with this girl, you you do he lets the art tell the story and it becomes more emotional that way and makes sense because it's a vision of what you end up Cameron seeing. So it does make sense. But I think that the play of you know, having it there and seeing this little girl lose her dad and then get beat up, get become one who's beating up. I think that it's a good progression and without any sort of dialogue, which it doesn't need. You're getting more emotions and that plays in with the power set of Cameron of seeing those emotions and what happens with it. So, yeah, I'm with you. Maybe I'll even go to six, five. I do like I do like this book. I still like Cameron. I'm starting to worry, though, that by the end of this, we'll just be like, well, well, we probably won't see him again, which would be a shame because I think there's some things that they could use now especially because you mentioned justice league dark which i would really like but we'll move on to the next book and it's shazam and it's a book that a lot of people have liked i do like it it's a fun book the night terrors just completely through like a lot of these books out of the crazy deal and what was going on with it and the night terror shazam book i did not really enjoy anyway and it really didn't do much for any sort of thing I just I didn't like Night Terrors Is what I'm trying to say I Did Did you like Night Terrors at all? So I started uh, reading Night Terrors When it first hit And then I said You know what I'm done reading it Until they, they finish it um, I'm I'm the guy that I will wait To watch an entire series So I can I can yeah, re- so you watch can the whole thing right through Yeah And I don't like having to jump From book to book to book And I'm already waiting Other stories Like month to month Let me just Read it all at once And honestly I didn't really like it I, I I'm you know, every year I'm getting burned out more and more on these events that go nowhere. And I feel like this is another one that goes nowhere. Um, yeah, you know, oh, I, yeah, I said my whole thing I said was that I think that people will actually say they like it. They'll forget it in two weeks. The people mm-hmm. who hate it will remember it for a long time because of how bad they hated it. That's not good. And it seemed to be like, well, it ruined the momentum of, of the whole Dawn of DC. And a couple of these books only had one or two issues. And then you stop and do this nonsense. So it, it's a shame. Uh, even And I said, I didn't really like the Mark Wade stuff in the Shazam. Just because it didn't matter. It meant nothing. And I just wanted to get back to this story. Um, but uh, have you liked Shazam up until now? So this series, actually, it, so yes, I liked it. There's, I have some questions. Um, and, and the big one is the villains. Because I will say this villain arc makes no sense to me. So they really need to to clean that up. But I do like this 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 you know new Shazam series, like uh, issue one, two, where they're they're very good. Um, and when I another series that reminds me of that Spider Man uh, to the point where he even has like his own, he's reporting on himself, you know. Yeah, um, it's exactly that. It really is. That, and, and there's nothing is a play wrong from with before, it. But that is fun, and and it's it's bad for him because people don't like the captain or Shazam right now. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, using the captain. Sorry, well, the the word that them using captain actually really bugs me. And so I went back um, this afternoon and reread some of it just to see where my notes would fall again. And I had left this out, but I've started to think about it. And you know the um. They they really need to get away from Captain. He's not a captain. He he isn't. He's a champion. And if they're not going to use Shazam, he's the champion because he is the, you know, for the gods, they even call him their champion. So why are they calling him Captain? It's just weird of them trying to play the idea of Captain Marvel deal, which I know a lot of people, there are people I've talked to who say straight out, it's so weird. 
until they call him Captain Marvel again. I'm not reading any of the books. I'm like that. Why? Like, that's not their fault, though. That's literally on Marvel because they keep making books so they can hold on to the name. <laughs> they do Mar- hold on. To it. it also started, though, with DC suing. And, I mean, it's been a crazy way that. But in my mind, I know the play of you, you don't want to have the Shazam be the name because that's the word. If he says his name, then he turns up like they've gotten around that a lot of times, even at one point, And I still like the way where if he says Shazam, but not with the intent. To get, then you kind of can play the deal But I, I, I'm one of the few it seems That just prefer Shazam Especially because you're just always going to have that on the cover Anyway and yeah the captain No no you know it just It's not even anything that bothers me so much It just doesn't flow right to me When they say it it just kind of feels weird It takes me out every time Yeah it takes you out <laughs> Well to think about it right when, when even he's in public with the public Like the people that are supposed to Like, like him and follow him they call him the captain. And if you read in the art when he has like the Twitter feed up, they call him Captain Marvel in the Twitter feed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. They could just do what they want. And it's that weird play. They can't call the book Captain Marvel. That's one of the big things. But you can kind of do what you want in the book. It's a weird deal. And they're trying to skirt the issue in a weird way. And I, I do agree. It doesn't take me out. But I do. I just prefer Shazam. I'm used to it by now. That's what everybody says and whatnot, but they seem to want to. But again, it's a cool name. I think I think Shazam is cooler than Captain Marvel. Yeah, I actually do, too. I mean, and the funny play is what do you do when Freddy, if and when he gets his powers back? And like, is he Captain Marvel Jr. again? Because you don't have names. And it's just weird. They're, again, Mark Wade, I think, is keeps on wink winking at stuff. But I'll give the credits. It is Shazam number three. Written by Mark Wade with art by Dan Mora, and the art is really good. Alejandro Sanchez on colors, Dan Mora also doing the cover art. Dan Mora by always, delivered. yeah, he's awesome. Troy Petiri on letters. So, if good, I see right? his name on a book, I'll, I'll pick it up just because I want to check it out. Um, I'm telling you, that know. first page with just the you know, the gods and, and the whole deal, it just looks great. And again, yeah, there's a weird play in the idea of the gods, uh, they don't like how. He's been using the powers. They they think he should step it up a bit. It's it's an odd play. At one point, me and Eric were on the show, ended up talking about the idea that maybe they could get upset at having their powers being used without their deal. But this more seems like they just want him to up the game and be more like them. And I don't know. It it kind of goes back and forth with it since the first issue till now, because you end up where Atlas and this one's like, Well, it's my turn. I'm gonna step up. There's a weird play in this where I actually didn't even understand exactly what was going on, but I still thought it was a fun issue. It's just that I'm worried that it's not going to do much else. I, I need some more substance to this than just the goofy fun, but I still have fun. The Freddy is down and he ends up overhearing this plan and they end up getting him and having him now as kind of their spy. Well, unknowingly, but they end up having him drink the water of leaf and then he ends up going back. He loses the memories of finding out this plan that they want to make Billy into kind of more in their eyes, you know, what a champion should be. Like you said, the champion. And then you go and you do have that. It is kind of funny that he had that Shazam page and now he's got a Metamorpho homepage as if that's going to pay the bills. <laughs> I like Metamorpho enough, but it's like, really? And even Freddie's like, really? This is what you came up with? Metamorpho, huh? And it is funny. Looks like a cool little page, though, but everybody's unsubscribing because yep. it's metamorpho. Poor metamorpho. 
Uh, again, there's a funny play there because Metamorpho had that big story in the world's finest deal with Dan Mora and Mark Wade. So I kind of thought that that was kind of a funny deal. And Metamorpho, you don't see much, so it's kind of funny. Then it plays into the joke because nobody wants any parts of that, right? I'm thinking they're bringing Metamorpho in because they've cast him now in a movie. And you've got to make him prominent in the comics so people know who he is. Mark Wade's going for it, right? I mean, that's oh, cool. and, and I love it. You know, I really do. I, I you know, I like when they, they kind of shine in on these uh, uh, unknown little characters who are pretty cool. You know, Metamorpho is a cool character. I'm glad he's getting a little... He's got a little, um, you know, spotlight. It sucks that people unsubscribe because of him. Yeah, they're but, like, this guy sucks. You know, the, 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 especially this one again. I think this one, if I'm comparing both books we just read, this series did start off stronger for me. Uh, out the gate, I enjoyed issue one. It was a lot of fun. Um, in fact, like every issue, even this one, this one trips up a little bit for me. But every issue has been very fun. It's fun. It's engaging, you know. Especially if you're a fan of the movie, um, especially like the first movie, if you're a fan of that, like this one really hones in on that family fun aspect. And you don't get that a lot anymore, like where you get the lightheartedness. There is something going on. You don't know about it. But the the heaviness doesn't take you out of just it being fun. And it's important to remember that Billy is a kid. And some of the description that they put in this book really hit home for me when he was like, you know, I can't use my powers. My body feels heavy to me. Like that was really cool to me because you you don't think about what he feels like not having his power. You know, when Spider-Man doesn't have and I go back to Spider-Man because he's so old and I've read so many of his books and there's been so many storylines where he loses it. You know, like he, he's been through everything. And when he doesn't have his power, you, you know, he struggles and you're finally seeing Billy kind of struggle here. Like, but he has the power. He can't use it because he's afraid to. And I really liked that. And I liked how they manipulated him into using it. It was really confusing. I'm like a bunch of apes. Where are we going? What are we doing? Oh, now we're in Africa and now we're going to the space. Like the kind of space thing and then playing it that it was Atlas's plan. That kind of threw me. But I do like it. And you bring up the point, And I think that it's a really cool way because, again, because of that two months of night terrors, I think that it really like takes away some of the connections and the momentum. If you didn't go and reread the stuff. But one of the big things why you have Freddy going down and going into the Rock of Eternity to try to see what was going on. It's because at one point he even said, well, you guys are fine. You know, you not having the power, having the power is fine. But that's what I that's all I have. You know, that actually allows me to almost be or feel myself to be normal or be able to do it. You're doing it as a superhero thing that allows me to be able to run and jump and fly and things like that, that I can't normally even think of doing. And then when Billy ends up not using it, he feels that kind of thing as well almost like yeah i feel really you know heavy and slow mm-hmm. i get that and i think that it's a really cool play to see that it is kind of that connection there but really what you get to is also i i guess the idea where he doesn't have the wisdom of solomon anymore and he's having real problems on his <laughs> test and i'm like i started thinking at this point i'm like are, are we going is he like a like the shazam and the power of you know captain marvel and all that is more like performance enhancing drugs here like without <laughs> that he's nothing he's hitting two home runs and not doing anything now all of a sudden he gets the power and he's barry bond so you end up where i thought that's that's kind of a funny play but i worry about billy overall because of that but it, and also you could play it kind of plays it but not full you could play that idea that he has been relying on that way too much oh a test is coming well i don't have to study i have the the wisdom of solomon i have this i have that and so when you get this going though i do like too and you said that this book is just fun 
And I think that this is one of those books like A World's Finest that are very easy to recommend. If people said, oh, I hear you talk about D.C., do you have any books that I can read? And a lot of times you start like, well, I'll say this book, but then, oh, no, no, there was a crossover here. They won't get that. We got this and the world's finest are very easy to recommend. I think anybody can jump on. And I like that. And it's because it's fun. You don't have to worry about the darkness. And even when it does get a little dark, it does have that side of fun. But I also like where after Billy has this test and doesn't get it done. And then he goes out and he sees a kid being bullied. Just because he doesn't have the power doesn't, or not going to use it, he's still going to step up and try to stop this. He kind of goes a little too far because the idea that I don't think he realizes this kid's going to beat the crap out of him, but <laughs> he's still going to be a hero because he is. That reminds you, and I like that idea. There's been stories where, say, uh, back in the end of the New 52 where Superman lost his powers. And it was a real good opportunity. Let's see what Superman does. He's a real... But in that, he was bitching and moaning and just wanted his powers back. It was very odd. But here, I like the idea of, you know, Billy, at this point, you think he's going to use the power because he wants to stop. But he doesn't. He actually takes a beating because of it. But he's trying not to use it as he then goes off and goes to sleep and thinks of, you know, crazy fights and things like that. Solomon Grundy, all this stuff that kind of felt weird after Night Terrors, too. I thought they were going to tie something in with it. But. He ends up waking up and like, oh, my God. And then, then he, like, he starts to get jealous, right? Because Mary, she's off doing her thing. Everything seems fine with her powers. And even pla- like the Plastic Man gets shade. Even Plastic Man's being a hero here. I, I expected, again, to see Metamorpho come out of nowhere. But, yeah, the idea that he's like, man, this is really digging in. Like, you don't have to make fun of me because Plastic Man's more of a hero. But you do see that he's worried about this whole play. But he's not going for it. And the atlas and the guy they're pissed so they kind of finagle the odds and they end up and really this could go really wrong if billy's like nah, i don't think i'll use the power and all of a sudden because <laughs> he even says at one point where's plastic bag could he help because it makes a bus go out of control and it's going to crash and he doesn't have any other thing to do but turn and but it's a good moment seeing him step it up to be a hero even though he doesn't want it because he's afraid how he act how he do it but he ends up saving this bus. It just ends up being a delegation of gorillas from Gorilla City. Here's the thing. I, I'm from Philadelphia. So the whole play of it's odd that they say, well, we were at the United Nations. So then we decided to take a tour of your city. You're talking a bit ways away. I can yeah. get that they took that. But why? I'm t- I love Philadelphia. But if you're in New York City at the UN for that, there's a lot of things to do in New York City than to take a bus to, New- to Philadelphia and then claim you don't have a lot of time. It's very odd. And, I did, and, and the yeah. point of me, I'm like, I don't know if Mark Wade knew where the UN is, or does he forget, <laughs> where, does he forget where this book is taking place? Because it's in the D.L. Fawcett city, but it's you know Philadelphia and all that. So you end up where it's kind of cool. It leads to fun. It's not really explained well. It is just like, oh my god! But the weird play I had because he does end up flying a la Superman, flies the bus then back to Gorilla City, which looks incredible. But we're not going to really do that much there. It's kind of a, a, a forced way to get this trick to have Billy go to the. And I, at that point, I'm like, I I don't really get the the overall plan here of going to the the moon. But and how about you? I just want to know what the end game is because it you know when I when I sit here and I think your villains are the good guys now, and that that you know the first the first book you know at the end it's like he becomes a jerk right. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, so they want people to worship him because he has the powers. That's what it kind of sounds like. But 
these are the same gods who bestowed their powers on a human because they're his, he's the champion because he's a good person. So I, I could see it if it was like, um, like they're trying to turn him into what looks like his black Adam, but they don't like black Adam having their powers. So it doesn't, that that's where I'm kind of confused and I want them to clear it up. Um, you know, if they just want him to be more of a mature godlike hero, uh, you know, stoic, because they come, the, the big thing they're complaining about is he's playing video games. He's, he's, it's all these materialistic things that they've, that they've done uh, or that they're complaining about. And that's, but that's the kid that you chose, you know, like this is the kid you put the powers in and you're mad because he's being himself like that. That's where I'm, I'm hoping we get some clarification, um, you know, uh, on that because it is a little unclear though. Yeah. They're not villains. Uh, Yeah. I'll go with you. The idea, like if it was just straight up, I think it might be a lot of fun of straight up. Like, why does this kid, like we thought that he would have by now grown up. I mean, you can even play with the years and stuff like that. But then the idea of, Man, you know, I gave him, he has the stamina. It's like Atlas talking. He has my stamina and he's using it to play video games all night. That's a, like, if mm-hmm. you went full out that way, they're kind of saying it, but not, but they also want to be worshipped. It is a weird play. They want more of, like you said, like a Black Adam character. But in that, I do like the idea that when he is going through all this, he is being, you know, used or the power that he's really using is Atlas's power, the stamina. And I think that Mark Wade does a good job of, man, man, I haven't been able to go like this forever. This is crazy. I, every time that I punch or fight, I'm actually getting stronger and, you know, I'm not tired. So I like that play. And maybe you could have went through a thing if you wanted to show people exactly like, oh, this is why we have, you know, the power of Zeus, Solomon, all this and go through that. But Overall, it is a weird play of them just kind of fighting of who is going to get Billy to do what they want. And then just kind of, but again, the, like the fickleness, of, it's it's odd. But in that, you end up at Gorilla City and then you go back to have Dinosaur Lawyer mm. where the fun <laughs> is. That's the fun. And everybody <laughs> loves it except Eric, who ended up, you know, the other guy on the podcast. Boy, he does not like Space Dinosaur Lawyer. He it really drove him nuts. He doesn't like to have fun. The guy is a, you know, a stick in the mud. He end up where he's like, that's ridiculous. I can't uh, just that he's dressed up like the Monopoly man makes me giggle. But overall, I do want more of it. But, if you know, and it's weird because of that two month break, you get back and they still have to fill out the paperwork. I love having Tawny. You know, I love all of all of the Shazamly. I, I love. So I don't mind this, but it is just like we have to be reminded of, hey, by the way, Billy better sign this paperwork about that whole deal of saving the you know starship and if they don't we're going to get the auditors and you know he's all upset about it and i'm like all right well that's cool but let's get this like you're you're adding too much i think at this like fun stuff but maybe let's get this whole settled thing down and and then we're going to the moon because in this direct gorilla city and these two guys are like hey uh, ted you, you gonna tell him that you know are you gonna convince him he's like yeah yeah and it feels like a, a trap and then it's connected in the atlas that's where i lost a little idea of like all right, and you're controlling everybody, but what does this do? Why are you sending him there? I thought he was going to get to the moon. There was going to be nothing there, and it was a trap to get him down. Well, there's people there on the dark side of the moon because he ends up going because this guy supposedly is building this secret rocket drive on the dark side of the moon. He's like, all right, I get there. That's where he was like, man, I can go forever. This is awesome. You do get, again, the gods and the deal. They're, they're all fighting and making fun of each other, but when you get to the moon and then end up at the end with Emperor Gargax, I'm like, I, I don't know what's happening in this book. Yeah. This book is really 
throw it it's fun stuff but you're throwing everything in the kitchen sink suddenly at this and i'm almost like boy i i need to kind of settle this down and get one of these things done to go forward and get a you know some more meat and on the bone again but it's still like it, it's almost the same as what we said about city boy but i i like this because we know shazam at least we know billy we know the shazam we were caught up there it's just there's a lot going on at the end and you are dinosaurs gorilla city and guy on the moon this might get a little too wacky but we'll see i mean the art's great this is one of the few books that i would buy just for the art it is oh yeah again uh, dan mora you know yeah he's great but the 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 thing about the dinosaur that i really like is although it might take some people out of it he has this meta piece to him it's like you know you don't want the auditors coming down on you and you know that that to me that that i at first, it took me out a little bit because I was like, um, so uh, honestly, when I was reading this issue, we're getting in like pretty far into the book and I'm over here like, well, where's the dinosaurs? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we had just them, hanging there. And I'm like, where is this dinosaur? Because I couldn't care less about these gods right now. I won't lie. I just yeah. don't care because their storyline to me isn't exciting. That doesn't mean the book isn't. I really like the characters. That's one thing this this book does do well. You like Billy. You like the characters around him. You like his struggle. You, Me, personally, I don't care about his struggle with the gods because I don't know where it's going. I don't understand it. But I still like the character. I still like the book. Love the art. But give me the dang dinosaurs. You want more you, dinosaurs. You, you gave me space dinosaurs <laughs> you want that this, made you him so a lot with them. Like that right there, to me, I think I, I'm hoping that's like the overarch. You know, like, let's get through the gods. That's what you want more he, of that. He, Yep, he shakes hands with them. He's like, "Cool, I'll be more of a you know more of a stoic hero for you. I won't play video games, and you know I'll take down the posters or I'll I'll organize my figures a little bit better for you, you know." But like, I want to know these di- what these dinosaurs you want are the dinosaurs. doing. I, I, the thing with me and and overall, the problem I have is that I love Billy. I love the idea of a little kid being that you know turn in with a word, turn into the superhero, and you're setting up a story. While I think that Mark Wade's playing off that of saying, "Oh man." The, the readers are going to just want Billy to survive this and go, but you really are setting up a story where they're saying, "Oh man, we don't want Billy to be the character that everybody loves," and we, you know, and it's just okay. Let's get that over. We know that it's not going to work out on their favor. We, we kind of get the idea. Billy will continue doing what he's doing. All of that going on, so I could say, "Yeah, the space." I, I expected at one point he was just going to get a call and one of the, you know, oh man, remember me? You ended up helping the ship while our planet's in trouble. And then they all off. And I do want the Shazamly back too. I like them having powers though. A lot of times you don't have a lot for them to do. So I, I don't know how we'll play it. And the Shazam powers and everything have been a wreck since Death Metal. So at least we're getting something here and trying to kind of get it going. But this whole, I'm with you though. I'm not that interested in the idea of the gods being upset at Billy having the power and how that goes. Uh, I think it's funny that Mary has her own pantheon and her own powers and they're fine with her. I mean, there, there's no problem. And poor Billy, he's got the old school problems going on with his powers. Mm-hmm. But I, I, again, it's not my favorite thing, the dinosaurs. I like them more than Eric did. Uh, so maybe I would like the dinosaurs. Maybe they do have to. I don't think I need Dark Side of the Moon, you know, guy who is mad. It, it, that just seems so out of the crazy it's left confusing. field. That's very confusing. So what would you give this overall? See, it's tough. If up until the gorillas are introduced, I was actually <laughs> fine with this book. Yeah. Um, you know, I really wanted to give this book like a four and a half. Like I was really enjoying it. 
And then we hit this gorillas piece where it's like, oh, we have gorillas and they're randomly here. He's got to save them. Oh, wait, now we're in space and we're fighting in space. It was that really hurt me. And it, it made me drop it down to a four. It, it like and Dan Mora's art is is, again, stellar in this book. Um, I can't I can't compliment the art in this book enough. Um, the fact that you can draw a dinosaur in like 10 different positions in a suit, that's just impressive in its own. It's one thing to draw humans all the time. Um, as an artist myself, having to draw reptiles in human form and trying to keep the the emotion like that's one thing I did like he can get emotion out of a reptile, which they don't have faces that move. So that, I thought that was good. Um, you know, I, it's a four for me. I still like this series. I'm hoping the next issue does clear up some of these these hiccups that we have and we can move forward. I think the that first now two we're issues, out of night terrors. I think that we can get to some some stuff now, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't want to, I don't want this issue to hurt because DC wants to have some event. You know, uh, I think the series itself is, it started off strong. And, you know, every TV show has that episode where you're like, eh, you know, whatever. Um, this to me is like that. Yeah, it, it's a good filler book. Um, it stumbles a little bit at the end. Literally up until we have the gorillas, this is a solid book. It, it, it's creating questions. And I don't want to, I don't want to attack the story too much for the gods yet because there might be something cool there. Um, I'm hoping there is. So, you know, I'm going to give it a four in hopes that we're continuing to move forward in the right direction. Let's just hope that the next book really picks up and answers a lot of the questions yeah, they've so you created. Still, you still like it, though. Not, oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to read the next yeah, one. Yeah, you're four out of five, eight out of ten. I'm, I'm a seven out of ten. So I'm a little lower than you, but still, I really do like it. And I think the art's great. I just, again, I need to... I'm with you with the whole thing with the gods and the power and that sort of thing. It, it starts to get a little bit like I don't really care about that, but it's the story. And then I'm a little confused about really what they are trying to do and what this could end with. Because even at one point, they're like, oh, oh we're not going to take the power from them. We're just I'm like, come on, we, we got to do something here. Like, you got to do something that feels like, oh, my God, what's going And it just feels like an odd little yeah, almost like a semantics thing. We like Billy, but we, we think it could be better. Like, he, he could do things a little better as, as the captain. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's a weird play. It's a weird play, but I do. It is funny, the side stuff. You and the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. All the side stuff is what saves it for me. But that makes it the fun book. And it actually even mm-hmm. seems like that's the part where, like, Dan Moore is having a ball drawing it as well. So, uh, oh, he's that. drawing gorillas with yeah, wrist watches. And, yeah, just know, crazy like, stuff. <laughs> he's, he's getting to draw all this fun, crazy stuff. And there's, you know, for the, for the people that like action, the, uh, the, there's action in the book. Um, you know, I think the book does do quite a bit in a short amount of time, which might be jarring to some readers, but to others, it, it fills a lot of gaps there. You know, you get action, you get story. You get questions, more more new questions and answered questions, but still they're there. Um, and I, I really hope, like I said, I'm really hoping that they 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 curb it, they bring us back in, and they fix some of it. You know, every god's kind of done their own thing. Yeah, it it, but it is so far to me, it's a fun read, and it's hard to find a fun read these days that you know that you just you just enjoy reading. You don't really care about everything else going on. It's like, hey, this was just fun. Um, you know, and and that's where I'm going to leave it. Like, yeah, it, that's it's a cool. fun read. If that's what you're looking for, definitely a, a good series to pick up in. And uh, I was actually pleased with both both these stories this week. Um, you know, when you when you asked about both, I was like, you know what, I um, City Boy again. I had read, but it was more like a, a pass by. Like, okay, this is cool. Let me see where it's going. 
getting to dive in again, it got me a little bit invested. I'm hoping they can do more with that. And this one, I honestly, I've been a big fan of Shazam for a while. Um, I would, I would love to, you know, personally, uh, I, you know, I'm a creator on my own. If, if this was me, I would have been like, Hey, the gods should want, you know, Shazam to be like Superman. Like they're jealous because, Hey, everyone worships the Superman guy and you're pretty much just as powerful. Like why aren't people like clamoring after you like they do him? And that would have been kind of interesting to me because like, Hey, we're the original gods. You know, we were here before him kind of thing. That would have been cool, but yeah, that'd be I'll cool. leave it at that. Yeah, that'd be cool. And then you can even play that up with that online, you know, the social mm-hmm. media account that he has. I'd love it if you have just, like there's Solomon there. He's at the computer. He's checking the stats. Why? Why doesn't Billy have as many followers? That Superman jerk off. But I, I agree. <laughs> I think that maybe we can, and maybe they will play some things down the line with Superman because it is always cool when Shazam and Superman kind of go against or even team up. So hopefully, we yeah, get it's that, funny, but it is fun. You go into that. I actually have a. I have personally have a story called Mister Wizard and Friends, which is literally similar to what you just said. Really? That's if pretty good. A, uh, I'll, I'll tell you about it one day. But yeah, that's one of my stories. Is awesome. God's arguing over social media. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> the new way to get worship the social media. Yeah. That's cool. I, exactly. I like that. Yeah, yeah. it's a cool. So cool before thing. we go, because we're going to go up to a couple other books. But before we go. Let everybody know where they can find you. Um, yeah, so I'm on Instagram mainly at, uh, at Homebrewed Comics. That's my main spot. I'm also on Twitter at Homebrewed Comics, but instead of a CS, it's an X. I don't really hang out on Facebook that often, but those are like my two platforms that I do hang out on quite a bit, and um, I'm pretty active. So check it out. I got some stuff on there you can you can look at uh, as an artist or writer. And I got a website, homebrewedcomics.com. Yeah, and I'll put all those links in the show notes so everybody check that out. But with that, thank you, Chris, for joining me. And, and thank you so much, because, again, I kind of thought that this was going to be a disaster when Eric stepped away for a bit after 500 episodes, pretty much. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you and a bunch of other people did step up and say that you'll join in. So I, I really, really appreciate that. So everybody go check the links, check out Chris all over the place. And uh, thanks, Chris. And I will let you know the next books. And hopefully they'll be as good as these for you. I yeah, might definitely. give you some stinkers. Who knows? <laughs> there, there are a lot of them. So we'll see. <laughs> But with that, we're going to go off right now. We're going to talk about, speaking of which, the Joker, the man who stopped laughing, and Poison Ivy. All right, and here we are, and I have yet another guest host. I have my man, Genji. What up, Genji? Hey, man. How are we doing today? Oh, great. And I ended up where there was a shout-out to everybody. Hey, is anybody going to get involved? But I ended up saying, you have to read all the books, because I was worried that there were going to be these side books that nobody reads, and things that I'm not really loving. So maybe I was like, Hopefully people don't read them. But you ended up getting a hold of me and said, you read everything. And I said, all right, well, you're going to prove that by doing the Joker, the man of stop laughing and poison ivy. And you ended up, you said, fine, and came on and we're going to talk about that. But before we go into it, we're going to start with the Joker. I do want to ask you, what have you thought about the series up till now? <laughs> it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, it's all built on at least solid premises and the characters are at least in character. But that doesn't excuse this nonsense plot that just seems to be introducing new elements on every page and then throwing them away and then constant backup stories that also feel like they're about to add to the narrative, but then they don't add anything besides just being really well drawn. Yeah, I like Frankavilla's art a lot. I mean, that's one of the things you can go behind. And it's, it's funny because if people have been listening to our show, they know that this book drives me insane. That I end up reading this and when I would talk to Eric about it, he'd always try to first off say that the only reason I didn't like it 
was because I had a vendetta against Matthew Rosenberg. And I said, no, I just have a vendetta against poor storytelling. And that's what I think, like you said, the problem is, is you're never getting anywhere. And when you go through this, and it happens a lot, it happened with the Amazing Spider-Man recently over at Marvel. When you keep throwing this mystery and keep going with this mystery box thing, what's this? Who's the real Joker? Whatnot. The longer it takes, you better really start coming up with an idea or have an idea that this is going to be something that's going to blow everybody's mind. But not once did I think, even after this issue, thinking my mind's going to be blown. And I'm afraid that by the end of this, it's just going to be, yeah, I just wasted a lot of time. Wasted a whole year, money, time, effort in a series that really didn't have to be happening. Uh, You know what I mean? The idea of just, like you said, the story. Where's the story? Where are we progressing? And we get into this one. I'll give the credits here. It's the joke of the man who stopped laughing, number 10. And it's written by Matthew Rosenberg. Carmine D.G. DeMonico on art. Romalo Fajardo Jr. Colors and letters by Tom Napolitano. And we do end up then also having that backup that this one ends up feeling a little more focused because of what we got earlier. But even then, up until now, my big play was when people would say to me, oh, my God, you really don't like this Joker book. It's the best book ever. I haven't read anything this good since the last great book I read because the idea they love everything. But I kept saying to them at a point, you can't tell me that a book that the real big thing that nobody else remembers anything but Joker butt baby and I'm like, that that's it. That that's the big play. So how can you say, but I don't know, people like what they like, I guess. So we'll go into it. But when we start out, we end up coming out of night terrors, something that we'll probably mention in Poison Ivy as well, where we saw, oh my God, you know, the Joker that was shot, that was his nightmare. Does that mean anything? Are we gonna go from there? We don't seem to be going from there, right? Well, let's just let's just say which one, which Joker, because we're doing multiple jokers again. And I have like issue nine in front of me. And at the end of issue nine, it's just revealing that there's two Jokers and they have two crews of some. Yeah, they're gathering the C-list villains that are fun and Clayface. And then you pick up in ten, and Joker's a flight attendant killing Black Mask. Well, it doesn't kill Black Mask, but he's just even on a plane. This is the widest plane. They're in, in a warehouse. History. They're in a warehouse. It seems. But the thing is, that, that's the thing that gets me in this. And I'll tell you. Now you get me mad. Tell you, Kim Chiefbell. Here's the deal. They they played this up with the Joker all the time. He also played it up with Harley, and they played it up in Night Terrors. The idea, if you have any problems, if I said, what the hell is going on? All of a sudden, he's dressed as a flight attendant out of nowhere. He's doing this, that, and the other. Oh, it's the Joker. You know the Joker. I'm like, yeah, I kind of I kind of want a story about what's going on. And even going with that idea, like, hey, Black Mask, you know me. I, I got shot, and you were there. You were there. That was you, but you had a hood on. Well, I would have remembered you. You get little jokes about, oh, my God, you have a mask on a mask, and I'm Okay, I did. I did giggle. Yeah, you giggled at that. <laughs> did you giggle? Like all these issues start out with a, a joke. You know, the whole idea of, hey, look, the Joker's going to tell a joke. They they sometimes work into the plot, but barely. And even then, it's just it, it's. I'm getting annoyed with it. I mean, this that's book a, is ending that's a gimmick issues. that when we say it out loud, I love that gimmick. It's a Joker comic. Introduce it with a joke, tie it into the story. They're trying to tell too much of a serious (laughs) story to introduce the joke. And it's also confusing because he's interrogating Black Mask about who the other Joker is. But he is, he knows who the other Joker is. And the other Joker, he doesn't, that's the problem is as we go through and the whole play is you had the one Joker going around, you know, the country and ripping apart towns ends up in LA. Now that ended up meandering with the idea of, hey, LA, right? That, That became the... 
joke book of L.A. airports. And I'm like, I don't know how many people are really loving that. But when you have the Joker got shot and whatnot and you're playing who's the real or faux Joker and this would be the mystery, it just seems like what I said at the beginning. Well, the one that's in Gotham. That this, and, and I had people arguing with me. But in this, you do get that idea of trying to figure out who that other Joker is while he doesn't even realize he's in town. So that's the big play of, hey, uh, you know, when that Joker gets here, I'm going to get him and Black Mask, really, because he's here. And then you do see, and, and in a bit, you do see some cool scenes. I thought of seeing, you know, gang war Joker going on. It does feel weird at the moment with the whole Gotham war going on in the synergy part of, you it know, what would be in there. Yeah, it, it seems like it was like every second I thought it was going to cross over that much more. Like they were going to say something or do something and go because it did seem right for that. Even the idea of saying, we don't have our henchmen. Our henchmen are gone. Please mention why and if that is the deal. But you end up where, again, the Joker finds out, oh, my God, this other Joker is killing everybody. And I have to find out, you know, who this might be. He ends up calling Wesker and Jason Todd has already gotten to him in a separate deal because in the meantime, Jason, Ravager and... uh with him. Yeah, I, it just because there's a weird connection that they want to make with Ravager and Jason Todd, but you also have spoiler and then and then uh, Manhunter uh, show up Kate Spencer. But in that, like even that scene, just felt like it. Everything feels like just fudged in together, or tacked on in the way that it doesn't feel like a fully you know thought out story of point A to point B to point C. But I did like seeing Jason a little, and I do like when Scarface ends up not being able to. Put, Pronounces bees. That that's classic. When he ends up there, that makes me giggle. Uh, just as an aside deal, but a lot of times they don't remember that that's the case, and and he goes heavy on it here, which made me giggle. But even the idea, like you have spoiler, you have rabbit, but you're not really doing much with them. Everything is just there to just be there. It felt weird. Well, back on the continuity train, Ravager should be with Stormwatch. You should be nowhere near here. Um, spoiler and Red Hood should be working to draw the battle lines of Gotham right now. I mean, spoiler and Red Hood were going to go side with Catwoman. Yeah, yeah, and especially Red Hood, full out. Why and is he so killing could, cops now? Yeah, it, because nobody gets a hold of each other and, and does any notes. And I think that this is a book that after it's done and we get down the line, this is just going to be looked at as a side book that really didn't do anything Overall, it's this little thing, but it's not doing enough for even that. I think, but I just want to. Is it? Is it? I don't know if it's entirely Rosenberg's fault because, like, there's no way he would be writing a story where the Joker's are going to have a war in Gotham that perfectly coincides with the Gotham. Yeah, war no, story. he wouldn't have even known that at that time. That, that definitely, like, he started the deal beforehand. So, yeah, I don't think that it would have been possible. But he could have tweaked it a little, and they had the time. editor should come in and they should have told him to tweak it. But where 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 were the ed- where are the editor? That's the biggest thing. That's with this the book. biggest Maybe problem with DC. He needs an editor. Yeah, he they need an because again, while I have been really hard on this book to a point where I almost ended up going in because the Eric who I record with normally he lives two blocks away. I actually was going to shut down my and go and beat him up. I was so <laughs> mad that he liked the one issue more. Like I'm like, how could you like this? I was so furious. Right. So with that though. You are kind of right. The idea that one of the biggest problems at DC right now is editorial. They are stretched thin, but they're really not great at their job anyway. You don't have a lot of old-time editors left. Nobody seems to be a caretaker of either character or continuity. So you end up having stuff like this. And so when you get to it, though, maybe with a little tightening the screws, this could have been something 
you know, better. You could have had a tighter story. You could have been tell, but that's the thing. I think this is Matthew Rosenberg just kind of showing up and doing what he wants, and it's meandering. It's, yeah, it's I think with minor rewrites, this entire series could be sitting at a six or a seven for me. Yeah, yeah, and maybe for me five maybe a six or seven there's been some of the issues that are okay it's just, my whole play is just at the end of every issue i'm just like we didn't get very far and it was starting to infuriate me and when you get to issue 10 and you're like yeah we still it, it almost feels like this issue might be starting you know what at issue 10 you can't have that feeling this should be where we're heading to the stretch run instead issue of starting felt like yeah that. yeah it's every, eight felt but you like say that. that every time you read it it feels like it's kind of getting going again but it's it's the two steps forward one step back or vice versa but yeah so in this you end up the joker finds out that the other joker has returned or come back and come into gotham and he's ripping apart all of the henchmen he's taking out everybody and so he ends up freaking out. But the big thing here, and it's such a, again, after all this time to have Shockey say, oh, hey, Joker, it's me. What's up? Hey, you know, what's going on? Are you being attacked? Is this other? Oh, no, I'm fine. But I think I figured out. I know who that other Joker is. I, I know who it is. Who is it, Shockey? Tell me. Nah, I'm going to tell you when I see you because I want to see your face. I'm like, no, don't play this game after all this time. I know that that's kind of the game of it. But it's still infuriating. And then he gets bludgeoned, but he survives. And so when they gather him up and Joker's desperately trying to figure out what to do, how to work this out, how to get going, he really just wants to talk to Shockey and say, who the hell is this guy? Who is he? And he ends up saying, you, again, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna have you know these. That's one of those lines and, that I can I can I can see Rosenberg in the shower being like, "Oh, dude, it's great." This one, right? Oh, yeah. dude, this one hits. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of times in this in the whole series, maybe getting me mad again. I don't want to picture him in the shower too much, but <laughs> I think that there's a point where during the script writing for the series, he may have had to put his arm in a sling because he was patting his back so damn much. He's like, "Oh man, that's gonna get him." I'm like, oh, I, I just tweaked something. And so when you get to it, like, you're getting this, I, I get this anger of you're not telling us the story, and now you're going to play around with it. And I do, again, I'm fearful that the end is going to be that, like, jokey, like, he'll have, like, a punchline joke at the end of, like, and then you didn't realize this is that and this. Ha <laughs> ha. And you're like, go fuck yourself. Like, what did you do? You didn't tell a story. Hopefully that's not the case. But at this point, you said a six or seven, you can have, if it with ends, rewrites. Uh, yeah, if it ends up, and I'm saying, like, right now they're going to rewrite some stuff and we're going to get a great ending. Like, at this point, editorial comes in or he has this idea, right? And he's like, I'm going to hit it. I think that a perfect next two issues still wouldn't get me to like this series because of all the shit we got up to this. But, yeah, from the start, it could have been a lot better, a little tighter. Oh, yeah. I don't get it. And and I, I said when we first got on and we were talking before we recorded, the idea that it, it does really feel like this is like Matthew Rosenberg at DC. They really were hoping and trying to make him be that kind of Tynan replacement when Tynan left. They had him, you know, because he was kind of involved in that Joker book. And then this one trying to do some stuff, and a little wacky stuff as well, side stuff. But he's not been hitting with me at all for the most part. And this book especially just makes me angry when I read it because of how little we get. But then we end up where, again, that's the big thing, where Shockey says you and then kind of passes out, dies, whatnot. And so you don't know if he was going to continue like you wouldn't bet it. Or is he just saying it's you, which I said it would probably be from the beginning. But you end up where Joker's losing it. What? Who? What? And then he walks and then he sees Albert, this 
kid with the Wonder Woman books and he's there and and this becomes the big thing where, oh, I'm just reading these books and in the comics everybody comes together and it's about hope and dreams and Joker ends up, ah, that's not my thing. I was shocked that that seemed like, because it's set up to be the end of the issue. And and I'm like, are we missing something? And then because then we go to the backup, which then is, I think, my favorite backup that we've had since the beginning of this series. I well, I think, think I think it's one of the only ones that heavily tied into the plot. <laughs> exactly. That's why. <laughs> and at first I actually, because I'm so set in a way of, oh, these backups, they, they drive me insane. They're so bullshit. I get the, the idea of them. He's even said in interviews, this was the crazy, you know, golden age, silver age, mainly silver age ways of, hey, what if there were multiple jokers? We could get at this, but baby, that, this. So when we get into this, I'm still in that mode. But then by the end, I almost got mad. Like, oh, you're you're trying to make fun of all of us in this. But then when you get that, le- oh, you're actually telling a story. Okay. That I actually thought, finally, I actually liked a, a backup in this because it's basically the Joker making a guy who he ends up the Joker gases. It's funny, too, because he ends up, they're doing this attack, Joker gas going, and one of the henchmen didn't put the mask on right. And that is kind of funny. I mean, they're, they even had them like, Hey, boss, like Gaggy's like, you got to help this guy. Like, this guy's <laughs> choking over here. He, he, the mask, he's up and on. And, and finally, at the one point, Joker just says, listen, I don't have time for some jerk off who can't put his mask on. But then he kind of realizes, oh, wait a second. And this is a way for him to take him the pig to make another Joker in this way, like a multiplicity. So he could do more things and take, you know, he, he could spread out, maybe even have some time off. And I like that. That's funny. The idea that he's going to go with that, you have Pig, and they go up. But again, Joker is a guy in my mind, I don't know if you agree, but somebody that's just like him, he's definitely going to hate that person. Like, the idea oh, of yeah. he met somebody that was like, but to have an opposite him and have the, not even opposite, the same going around, it's not going to work out well because it's going to drive him nuts eventually. I thought it would be the idea of, oh, man, that other Joker, he's great. Like, that guy's the best. But it ends up that he kind of oversteps his bounds. He ends up killing Gaggy, it looks like. Gaggy Gaggy dies like 8 million times <laughs> each month of this. But, and I love Gaggy. I think that he's great. Jack and Apes, I love as well. But at this oh, point, I did, I did up, like, and I think it was in issue 9, they were like, we got you, Jack and Apes. But we didn't know what that meant, so we just got you a gorilla. And I love that. And I love. And the thing is, the weird play is, I really like Gaggy and Jack and Apes in small doses, which you can say you get in the backup, but having it in all the backups at points, I do kind of okay get. But this, I I actually laughed at. So then you turn it into the idea where the Joker's pissed that this Joker he made ended up overstepping his bounds, and they do end up putting a bag on his head and shooting him in a little different way, but kind of the same of how this happened and whatnot. For them to go and see, oh wait, the issue wasn't over. This was, I don't know why the story, the funny play is, would be in a Wonder Woman book, but I like the idea that he's actually reading like Wonder Woman 800 and it's not in there. He's just thinking, he's so crazy that he's like, I think this is about me. But he ends up saying, oh, I get it. This is incredible. Comic books are magical. Of course, I know who he is. I made him. And okay, that's that's a crazy deal. You're getting some kind of information. We'll see how, but it's a Joker, and you never know if Matthew Rosenberg is, is he going to play that game on the next issue. I mean, would you be that shocked? I mean, you get the next issue and they don't even reference this. <laughs> He's doing some other. No, pre- they better <laughs> no. not. But they, I wouldn't be shocked. But hopefully, this is the idea 
okay, let's see what happens. But if it ends up being like that whole wink, wink meta thing of, oh, comic books made real. I did this. I did that. They got that. I need more than that. I hope that there's a really solid idea of how to end this. But I did like the art. I love Frank Avila's art. And I did like that backup more than I've had of any because it felt like it meant something. Right. I mean, that was the biggest. Yeah, no. Play. And well, I mean, all of the backups are like colored so nicely that like there's the there's the one it's the full page spread joker's heads in the middle what a bane you got a classic bane design classic ran i was like really thoroughly impressed with the art so how do we how do we score things on the channel here it's one to ten whatever you want to give it uh i know it's five points no here's the thing you could do it any way you want the way that we play it is that people i just give a gut feeling and and again at the end of an issue but i you know we've done this a while but the idea of I think this is blank, you know, my score. And it's pretty much just overall how I felt about it at the end. You want me to get my score first? Yeah, you can go, you can go people, first. People who have been listening to the podcast might be shocked because I've been pretty low. I mean, real low on this book. Uh, I'm giving you a six. I could even go to a six five if that if you would convince me. But I'm around that six six five mark because Ooh, it funny. did feel like something was going on here. While we kind of meandered to get to it, I thought that there were some fun parts, and I did like the backup more than I have since this book started. So I'm I'm going to go 6.5. Now that I talked about it, I think 6.5 is for me. What would you give it? I'm going to say in the context of the week that it came out, because I think there weren't really a ton of winners this week from DC. Um, or when I say winners, I mean like you you should read this. Like you should really read this comic book. Um, I'm giving it a 5. Yeah, so you're even worse than me. I yeah, man, the entire up, time yeah. I was reading this, I was like, ah, cool. I really <laughs> want to read this Shazam issue, though. Yeah, you're like, I really like that city boy, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, again, I don't expect anything from this and that the idea at the end, while it looks like it's going to be something that might infuriate me, at least we're getting somewhere. And that may just be from that fact of, you got to end this. We're ending at 12. But also, why is this care. comic book $6? It's, it, because it's ridiculous. That's why. Because God. it's the Joker. There's no reason why. There's so many things wrong with this crappy comic. <laughs> I'm down to a six. You convinced me. You, I'm, you, sorry. I'm telling you that I usually don't, but you're right. It's six dollars. Makes no sense. That backup usually is. It's cool. Hey, look at that art. But you don't need to add the price and tell a story. You can't sit there through all that. People have paid sixty dollars up till now to get this <laughs> and uh, you know bullshit that's bullshit is what it is but we're gonna move on to the next book which here's the thing too just to go and, and actually tell you the history of the weird science and poison ivy when it first started it was a really gritty weird play that it felt like g willow wilson was coming in to pretty much define what poison ivy would be we've had a lot of you know people arguing should she be a hero should she be a villain a lot of the stuff got really wacky from heroes in crisis from there, we had many series. What's she going to be? You ended up having, you know, evil Queen Ivy with the power. Oh, my powers. You had a lot of things that seemed like, oh, man, this is a crazy focus series to try to get what would be the definitive version going forward. That's when it was a mini series. Then it was extended to be a maxi series because surprise, surprise, it seemed to sell. It's hard to get real concrete numbers, but people seem to be buying it. And so they extended it to a, a maxi. And then all shit went weird. It started to change tone. It started to be a little more goofy. You end up getting Janet from HR involved. And then when they decided they'd make it a full-out ongoing series, I don't know what the hell this book's about. I, I get the idea in Poison Ivy. If you love her, you want to have a book out there for it. 
But this book is so weird. Each issue to be like, okay, what are we going to do? Oh, we're going to play the idea of going to this crazy retreat with ladies that becomes eyes wide shut out of nowhere. And then you're going to yell about vaccines. Then you're going to have this. And then they're going to have lab equipment and a a mansion. There's so many wacky things going on in this. When it did feel now, I say all that. I didn't love the tone at the beginning. I thought it was a little too over the top vicious. And Ivy seemed to be completely insane where she's like, I don't like people who eat that, you know, blue agave jelly and I'm going to kill. I'm like, you're going too far with this. But it felt like it was going somewhere. And since then, I really think this book is just like, hey, we're going to tell wacky stories. Jennifer (laughs) Mayhew is kind of the one of points the the head, the main star. Even had that a bit in the night shows. (laughs) Going into this. How have you liked it up until now? I, I've talked a lot okay. about how I liked it. Well, how? What is your, you know, until ideas? issue thirteen? This book is getting a two from me. Yeah, yeah. You're only reading this if you are a DC fan. Or I mean, there are Uber Poison Ivy fans. I mean, these people will read anything. But it, it, at points, it felt like it, they wouldn't like it. But they, I don't get it. I have been pretty low, pretty low on this book, but. In in this deal, me and you both talked, I'll, I'll give the whole credits here. And, and one of the problems, though, that we're going to have and going forward with a lot of people when you get out of night terrors, you end up two months, book shut down, really does put the brakes on the dawn of DC and some of the really good books that are just getting started. Like you mentioned, Shazam, you just got started. And that stopped Green Lantern, just started, got stopped Green Arrow, all these. So when you come out of a two-month story event, they say, Do you expect it to mean something, especially in books that seem to set up something? The the Poison Ivy seemed to set up that we were going to get into this issue and they were going to at least come out of the most of them set at the end of the Night Terrors books, issues two of the time. You know, hey, come and see Night's End. You're not going to get bullshit, but we'll pretend you will. That's what I think (laughs) they should have wrote. But Poison Ivy just ended with a, hey, see you next time. And even it's like, hey, this is what's next. And it felt like it would be leading into this. And maybe there's a weird timing that we'll get, but it, it won't make sense from here. But it is Poison Ivy number 14. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, what a bunch I of mean, nonsense. my <laughs> thoughts is maybe the publishing schedule got shifted. So originally when they were releasing it, Night Terrors was going to end. And then it was going to pick up with IB 15 or 16 is my only guess. Because 14 is a direct continuation of 13. Yeah. And the the funny play, that's what I was like saying. You agree, I think, the idea. If we get to issue 16, and then they're like, oh, man, just woke up from that night. It's going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? And the reason why I really say it, unless I missed it, you would, you should really have an editor's note. Editor's note, this takes place before Night Terrors. This issue takes place, and then so when we get to it, we realize, and they've done that. There, there has been some things like that, but... It is Poison Ivy number 14, written by G. Will Wilson, Marceo Takara on art, Arif Priano on colors, letters by Hassan Atsameel Huau. And when you get into this, I always have, like, the art enough. Gets a little, at, at points it does get a little wonky. You end up wanting to have this, like, you know, almost like you're, you know, dropping acid at points. And it happens again in this issue, and I don't really get what but it fully was going on at some points because of that. But you want... Ivy, I get, right? You're you're getting a Poison Ivy book. And really what this ends up being is a story where Ivy's walking around. She really wants that hunting shed in the swamp. She's doing her deal. And then it just shifts to Janet from HR. Why is Janet from HR the main focus? And and did you laugh? Because what Ivy does, she ends up saying, oh, Undine, I know this name. I got to figure it out. 
she has enough of a she says that her internet is bad in in the shack but but she can call still so she called the only reason jennifer from hr gets involved is because ivy calls her and says please look up this stuff which then sets up the story for janet at hr i don't want to see janet from hr i, I just it, it's not janet from hr book legitimately i don't know if you look at the reviews uh on like comic roundup there is a blurb this week that i said might be my favorite blurb ever it made me laugh where this person said i love this ivy book so much and when are we going to get the janet from hr miniseries i'm like if you're waiting no, for that janet no. from hr miniseries you're going to wait for a long time can you imagine them trying to sell that janet from hr in, in a new book wacky stuff i'm like there's no way but really like you don't get much of ivy except again this like over narration of what it is like to be ivy and villain versus hero type i'm trying to think i think there was one cool ivy thing obviously i think the ending of this was actually cool and it did tie in to 13 there was like one cool ivy thing in here what the fuck was it she oh she follows the pheromone footprint trail she ends up having like her own version of you know breadcrumbs that she ends up being able to do that was cool and she said but in the meantime she's like hey jennifer from hr I need you to go to this undine place. You're going to end up applying for a job and says you're great at it. You're the best job getter. This is the worst interview ever. (laughs) This would be like me and somehow I'm like, hey, uh, there's an opening over at Twitter or X, right? I'm like, oh, that's cool. So like, oh, what's up? What's going on? Like, where's Elon? I want to meet Elon Musk. Like, she's right away in this interview. That literally literally happens. Yeah. Well, Mr. Udine was a hero of mine in business school. Is there <laughs> any way I could, say. I don't know, pop yeah. by his office and say hi? I, I <gasps> love it. This lady's like, stalker, and that puts it in the trash can. And even then, you get this weird, because the story has to be set up now through Janet from HR. So it's a bad interview where, hey, can I go meet him? No, actually, you can't. He's got a weird schedule. But hey. I don't know about you, but there. why is this HR person for Undine starting to talk about, you know what, there's a lot of wacky talk about us doing weird stuff on the job site. And and it's all to set up maybe that, that she thinks that Janet is a reporter. You're still going too far. You just tell her to get the fuck out. You're like, okay, that's it. Nice interview. We'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Leave. Now they waltz around this whole place talking about the idea. Yeah, people have these accusations that Undine is, has... These new sites he has to hide talks. Why would you bring this up to anybody, let alone somebody you don't know, that just applied for a job? And, and then she says at the end, yeah, you might, you know, be a reporter. And then, well, you just gave him like six well, headlines. This is, yeah, this is the with. worst fucking receptionist oh, of my all God. time. We're aware of the accusations that this building site hide talks that ways all false, of course. Like, what? You, you're, don't, you're, don't tell them. Yeah, don't put that idea in anybody's head. I love it. It's not even like Janet from HR. And I, I always laugh saying that because that's legitimately what they go with her character name, Janet from HR. Janet from HR never said like, oh, man, like I've heard weird things, but I don't believe them because Undine, he's my hero. No, she just they see some pictures. And then Janet says, like, like the idea, oh, can I get a hard hat and work on site? Like I, I can work a backhoe. I don't know how, but I think I can do it. And like, no, no, no. Like. Again, why what are you doing are you this? For? Yeah, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> the best is, is I do think like she does say this lady that she's talking to is like the HR person for Undine. There's Janet, who's an HR. Pre- There's no way this person they're going to be hiring the replacement. Get them. So she's like, I can work on the site. Oh, well, you know, on site, they say we're hiding chemicals. Oh, really? It, it is one of those things. It is a Simpsons-esque deal. 
Vi- you would in video game dialogue. Yeah, you would have Mr. Burns end up saying to some EPA guys, oh, you must be here because of all that nuclear waste we have hidden. And then they say, oh, no, no, we're just here for, okay, forget I just said that and they move on. Like, that's what it's, it's so bad. But while that's going on, you just have Ivy walking through the shack trying to figure out, it, it doesn't make sense. It's really, but like you said, at the end, she, Willow Wilson is able to at least throw something in that you're like, all right, but why is it that, I don't know, you know we haven't talked until now. Uh, to me, lately, a lot of times, a cliffhanger isn't to me like, oh my God, that makes so much crazy sense. I want to see what happens and you want to go to the next issue because we'll continue the course. It ends up where when you get to cliffhanger, I'm like, where the fuck did we get nothing before that? Like, that's the only thing that ends up in a book. Like, oh, that was cool. But what about before? What about leading up to it? What about all that? And it just, it keeps doing that. But Jennifer, I'll even let you go because Jennifer from HR, she's like, okay, well, that didn't go really great. I'm going to now walk down this alley and get attacked by Batman. Like, but, Dude, ba- what? that's what I wanted to talk about. This Batman makes little to no <laughs> sense, let alone <laughs> that this entire Janet from HR, I just counted the pages. It is a third of the entire book. Um, this character's a funny bit sometimes. Like, if I had a one-issue story in an April Fool's issue or whatever. You could go with that. I could go with that. This character can be a side character Poison Ivy can talk to. Like, the extent of Janet's involvement in this specific issue should have been Ivy calling or telling her to find her some information. And then hanging up and going back to and the going warehouse. And doing things, yeah. Not picking up this entire middle story. And then just to have Batman, who theoretically, until we get an editor's note, should be fighting the Gotham War right now. But just seems to be making infinite time for these people. Yeah. And here, I'll go here. And you're more continuity than me. If somebody said to us, like, we might think this happens before Night Terror. So they're like, oh, no, no. Well, the Gotham War wouldn't have started. Then I'm like, well, then Batman wouldn't be there anyway. Because he'd be still in the fail-safe, you know, world without a, a Batman and that yeah. Gotham. Like, So Batman showing up here throws it off no matter how much you look at where it would be. And plus, in this, again, you have artificially set up a reason to make the focus on Janet with that call. Hey, I need you to go and apply for this, apply for that. But then when Batman shows up to warn Janet, I think Batman has better things to do. This is like a signal job. Yeah, y- yeah, and you're <laughs> you're ele- you're elevating Janet in that weird way of having Batman real concern for her. Oh my God, you can't get involved with these bad guys. You can't. Get- oh, and he, you, you know what I mean? Like the Batman would be somebody would go, "Hey, what about that Janet from HR?" It's like, listen, I got a lot on my plate right now. I don't need to think about Janet from HR. Janet it's, from HR. It's ridiculous. <laughs> And I'd like to say, is the the middle name and her last name's HR? It's a real <laughs> weird name. I don't get it. Uh, but even in this all deal, you even have before where Janet, there was that play that might have been interesting. Hey, what is what is Ivy and Janet going to do? What is Harley going to think? Harley and, and Pam together on oh, yeah, that? Well, They're now, be now Harley's just making out with Janet. Yeah. This issue. And, and you played at the beginning where it seemed like, and I thought, okay, I don't need this book to be full jokey. But if you have Harley and you get a little wacky, I thought that it would have been a funny play through this where Poison Ivy, right? She said, oh, my friend Jennifer from HR, my girlfriend Harley. Oh, man, they get along so well. Every time Poison Ivy leaves, Harley's trying to kill Janet. Janet's <laughs> trying to get, and then saying like, man, because she says to Poison Ivy, Pam, I don't know. I think Harley and she almost I think Harley's trying to kill me. And Pam would never. Oh, you're crazy. Harley's just crazy. There could have been a really fun play. And set up the deal that finally 
with things that go on that Harley does take a liking to Janet, that you set that up, earn that. But in this, they just start making out. They just start the minute they're together because you end up having Janet hit Batman with her purse and run away. And then Harley grabs her. Oh, my God, you hit Batman with a purse. This feels weird, too, with the overall continuity. Not just the stories going on, but Harley being accepted more as a Bat family member. And now all of a sudden she's like, oh, you don't want to get near them. And everything's wacky. And then they start making out just to cause more friction and have the idea of Pam trying to get a hold of them. Oh, man, I don't have a signal. Oh, crap. Oh, my. But then you do end with that play of what is going on, what on earth's happening. And then you end up having the end with the villain coming in that I originally thought, like, even with what it led into this or whatnot, that it looks a lot like Mr. Bloom used to in the New 52, which kind of made me laugh. But did you like Very the- fair. But, like, we already know who this villain is, right? who this villain's related to. So it doesn't even feel like they're introducing a new villain to me. It just feels like this is the evil business guy. And the evil business guy does evil business things. And evil why I didn't things. just yeah. kick the shit out of Killer Croc and kick him out of a slot is beyond me. It's so weird, this, like, connection. You have to be there. But like you said, even when you – it's such a, like, there are ways to do, you know, horror-type stories, tension building and things, and even not horror. But the idea of – everything's telegraphed. And then when you get to the end, like you said, this isn't – it's cool that you get this, but you're not like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't think of it. You're like, that's what I thought would happen. Okay. And then you move on. But again, the – the uh, excitement of maybe a story happening is like, that's what I get from the cliffhanger. Oh, it's like the Joker. The men have stopped laughing when you get to an ending and you go, oh, man, this will be cool. We'll finally get a story. It's not a great thing to say about a book, but that shows because I haven't liked the book. If the medium is getting as much art and as much story into the consumer's hands as possible, that's pretty much how this medium works. When we go to the comic book shop every week, we know there might be one great issue that we want to tell everybody about. And there'll be like three issues that are, I, I like I like this series, and there's going to be a couple ones that are off. Yeah, yeah. And and again, what the greatest thing is, and, and I'm learning it even more because I've been in this like insulated cocoon here of talking to one guy for 500 episodes. So I know what, I read the books, and when I would be, and, and Eric and me would go to record, when I would go to read, I'm like, Oh, he's going to like this one or man, they did that. I'm not going to like that. He's going to hate that. And it usually is right. So it ends up where recording with a lot of people and just to let everybody know, I mean, legitimately, it is crazy. Me and you never talked before we started recording. We talked a little before we recorded, but we have never talked and you never, you know, knew me or anything. So it is a crazy deal, but I'm glad that I'm doing it. I'm having a lot of fun. And me and you talking about this here, it does give a different perspective. Unfortunately, me and you kind of not don't like these books, but yeah. you kind of like things more. I'll tell everybody you're a sus Tom King fan. I'm yes. not a real big fan, but I don't. I hear. Let me just come out to the community right now. You know, this is a big moment. <laughs> yes, I like Tom King. Yeah, you like Tom <laughs> King, and that's fine. There's a lot of people who listen to the podcast, and even in our Slack chat and things like that, they love Tom King, and I'll, I'll argue with them, and we'll talk about things. But that's fine. That's what makes it fun. But the thing is, going through these books, like. I'm not going to lie about it. And I, again, I, you can tell people before we started, did I give you any sort of rules or there are no rules. I didn't tell you, you can't be this. You can't do that. You can't no, do that. No, you just, you were just like, let's talk about the books. And here we are talking about the books. I mean, the funny thing, you didn't even know how we were going to score them because I forgot to tell you anything like that because no. yeah, we just go into it. And <laughs> if you hate something, you hate it, you like it, like it. But I am 
kind of finding it interesting talking to people who, whether they agree with me or not, I, I actually like to talk to people who don't quite agree with me because it gives me a different perspective. And again, me and you don't like this book, but what did you think about this issue? <laughs> it's just not enough issue in the issue. Yeah. I want, I, I, we've yet to see Poison Ivy like actually fight, fight. We've seen her use her powers. We've seen her mildly scuffle with people, but I mean, the fight with Batman in issue 13 was a waste. They ended up just talking and Batman walks away. And I'm like, why would you walk away? And why are you here also? I don't know. And and you, we didn't bring up the deal, too, with that. Like you said, it's a direct continuation, this issue, which it should be. But we had two months in between because it was shut down. That is something we really got to note. And that threw me off everybody. at the beginning. Yeah. And it's, again, one of the biggest killers of a story is a delay. It's it's unfortunate. And this then DC just voluntarily delayed. Yeah, it's a most weird play. Of their line. Exactly. And so it's it's not anybody's fault. So DC isn't their idea. But, you know, <laughs> you, you end up if you read the JSA book, the delays kill you. You're like, oh, my God, this is so, but then you keep waiting and it, it does less. And, and I think that this book, especially when I got back to it. OK, what happened? Oh, man. And everything seemed just a little even less. I didn't like it before. And when I'm reading, I'm like, this would have been a deal. And I. I don't know if you'd agree, but if I was actually buying books, if I was putting down money, pull list, full out, I would have dropped the Joker and this. I just, even with the Joker just ending, I know it'd be weird to drop it two issues left, but I would just been like, all right, I would go through. I don't really need that. It, it really does show like, yeah, I wasn't getting enough. It really pointed that out. When I get into this, I'm like, yeah, that, that, that delay really hurt a book that I wasn't even enjoying. We're only having to read this series because DC makes the best possible variants for Poison Ivy. People love the variants. I just got to come out and say it. Like, I mean, I buy only the variant covers for this series. All of the variants have been excellent. So we're just going to have to be stuck with this book for a little while. Like, I'm even looking at the cover to this book right now because I bought the variant. Mm-hmm. You're that it's person. Gorgeous. It's perfect. You're the one yeah, that gets the those devil. sales up. You're the one who made it from a mini series <laughs> to a maxi to an ongoing. You son of a bitch! I knew it was somebody. Else. Actually, when I used to say because I used to do even with the sus numbers, it was tough to really like. They're really like anecdotal now, so it's it's hard to really. But you get trends and things. And I used to say when I did a podcast about the sales, the idea of like it, it amazes me what's going on with this ivy. And then I looked into it, and then somebody actually did even say it's only up there because the variants, the variants yeah. are incredible, and it's really that sort of thing. I think which I have. Is fine. Um, in my house, I have like the command strips on the back of the the plastic bags for the comic books. I think I have issue twelve of Poison Ivy up right now. So there you go. And and the weird play of the two is that's what people were saying initially on Teeny Howard's Catwoman run as well. That like there was a thing. lot of really cool, really cool variants, and people were grabbing. I'm them buying both. variants for Teeny Howard's Catwoman as well. Yeah, oh, that that's that's and that series is series. rough. <laughs> oh my god! When we had originally texted, I was like a couple weeks ago, and I was getting ready. Like I was reading, and I was like, I gotta figure like some positive things to say also, because like I know I could be Mister Negative, and I was like, if he asked me to read this Teeny Howard Catwoman, man, I'm not sure I'm gonna have here. Here's the thing. Anything. The Teeny Howard stuff that, and I, I haven't liked it. I mean, yeah, but it is kind of goofy fun in the point where at points when you're having Duchess the Cat deliver ramen noodles through the vents of a prison, <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. And I laugh. I, I gave Teeny Howard full credit of the idea that she's a nice lady who obviously never stepped foot in a prison, has no idea what prison is like or what they do there. So I said that that just shows she's a great person. I'm glad that I don't know much about prison life. 
But she doesn't know anything about anything. And her Harley, both those, Harley and the just wacky. So I don't know why they let her write those games. I don't know. At one point, I heard that it was because she hit deadlines and was nice. That, that oh, basically is it. I've so. heard that. I've had that. Like, I mean, I also know Dan DiDio. Um, it, it's pretty much what he told me and my comic book shop guy was like, we have no issues working with Teeny. Even if the like rarely the DC editors do say make a change, but when they do, Teeny just immediately does it. Yeah, that's what I heard. She's the perfect employee. At one point, I heard that about Steve Orlando, but then he started getting a little pissed off at things as well because I talked to him. But for the most part, he would hit deadlines. He'd be able, and deadlines are big. I mean, we don't, you know, you don't realize how much that is like way more important than oh my god, this is a story for the ages. They just need shit out and put out on the shelf on time. And yeah. the weird play is, is, I don't know if you saw where Nico Leone was kind of pissed off at Teeny Howard because she was late on a script and he was upset because they weren't giving him extra time to do the art. They ended up, and it was for Gotham War, and the, they ended up telling him like, okay, she's late, but you only have a week and a half to do the art. And he doesn't, he said on the tweet, he deleted it then, but he said, I, when I put out a book in the arts, my, if I put out a shitty book, that could really put a yeah. damper on my career. Like that's what people might end up seeing. And I don't want that. Then he realized that he was rocking the boat and probably got in trouble. But yeah, yeah but Teeny Howard, there you go. Nice lady. No, but I mean, he's, he's a thousand percent right. I mean, it is just this is a rare case with her where she was late. And she was probably late because I think Chip probably read her script and was like, fix it. And I think that's the case. I think that she never would do that when she's doing her own thing and everything's going timely. I think this was probably that. Yeah, Chip was like, no, nah, I don't like that. Let's set up this. And it was that. Cla- I don't think she even meant it to be like, oh, my God, I'm messing up or whatever she's probably like oh that's cool and probably just pretty pop but yeah he didn't seem very happy but then he deleted it but i i she seems like a nice person i just didn't her she books does. are a little little sus well, <laughs> you know, it's crazy we say that i did like the tales of the titans raven issue she did i thought it was a little it was okay thick on the dialogue but i was all right i liked it yeah, it was, it okay. was good I- i'll let you know that my man uh one of the friends that is in our slack and does part of our uh marvel podcast ruben he actually has uh, Sounders tickets, the Seattle uh, soccer, soccer team, yeah. team, that actually is like two seats from G. Willow Wilson, but he's afraid to say anything to her because he doesn't want to seem like a stalker. <laughs> and he had pictures. He's taking like undercover, like weird Look, it's her. I'm like, you seem like a stalker, even though you don't want to be. And he ends up saying that she's very nice as well, which I've heard that as well. So sometimes the idea of being nice doesn't mean that you're a great comic writer. Some people that people think that Mark Wade's an asshole. The guy can write a oh, comic. Oh, yeah, Mark so. Wade is like certifiably a dick. But he's so good at his job and he does. Yeah. Have you watched any of the other interviews he does? on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a dude. Yeah. Great interviewer. Yeah. He's actually like on our little he'll, he'll come to the site and yell at us about something In the review and stuff but he does it in a way He's passionate about it. He's, There he seems like not as much of it but he was kind of a dick But people you realize that At one point I thought that there's certain people That will never read a Mark Wade issue again But that's not the case when you write really good stuff People read it and, and they'll I'd, make I'd excuses. love to talk to that person right? They make <laughs> excuses about well I still don't like him But here we go because he's writing the best stuff Right well, now I don't see Mark Wade's not a person that's like he's an asshole, but he's not like he's not committing sexual crimes. He's not stealing from anybody. (laughs) Yeah. But man, he writes great issues. I think almost everything he's written, like 
He got me to cross the lines one time to read Marvel. That rarely happens. Um, that's the thing. I love what he's doing at DC. Some of the later stuff at Marvel, I was really starting to like, yeah, he's kind of losing it. And thought that- well, he doesn't like those characters. Dude. Yeah, I think he got reinvigorated and with the characters that he loves. And you can tell. You can, and that's the thing. That's all you need. We need people who know the characters and love them to do. At the point, I, I do like Chip Zdarsky. I, I was more of a fan before. But even so, I, does anybody like Batman anymore that's going to write him? Because a lot of times it just feels like everybody hates him. But um, I think Chip really likes Batman. Yeah, Actually, I think he I likes think Grant the, Morrison Batman. But yeah, yeah, I was about to say that. I yeah. think he kind of jumped on later, though. I think he read a different Batman. But all right, let's score this Poison Ivy real yeah, quick. Yeah, you give me your score, and then we'll get the hell out of here. <laughs> Going on to I don't care, but you go. What's your score? If I'm scoring the rest of the series up to date, everybody's just now hearing me talk about these for the first time. The rest of the series is a three, do not buy. Issue 13, for me, when it starts getting tolerable, is a is a five, and this one's back down to a four. I'm a four as well. That's what but I think. I, I think um, the momentum, there is a very minor amount of momentum in the Poison Ivy series. If the next book turns around and is a six, I'm not going to be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't but, be either. If it was a one, I wouldn't be surprised, because I never no, know I what the hell we're going to get. And I, I, It's <laughs> a weird play. As a last thing about this Poison, we'll get back to Poison Ivy after our filibustering the idea of this poison ivy book and it drives me nuts it's one of the things that drives me nuts about the nightwing tom taylor book this one in eisner i don't think it's telling much of a story but yet it is selling enough and it's being applauded so why change and that that's the thing that drives me nuts this poison ivy i want so much more from the book especially with ivy and i think g willow wilson can write it but yeah i I think so as well why change it why ruin what seems to be a formula that's working even though like it feels like a really bad formula but yet like i said with nightwing my favorite character dick grayson where i said i really liked it at first but then i I don't need a psa about how great the guy is i know he's great you told us this let's go but and but it sure works. Don't tell. It, it works for them, and that's the problem. That's what gets me mad about ten out of tens from every site. All that I can't. Tell. I, I I I don't. I think I could ten out of ten one comic book I've read this. Yeah, I can ten out of ten one book that I read this week only because I ended up reading Animal Man number five for another podcast, the uh, Coyote Gospel by Grant Morrison. That is that's a <laughs> classic. So I'll say that maybe that is, but. Yeah, it's it's tough. I really have to be like really hit. I meant like newer comics. Yeah, too, newer though. comics. I it's been a while. It's been a while since I gave a, a ten. I know you but... don't like my boy Tom King, but uh, Love Everlasting issue oh, four. Okay, people like that. I haven't been reading that, so I couldn't end Dude, up. You know, doing... the comic book guys, like the shops that I go to, I was asking them, like, what do you think? What do you like? Is anybody reading this? They're like, nobody's reading this. I'm like, this is amazing. I don't think people know about it. That's the problem. I, don't, I, I didn't know either until I was talking to one of the comic book shop guys, and I was like, really liked Miracle Man by Tom King. Really liked Sheriff of Babylon. I thought Supergirl was good. And he was like, oh, you got to read his image book. And I was like, oh, yeah. You're like, really? Uh-huh. I, I think I read it when I read the first issue when he did it, like the Substack deal, and he, he released it ahead of time, uh, the deal. on. And I ended up reading it. It was okay. It just wasn't for me. But yeah, I'm not a real Tom King fan like you. But, but still, it got to I, issue 10, and then they were like, we're going to do a hiatus, and then we'll come back to get to issue 30. And then I read issue 10, and I was like, they're never coming back. Yeah, that's it. That's the series. It's over. It was fun. It was good. <laughs> it was good. Well, last <laughs> well, at least you have something to enjoy. I'm looking right now. I just wanted to see that. Yeah, there's a ten for this Poison Ivy book. There's no way there's a ten for this. There's always Poison a ten. Ivy. There's like this week, uh, Birds of Prey, which we already talked about, which is it's a fine start. Uh, there's a review that gave it a ten and says that you win an Eisner already. 
I don't even think you should be allowed to grade number one issues. It, it's weird. You can, I think that you can, but you almost have that play that a lot of times you, you can't grade it in a way that you think that everything's going to work out down the line. That that seems to be yeah. a weird play. I mean, you can go back and rate a number one issue, but if I have to just, if you're just like, tell me what you think about the new Birds of Prey right now. Where do you think, where do you think it's going? Everything. You need a score for the entire series right now, man. I'm giving it low. <laughs> All-time classic. People are already all-time classic. There's it only can't few be. Issues. It yeah, can't can't. Gail Simone literally wrote the all-time classic Birds of Prey series. This is really trying to grab some stuff from it, but doing it in a wacky way, I thought. That it should have been explained more. But again, I already talked about that, but I didn't yeah. end up doing that. But yeah, uh, yeah, we're both not so big on But actually, a four is, is an upgrade for both of us for this issue. So there you go. But thank you so much for joining me again gian give a shout out i asked you before if you had anything to plug but you want to give a shout out to your comic book store which is awesome oh yeah let me just give a shout out to randall at south tampa comic books he needs to redo i think they need to redo the name on the shop but uh it's a growing store randall's the best comic book shop guy in tampa they're putting up some new key issues in the back the dollar room is huge and full the minor key issue boxes are pretty full right now even though i picked through some of them today but it's a great business, man. Anybody in Tampa should go there for their comic books. Awesome. And if you send me a link, and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes so that if anybody's in the area, we'll put a link if he has a website or whatever sort of social media that yeah, they sounds have. Good, I'll man. give that. R- Randall's all upset right now that you said he has to change the name. Like, well, what are you, what are you jerk? <laughs> Next thing, he, he changes it all right. But with that, thanks again. Thanks for joining me. And yeah, if you want to keep coming on, We'll keep doing it. And, and even when Eric decides to eventually come back, I think that there's a lot of books that we're expanding on that me and Eric wouldn't necessarily talk uh, about. We can go some, back because I'm sure you and me, like, raw retro run of comic books is small. Yeah, so we could do stuff like we'd that. We go and back I mean, and do that. Like, I just read Hellblazer Volume 1. Okay, that's awesome. So, yeah, we'll figure out something even then, but that might be a while from now. So, yeah, no, I'm cool coming on. I think that now you've earned a little bit. We've now two books, 52 minutes. That's pretty good. It's crazy. I, again, I, you probably don't know at one point we had legitimately each week a 10 to 12 hour podcast each week. So this is not anything that crazy. We start getting diarrhea of the mouth, but in that though, it's a podcast. We have some other books that we would never talk about that I'm sure that me and you are both reading that we could do down the line. But I will certainly upgrade you. You're now on the level B of books. <laughs> and then so next time when you're on, we will be talking about something a little better than The Joker, The Man Who Steps Laughing and Plays Ivy. I promise we'll just We'll see what they Maybe. give us for next week. That is true. And really, your biggest sin is that you read everything, and that's what I need because nobody's reading this shit. So me and you might be there together again but we'll see we'll see how it goes thanks Gigi. and we're gonna move on right now i believe to actually some manga which is a crazy but the new dc manga superman versus meshi all right and here i am with my man luke hollywood what up luke what up Jim? and when i talk to luke especially on this crazy podcast first off I end up getting bored maybe or get angry oh but i also goodness. have to say that it means that we're talking manga which Ooh. probably gets other people bored and angry, but here we are. We have Superman versus Meshi, one of, one of our favorites, right? The best one. It is, it is pretty good. It is funny. And when you end up reading this, you do have to go through, and we talked about it last week or the last time we talked about this, but also the Bat Baby, Batman Joker deal, mm-hmm. that you kind of have to go in a different state of mind. Oh, yeah. Vibes are different with this one. This Superman versus Meshi. Please, when you go to read this, if you do, and actually me and you 
I think are starting a grassroots, you know, movement. It started with Meshi. Yeah. Everybody seems to be buying the physical copy <laughs> now and everything. I'm like, oh, awesome. If we so, get this one on like the top 10 bestsellers, is our work is uh, be the great. That is our work will be complete. That'll be like an Eric 10 out of 10, even though he didn't need to do that to quit <laughs> recently, I guess. I don't know. Oh. The state of mind you have to go in, because again, we said this isn't going to be your biggest, baddest Superman story ever. This no. isn't a crisis level. And deal. this isn't even deep. Like the Joker can get deep sometimes. This just Superman versus Superfood. Yeah, you just go into this and have to come to the idea okay, Superman does not do much else but pretend <laughs> to, to, you know, fly off to lunch and then he goes to Japan and ends up eating food. He's cheap. He loves everything. He, he, he sure really is a Japanese food. And when he eats too much, he, he gets the heat vision orgasm. Uh-oh. And we have talked about it. I'm sure that some people who are manga fans will probably be like, well, actually, you know, that play. But it is very much like Food Wars. And you even play oh, yeah. it off in this issue of it, uh, mainly because he has that heat vision orgasm. Again, somebody's probably like, oh, I think it's actually like some other food manga. But the big one being Food Wars, he even seems to. You know, pirate maybe steal straight a, off the ship a food kind of worst manga deal. But we start off where he is trying to make his you know pleasure business. He is trying to write this article about the deal, or I don't know, is that it, or is he just where he's trying to just do a regular article and get his mind off that tasty Japanese food? He has three words that he said. This is a guy who's maybe a hungry man (laughs) and wants to go to lunch. Yeah, he always wants to go to lunch. Something comes up in this issue that me and you drink sometime in the world. Me and you never really kind of got one of the plays here because it's odd, but he ends up where he's thinking Man, I'm really hungry. I'm always craving this Japanese food. Why is that? He seems to think he's the only one that would crave it, but he's obsessed. And he says, what is wrong with me? Maybe it's because I'm Superman. He actually thinks that because he's Superman, he's different from everyone else. I'm from the planet Krypton, and it turns out they all really, really like Japanese Japanese food. Japanese food. He hasn't really found that, like... I love the way that Superman goes through this. And even when he doesn't get what he thought he ordered or he orders wrong. or they It's bring, never a bad. It's like, never he, bad. Like, no matter how dramatic the situation turns out, he's always satisfied with the end result. Yeah. Now, this is where this is a weird play for me. He is working late, right? There is Superman at the Daily Planet. Jimmy mm-hmm. comes in and says, oh, my God. And I love the idea. Superman, everybody seems to be gone. It's like 9 p.m. You're supposed to, and he still only has three words for a deal. <laughs> he cannot write anything. Oh, man, Superman, you're still working. You'll miss lunch. Now, I guess he says, you know, it's lunchtime, but it's weird. I guess. I'm, but here's my play of it. The timing doesn't work, and it never would have worked before. No. But we never even thought the idea of he's going to have to, if he's going for, quote, unquote, lunch in Japan, that's not going to be lunch at the Daily Planet. There's a weird time frame, which does come into play here. But again, it's a weird. I don't get it because Jimmy says you're still working. You'll miss lunch. But then they do Midnight play with lunch. that time. Debt. Yeah, I, I, it's weird. But the whole play of this is that Jimmy's like, man, I just got back from an awesome lunch. It was so <laughs> good. I love the idea that you see this lunch of Lois's and it's nowhere near 
Like, it Anything. looks like the most bland. The fancy club sandwich, but a club like, sandwich it don't look like it's going to be filling up the super anytime soon. It's a club sandwich with with an espresso or something there, and I like where he looks at this, but he doesn't end up being intrigued by the lunch. And who would? That, that looks. No. It doesn't look good. Me. Uh, he ends up being intrigued because what is this pictograph app you are talking about? And the, the so Lois takes the pictures too. Yeah, she takes pictures of the food, and they're they're playing with this idea of that's them their similarities maybe. But really, this is where Superman has been really upset about sharing his love of the food. This is right up as this should be what he does and wants to do. But by the end, he messes it up anyway <laughs> because he's not very good at it. But you end up where he's, hey, I had the club sandwich with Lois, and she's wondering where you have been. You know, Clark, you've been disappearing at lunch, and she wants to go out to lunch with you. But, man, you know how Lois is. She's as busy as Superman. Ha, ha, ha. And then he just walks away. I got to go to my next assignment. Take it easy, Jimbo. And then he starts writing like two words. Like, he's going to get fired. He doesn't do. He does. He's gonna get fired from the Justice League. He's not gonna have that salary for the Japanese food soon. And really, that's why he goes to the crazy cheap way. But he says, "Oh my God, that club sandwich has stirred my appetite." Time for the the flying off. And he looks at the pictograph as he's flying off yeah, to no Japan. Flying and looking at your phone. Super yeah, fun. really. He's gonna hit a plane. I do like yeah. the idea that as he is, he actually is sneaking out. Of the Daily Planet, but he is dressed as super. There's Jimmy down below. He's like, okay, can't let him see. He's super bad. So he flies, and he really is just flying across the world while going through his, you know, or Lois's pictograph. Not a my watch. And then she's upset. He's upset. I mean, he says, listen, I really want to take Lois. Like, yeah, this this bullcrap club sandwich. I want to take Lois to these Japanese lunches. I, but I can't because that would blow my cover. So here's the big play of this. And you made me laugh because we we're talking on our uh, on the slack and the DMs where the idea where he seems so upset that he's not able to share a lunch or his love of Japanese cuisine with anybody that he likes. He's got a small wallet and a small memory. He just went to lunch with Bruce last chapter. He ended up having a full meal I with Bruce. Been like a week ago, and he's already like, I don't get to eat. I, I don't get to eat with anyone. And Bruce bought the restaurant. We were assuming <laughs> was just going to bring it to Gotham. So that that would have been the idea, or even Matrup. He could have ended up at least taking what was there. But no, there he goes. And when he gets to Japan, all the restaurants are closed. The, he he got there too late, Oops. and I love the Charlie Brown moping walk of <laughs> Superman. Walk, walk. So he's still hungry. He's in Japan. I, I actually thought that it would have been funny if he did that play where he goes around the world backwards and takes the time so he can go <laughs> eat. Like he's getting that obsessed. But he ends up going to a Seven Eleven, a convenience and store. He, he did. He do, he does throw mega shade. He does say, "Oh, we have the." 7-Eleven's back in Metropolis too, but it's kind of a lame lunch. Really. Only it Japanese is. food. Yeah. So in, in the Metropolis and in Quakertown, if you end up going to some, yeah, you're going to get a hot dog. You're going to get a pre-made sandwich. You're not going to get anything. Super meal. What I really would love after this, though, is him to remember Bruce. Oh my god, Bruce. Because Bruce really threw shade at a chain restaurant there ain't no way Bruce Wayne's going to a 7-Eleven. 
Like, no and, and if he does go in, he's going to buy it. <laughs> so he'll just keep buying things. But he's like, oh, well, I guess I got to get something to eat at this convenience mart that are lame back in Metropolis. But if you have ever watched any of the YouTube videos and things on Japanese food, you are kind of amazed at the quality of food that they do have at the convenience marts. And that's what this is all about. Superman mm-hmm. walks in and it's so different from what he's seen. You even have places to eat. He thinks it's an amusement park. I just think because we talked, he doesn't do anything. He sits <laughs> at a desk. He might go to one or two meetings of the Justice League, doesn't do anything there, and flies to Japan. So anything's and amusing. Place automatically amazing. My goodness. He does also, does it seem like he's also like amazed at the automatic doors? That <laughs> like He's like, what, is there a ghost here? But he ends up, he flies in and kind of hovers, and he's like, oh, I better not hover in here. And then I'm going to blow my cover. And he's like, so he's he's walking around, looks like Luke at like where they have the dirty magazines. I swear to God, he's like, I hope nobody's looking here. And he sees Japanese comics. He sees manga. And I know there's a fight of whether to call manga Japanese comics. It's just really? manga, it's comics. All these people get in these weird fights. But he ends up looking at this and you see this guy on the cover of, you know, Weekly Shonen. I was going to say a really bad thing there. <laughs> <laughs> Shonen Skip, we'll call it. Right. I almost said Shonen Hump for some reason. Why would I? You end up where he sees Uh-oh. this guy, and it, it does look a little like him, and the guy's eating. It looks like it would be a food worse deal called Nice to Meet, is what it's <laughs> called. And he laughs, and he goes, I think I can identify with that guy. That's relatable to me. He uses X-ray vision to pretty much steal that comic there. He ends up reading it on the shelf and then puts it back like a jerk. He doesn't have a lot of money, though, as we mm. know. And he'll make up with it for the food that he eats because now that and it's it's funny because it's something that we would always laugh about. He's he's reading meat, nice to meat, and he's getting hungry. And he's like, "Man, I'm really hungry." You see him drooling. It's pretty funny. So he's like, "All right." He gets his basket. He starts going around. And he's just grabbing random stuff. I'll buy everything that looks good to me. But he doesn't have the money to afford all that. Yeah, really. I, luckily, he, he better like try to get some because then he sees snacks. He gets all this food. Again, I think that the play here is he's thinking that it's not going to be that good. So he's got to get a bunch to fill him up. Gets a hamburger. He gets a Neapolitan spaghetti deal, which we'll talk about in a minute. Really? And then he gets a bunch of snacks. They're that super stupendous. He is fired up. <laughs> and, and he ends up like... There's a deep fried food store within the store. And he's so happy. And then as he does this and sees these deep fried goodies, he activates his heat vision. He has a heat vision orgasm that ends up going towards the front of the store. And he says, luckily, the automatic doors detected it and opened accordingly. I think he also destroyed a building and killed seven people. And there is heat to the family sedan that was driving <laughs> by at that exact moment. Across the street here. There's no way somebody didn't get hurt or something didn't get damaged. But he's like, well, whatever. Then we get to the food. And you do have a bit of a food war steal. Mm-hmm. What's going on with that Neapolitan spaghetti deal? Because it looks like it has, like, worms on the top. I don't, I don't know what's on top there. No. Didn't it look weird? It, it looked weird to me. But again, I didn't know what the what what that is is a Japanese dish. I always say that every time we read any food manga, we always get not even just food manga, but we get a lot of ketchup rice. And and it intrigues me in a way that I think I would hate it 
But I want to try it because, boy, everybody seems to love this. And again, it's just like if it's half as good as Superman thinks it is, it's going to be delicious. This is something that I think that if you would try to serve somebody, you know, in my town or somebody, it is spaghetti, but spaghetti with it's ketchup spaghetti. Mm. And people would look at that as like, what, what the hell are you doing? Like, you can't just put spaghetti, but that is a dish that people really do like. And now I'm intrigued again. So you end up where he has this dish, and it also has, like, you could even see, they do a good job. It has green peppers, it has mushrooms in it. I'm not a real big green pepper fan, but that's where all the other things are. But he has the stuff, and he thinks that he went overboard. I really bought too much. I end up not, I'm not going to be able to finish this. We know that he's going to be able to finish oh, it. Oh, he So he ends up starting, and the weird deal, he's going to start with what the appetizer, hot snacks. Good. So he has potato croquettes and uh, fried chicken. And he eats them together, and what does he get? Kansas. Kansas. He's back to Kansas again. But again, that's chicken and potatoes. I can go with this more than the other deal. Remember, I'll, I'll squirt lemon on it. Boy, Kansas. Just like Kansas back home. And he's like, yeah, my mom you know, does this. So he's going with that again. He's all excited. Then he starts throwing shade because then he says, okay, next up, gold hamburger. I think gold might be a bit of false advertising. That's a bit like, rich. Yeah, again, but this is something in my mind that you could get at a 7-Eleven in, in the United States, and it's not going to be that great. So he ends up getting that, and then he also is going to use a fork. He thinks that's the greatest, but then he gets this crazy idea. Man, I'm just going to throw everything on top. Where did he get that flag? Did he <laughs> no, bring that flag with him? I think he did. <laughs> he, he goes around with the little American flag of the toothpick. Oh, my you know. goodness. So he ends up throwing. And also, where one of the bags, the little things had a fried egg. He's got some weird stuff he going on. fried egg on top. It's crazy. He puts it all on top. And then suddenly, the golden hamburger itself actually looks more like it's just the, you know, hamburger steak with gravy on it. But I don't crazy. know. But he ends up throwing all of this on top of the spaghetti ketchup nonsense and then says, almost like a kid's lunch, but nope, it's an adult's lunch. And (laughs) he's just going to go for it. I'm giving him a lot of credit here. When we had the first couple chapters, one of his big things was not wanting to look stupid. Remember when he was like, I don't know how to Mm -hmm. order this. How do I eat it in order? He's gotten past that. And I guess maybe it is. I think he's embraced it. Yeah, and it's a convenience store. What the heck? So he ends up, he even apologizes. Sorry, Mr. <laughs> Napolitan. <laughs> but I'm like, what is he doing? He's insane. He, he then goes and he's going to do this whole thing. And if you're somebody who doesn't like food touching or whatnot, you, you're not going to like this. Oh, my God. He mixes it all together. But this, actually, it's funny because this is kind of like a, a thing that I would do, not just with Japanese stuff, obviously, but whatever. Like, I do like adding stuff, and then you have to get that bite with every bit you of it. You want to get all the taste in yeah, the Oh, it's so good. And, and again, cool. you can play back to even Bruce. Like, you do have that game while you're eating that you don't want to have one of the ingredients left at the end. Especially, like, the big savory thing, like that stupid golden hamburger that I don't understand. But he's like, oh, my God, it winds around, and it's really good. And he ends up eating it. As he eats it, he ends up with – he turns good into boy. the character for the – you know, nice to meet. Nice to meet. <laughs> Look at him. And he's like so excited. I thought heat vision again, but thank God nobody else will die. And then he's like, oh man, and he's eaten so much. His face, I don't even know what's happened to him, but he ends up, man, I need dessert. Again, it's very much like me. I'm like, I cannot eat another bite except for the next eight bites I'm going to eat. 
And he goes and he gets a soft ice cream. He's like, there's I always like room. When he's going to go and he's like, I'll just have the frozen fruit. Wait, really? That's not something <laughs> Clark Kent's going to do. Clark Kent's not going to sell for the frozen fruit. No, is frozen it? fruit. That, that's nothing. That is funny. He gets the soft ice cream. I like it. It's in that little container so you don't mess up Have the you? top there, little cone. And all it is is an ice cream cone. And then he's like, I don't need a bag <laughs> <laughs> for an ice cream. So why, why would you put it in a bag? I don't oh, know. Like, well, this is why we're having problems in the world, I guess. They oh, bag geez. up everything. So you end up where he's going to eat the ice cream. And then he's like so happy. Japanese convenience stores are super spectacular. He has not Amazing. met anything in Japan that he doesn't like. I mean, and that's the thing. It would be kind of a, a kind of a crappy thing to have Superman go to Japan and like, this I hate sucks. this. Can you imagine? Like, that's the whole thing is where he's actually trying to find one place that doesn't make him vomit. I got nobody, and I don't want to spend it here. Yeah, the funny thing now, because he went to the Seven Eleven, I I really want him to go to say like a Japanese McDonald's. I need him now to go to places that he thinks he knows, and they're so different because they are. And that you would be pretty you've cool. You've seen this place, but you haven't seen Japanese version of this place. I like the one guy's like, holy shit, there's Superman eating an ice cream cone. Crazy. <laughs> the weird play, too, is that you have the, the pics to graph deal. It, it is amazing that more people aren't taking pictures of Superman, especially he came flying in, and people did see heat vision. Just another so you have that. 7-Eleven. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll even, we even went past one of the things that is nice, too, like, the people there are like, oh, do you want me to heat this up? <laughs> like, they're, he's so impressed. Like, with oh, everything. my God, it's super bad. They're like, how can I help you? Yeah, can I, can I warm this up for you? I'll get this. Okay, well, so then on the way back or outside this place, he does end up trying to take a picture for the pictograph. He's not very good at it. I'm surprised the ice cream lasted that long. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. It's like just half-eaten ice cream. That's his first one. That's his first deal. And he seems like he's, like, nervous to do this and whatever. But Jimmy is looking over his shoulder. He says, oh, you're doing Pixtograph now, too, huh? And then you end up where Clark says, oh, I gave it a shot, but it's hard to do. So he might stop doing it because it's it's hard. He took a picture of a half-eaten <laughs> ice cream. But the problem is his his user deal on the Pixtograph is super meshy. That's okay. He has the Superman symbol, okay. But the problem is, he has a description of how he's eating this ice cream he got in Japan. How is Clark Kent going to explain that he Jeez, just zipped off to Japan? How did you manage to get that authentic Japanese ice cream and take a picture of it? Yeah, so especially easily. at this point. I think this is just later that afternoon. <laughs> he's, Jimmy's just walked away. He's been gone for an hour. How did Bruce you get Wayne to Japan back? He's shaking his head. He's spent. Billions trying to, to keep that secret identity concealed. It's and done. Superman is out here on Instagram taking pictures. Willy At dilly. some point, the Justice League better call him in. Because even then, you have had, even last chapter, Bruce and Clark hanging out. This is going to cause a lot of problems. But we need a Japanese food intervention, Clark. He does. He goes off to a, the convenience smart again. He flies <laughs> off to Japan again to get a bunch of stuff. He gets it because it seems like he wants to treat Lois, but as Superman. But then he's hovering, staring at Lois, who's there drinking wine. Drinking and he milk. ends up, yeah, and he's like, I wish that we could, you know, share Japanese food together. But <laughs> I won't until the day that Clark 
intense feelings get across. So he wants to eat as Clark with her, not just One Superman. One day he'll understand the real me at my love of Japanese food. He's hovering 10 feet away from her, staring at her with a bag with of convenience. <laughs> He's just there staring. What is he Are doing? He's going to go home and eat this all by himself now. And, and, and also, oh, like Lois, wouldn't you feel uncomfortable? Like you look over, Superman's just hovering, staring at you with How's a bag. So weird. But yeah, at the end, he's going to want those feelings to be across. I get by, you know, at some point, he probably that probably will happen, and it'll take Lois off to Japan, and then she'll not like the food and it'll break up with him. Whoa. That's what I think. But yeah, it's, it's, it's either me it's so or the convenience store clerk. And Clark chooses the convenience store. He gets so excited and he heat visions there. He just moves the oh. whole right through. Oopsie doopsie. Oh, well. But with all of that, I want Jimmy to go, too. I want to see how that is. Because I said to you before we start recording, Jimmy has gone to lunch with Clark or Superman. He can grab him as Superman and take him. And, well, he's still, I don't have anybody to eat with Bruce Wayne one tier. Going down his, his cheek and goth. Uh, but also, I'd love to see where he really was counting on Superman coming to Gotham at to go to that restaurant that he bought and brought there, and nobody's going, and it, it fails. Things things closed down in a week. He really was hoping <laughs> Superman was going to pay the bills there. Ah, uh, but what would you give this? I thought this was a banger. I thought this was back to that chapter one glory days of goofy Superman. Just like, we don't have any special guests. We don't need anybody else. It's just Clark being goofy Clark and living it up in the Japanese convenience stores, enjoying the food and doing crazy food wars antics. And this is what it's all about. This is why we love the Superman versus the Meshies. This is why we are getting everybody on the select to be reading it too. This is the one I think and I we enjoy the Joker, Batman, baby Joker, Daddy Joker, we enjoy That's that fun. a lot. But nothing is beating this. This is amazing. I'm, well, just scored, I'm going nine point five out of ten. Oh my goodness gracious. Fire. I'm going nine. Again, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna have to stop giving the manga the book of the week because people will get annoyed every this, week. It's so good and it's fun. And yeah, we have fun talking about it as well. So everybody, before we go off to whatever is next, I just want to remind everybody, if you like to hear me and Luke talk about more manga, we have uh, seven or six now, six manga reading club podcasts and a weekly manga review show Very that you can go end up. Well, it's a manga Monday show where we do one chapter. A lot of them are like bite-sized type deals that goes with the Superman versus Meshi <laughs> bite-sized and delicious, but you can go. And look in the show notes or just look up Weird Science Manga and you can find all of our stuff that we do. And I hope that some people who may not have gotten into some manga might start, you know, trying to see how it is, dip their tone because it, it is really fun. There's always something good to find, especially at points where, you know, maybe the, the Western or Big Two at least aren't so great. So, yeah, check all that stuff out. But we're going to go off to whatever is next. Snowflake 
Yes, and here we are for the last section of books, which I am going to start out with my man, Zach. What up, Zach? What's up, Jim? What's up? And that was a little Snowflame tribute. He did die. The, the problem is when I ended up doing that parody song, it was when he actually came back for the Catwoman annual a couple of years ago. I didn't think we'd ever see him again. So even though it's not this week, he was in a book that we're going to start with, a book that we ended up, or last month, actually, but we end up where... We haven't talked about Peacemaker Tries Hard on the show. It's nothing that Eric was interested in. He does not like the Elseworlds thing, so we weren't going to get involved. But as the, the last month or so went by, I started reading it. I started like, oh, I'll check it out. And it was one of those things where you decide, well, I'll see how that is. And you read one issue, and then you're like, holy crap, this is really good. And I actually like went through the first three in one sitting, and I started telling people in the Slack, oh, my God, it's so funny. It's so good. I've been pushing the book. And then I asked you if you wanted to do it this week because it came out, issue five. The real funny play, though, is is that I didn't realize I hadn't read issue four. So when I ended up asking you, I read five. I was kind of a little confused. Okay, how did they get to this? Then I realized, oh, my God. And people were talking in Slack about Snowflame. Didn't realize that, oh, crap. And I went back and I read it today. And I was laughing because Snowflame is hilarious. And if you don't know, he is powered by cocaine. And actually fits really well into the Peacemaker universe. I think that it's like one of the best villains you could ever have against Peacemaker. What do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, it just sums it up perfectly. When you see him headbutt into an entire table of cocaine and just snort it. And he's just kicking the shit out of oh, Peacemaker. Yeah, yeah. he's and just peace- going to town. Yeah. yeah. And Peacemaker just, he cannot beat Snowflame. He, there's nothing he can do. He's shooting them. He's hitting them with explosives. Nothing's happening. The only way he beats him is by putting a poisonous frog in his cocaine. He snorts that frog up his nose. He snorts the frog up his nose. And that was set up earlier in the issue. And, and again, this is a book. And it's funny because when you record with so many people, things kind of get recorded out of sequence and things like that. I apologize to people because I'm going to talk about Snowflame again, not the issue, but talk about how much I love it at the end of this podcast. Again, trying to convince Gray to to read it. But I, if I do repeat myself, forgive me. But I'm going to tell everybody, if you like the Peacemaker TV series, there is no doubt you'll love this. It, it is straight up. They don't try to hide anything about it being that continuity, John Cena, all the jokes over the top. But even if you haven't watched that show, I think that you can just jump right in and just have fun with how crazy it is. And it's yeah. it's one yeah, of the few things I, I read that's laugh out either. loud. Yeah, I haven't watched it, but I'm still reading this just because you rec- because you were in Slack and you had recommended it. And I was like, you know what? It's on DC Universe Infinite. I'm going to read it. And holy shit, am I glad I did. It's so fun. And it's one of those things. It is a hidden gem. I don't hear anybody talking about it. Again, later I'll mention the idea. It's being reviewed incredibly. I mean, this week's issue is like five, 
five reviews. They're all nines, nines and above. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's really good. I think people should check it out. And even like I said, even if you didn't love the show, maybe check it out anyway. And you might even still like the jokes. But it does not pull back on any of the raunchy humor. It is a black label book through and through. It's mature with the language, all of that. And it's it's really funny. But here we go. After pumping it up, Peacemaker tries hard. Number five, written by Kyle Starks, art by Steve Pugh, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by Becca Carey. And it gets the art's great. The art yeah. is really, really good. And yeah, it, it's John Cena. Like I said, it's John Cena through and through. But everything else is that over the top cartoony deal. But you end up having what other book are you going to have? Mal in the Brain. You end up having Snowflame, as we said. Baby Deathstrokes that we're going to get later that yeah. are hilarious and so many other characters. There have been so many characters in this that just pop up that is really, really cool. But in this, you end up pretty much having a John Wick story overall. Peacemaker's pissed because his dog, Bruce Wayne, has been stolen by Maul in the brain. At one point, they even teamed up and he thought that Maul had become his friend. And that's really the other thing in this. He's trying to get his dog. Because his dog's his only friend, because he doesn't have any friends, which makes him sad, but also his dad, not very nice as he grew up. So he hasn't had a good time of it. And it's funny, like, it's the idea where he's so over the top, but he is kind of likable at this point. Even though it's Peacemaker, even though he's just crazy over the top, you feel bad for him because he really does want friends. But he also wants to get his dog. So he teams up. And it's a funny thing. Again, Red B shows up with Michael the bee michael the bee is also in the the jsa book this week that is the craziest thing that i thought it was crazy to have Snowflame last month but to have two books that are talking about michael the bee is insane that the odds of that are nothing right i mean it's so crazy well i had never even heard of the bee till this peacemaker book and then when i saw uh uh, when I was reading uh, Lost Children, and it's like, oh, hey, th- this girl, she's like the sidekick of him or whatever, like a legacy character. I was just like, huh, what about that? Like, That's really, kind this of a cool, cool thing, too, right? That you end up learning something from this crazy book to go. And again, the characters are over the top. They're funny, but most of them are pretty accurate to the deal. Red B's there, and he is actually the parole officer for Amanda Waller watching over Peacemaker. And Peacemaker's gone over, you know, state lines and things. And at one point he had to take them in. But then Peacemaker says, these these people stole my dog. And it kind of connected with, you know, Red B with Michael the B. Like you have that one friend. And at one point you do, and it's a really good line. At one point you end up having Peacemaker like, man, I want some friends. And using Michael as an example, Red B says, you only really have to find one good friend. That's all you need to do. And they have set up in this where you do have Michael the bee that they talk about bees. Why is it so great to have a bee? You should be the wasp. This would be awesome. You could sting and sting and sting. And you ended up having Red Bee set up the deal of no, no, because when a bee stings somebody, they die. So that is the the ultimate sacrifice. You end up with yeah, they're that. They're trading and, it all in. Yeah, and they're talking about that, which who would have thought that by the end of this issue, you're going to start getting feels. I did. I called Michael it. the Bee and Red Bee, right? It's, it's a great it. play, though, like, right? I was like, uh, yeah, I called it. I was just like, he's going to die. He's going to die. I was like, Michael's dying this issue, and I'm not and ready Michael. for it. Michael does step up, but in that, too, you have Johnny Blackhawk. And again, a lot of the things that are funny are continuing jokes. Johnny Blackhawk is great because he's one of the Blackhawks from World War II. He ended up in, funny thing, Peacemaker's like, this doesn't make sense. You're not old enough 
to a bit of pilot in World War II. And they showed this flashback where pretty much Johnny was like seven. I'm 18. He had a big lollipop like he was Shirley Temple. I'm 18, boys. And he ended up doing that. And he ended up, you know, going through the war with Red B. And unfortunately, Red B's, you know, company ended up all being killed by this big war wheel. There's a lot of like over the top stuff that actually is from the comics. So it, it makes a lot of sense in this. But at this beginning where they did have, hey, Johnny, you're going to fly us in. You're going to be our pilot. Johnny starts screaming and yelling because Peacemaker says, listen, you're not, you're a little old. Yeah. He's like, oh, shut. he's not even facing me. He's like, I'm over here, dude. Like you're yelling, yelling at a at tree. A tree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like, why are you yelling at a tree? Don't you sass me. Why, why are you looking at a tree? <laughs> hey, so cool. what's going on? And I love that, like, with both Red B and, and Johnny Blackhawk, that Peacemaker's like almost like he's out of his element that he does. He's like, what is going on? Because even Red B says things that you end up where Peacemaker's like, why are you, why do you keep saying nonsense like this? But, but it's working because again, it's almost like the power of friendship that you see happening. And, and Peacemaker sees again and, and is becoming friends with these guys. But the big play is General Immortus, a bunch of people last issue, they realize, okay, we have to go find Bruce Wayne the dog. And Brain has it with Deathstroke, and they kind of point to where this is. Once they end up taking down Snowflame, this kid points in the way, and they end up going. And when they get to this facility, you see a bunch of guys that they all look the same, but they're like kind of just like regular schmoes. And we find out these are clones of the original body that the Brain had, but they don't do anything. They're just standing around. They're not big enough or great enough for the Brain to actually want to use so they're kind of just sitting around not being bad. They're just like debating things. They even say at one point they're debating the nature versus nurture and all this. As Peacemaker jumps in, you're about to get murdered by Peacemaker. He's always yelling stuff. But yeah, you end up where they're just kind of good guys and they decide to leave. They're all like, we're going to get going. We might get jobs or something. They we, leave, we know right? how this is going to go if we let you stick around. So we're gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, they're like, we're not really bad. And and that's the funny play where people but you were cloned from the most evil guy ever. And like, yeah, but that's not what we're doing here. We, we don't know. We've been discussing that too. And, and we're going to go. So you end up where, and it's very quick, the progression of this, because you just go from here and like, okay. And, and basically what this building and what this, they're cloning, they're making clones to try to get bodies for the brain. Yeah. They, they want to transplant the brain into a death stroke body. So he can be the ultimate, the ultimate warrior and uh, genius. Yeah, so you go to the next deal, which is pretty much a clone nursery, and just the idea that they've cloned Deathstroke, and the, the joke is there's a bunch of babies, but they all have eye patches. I, I was like, why, why? <laughs> it's a, here's the thing. This makes me laugh so much, because if you remember, when you ended up having Deathstroke go into the Lazarus pit, well, you know, when we had yeah. that whole play that turned him into that King Deathstroke getting ready for Dark Crisis, Everything was fine. He came out with his eye patch on still. And me and Eric were saying, like, that should have read, but that's his look. So it made, that was ridiculous. Like, that in regular continuity. But when you go in, you see a bunch of miserable looking babies with big giant eye patches on them. It (laughs) made me laugh so much. And so. Oh, just Steve Pugh nails it. Like, just the, like, evil look of a baby with an eye patch just all looking at him. It's like, you woke up the Deathstroke babies. And it's just like, oh no. Because they walk in and there's all these babies. And you get, again, the clones of the original body of the brain. They all left, but one's there because they say, we just do the menial jobs. He cloned us. We're janitors. We sweep up here, whatever. 
One of them is actually just working the, you know, the infirmary here, or, you know, and, and helping the babies. And he comes running out. Don't wake up the baby death strokes. So and, what now? Yeah, yeah. And, and that once he hears baby death strokes, Peacemaker goes nuts. What did he say? He even see the red bee like, oh my God. And like, oh my God, you woke the baby death strokes. And what makes me laugh here, and I give Steve Pugh full credit. They didn't give the baby small eye patches. It's like actual, like they'll grow into the eye patches yeah. because they don't want to spend money on little eye patches. When that one baby gets up, that eye patch is almost his whole head, and it yeah. makes me giggle. And they just attack. These are attacking Deathstroke babies. And in this book, again, there's been some over-the-top stuff, right? I mean, real over-the-top stuff. But when you have a fight, you don't really want to see, you know, babies dying. So yeah. it plays it up better. It actually makes it a better comedy deal to have a, a bunch of babies attacking them and then getting to the next page where Red Beast like, I cannot believe how many babies we just fought. And and you end up where Peacemaker's like, I'm not going to sleep for a month. I feel like crying right now. That yeah. is awesome. Yeah, it's I'm going to be really the devil's fun. advocate for a minute because here's the thing. I don't want to see babies get beaten up either. However... I wanted to see some of the babies start grabbing like scalpels and using them as like katanas. Like I, I wanted to see them just do some death stroke moves. And it's just like, you're not even two months old. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're deadly. I mean, they all attack. They're leaping in the air. It's crazy. So then they're like, Oh my God, let's get out of that. What's next. And they run into who they think is Deathstroke. You even have a narration play of Deathstroke world's deadly success. And probably the most dangerous man on earth, severe badass. And you actually have a, you know, a break the fourth wall deal where the, it's a kid says, whoa, whoa, I'm not Deathstroke, I'm Teen Deathstroke. And then you end up having Teen Deathstroke, clone teenage version of the stuff we said before. And I giggled again. Also, I thought of Respawn, which made me giggle more. But what you get here is, and it's, again, it's a fun play. It's teen angsty Deathstroke. Yeah. He, he's pissed off at the brain because that's like his dad and he doesn't talk to him. And he's, he's not, not finding out what he really wants to do. And boy, it's a lot of things to put on you to be this vessel and a death stroke, the greatest fighter ever. And Peacemaker sees like, you know, the common deal with them. And I, and in this, it's, it doesn't feel like the, the, or Peacemaker's trying to, you know, trying to finagle anything. He's just like, dude, I know what you mean. And they're talking about their dads and the idea. And he ends up saying, man, it'd be nice to do what you want to do. And Team Death goes, I just want to dance and play video games. And Peacemaker, well, then go and do that. And you think that they are going to make be friends? Yeah, like they're going to bond, but no. But Team Deathstroke's too much of a teen angsty kid that he ends up goes, I might go and dance and play video games. And then, yeah, and they're yelling at each other. The play here is they're screaming at each other like they're mad, but they're agreeing that joke. And he says, good, you deserve it. Be happy. And then you end up team chat, whatever, and walks away. Yeah. Well, no, he don't. He don't walk away. He dances away. Do, yeah, do you yeah, not he see is him like, doing, I don't He's know, doing the moonwalk. Yeah, I, I thought it was, but I was like, I was like, why is he doing the moonwalk? Like, if 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 this was realistic, he'd be Fortnite dancing. Yeah, he's he's going off, and uh, he's pretty much. And I'm telling you, look at the arm movements. Yeah, yeah. He's doing full out Michael Jackson. He, I mean, yeah. I'm telling you, in the background, <laughs> and then yeah, you end up where Red B goes, like. Man, teens, am I right? And he's like, I know it's exhausting. Oh, my goodness gracious. And so all that, it's fun. I mean, yeah. up until the, here. The they, thing is, the funniest thing is teen Deathstroke's kicking their ass. They are losing. The only reason they won is because they convinced him, hey, just go be a stupid teenager. Maybe I will. Yeah, and, and I love the idea where when he's going like a teen, he couldn't admit, like, 
thanks a lot, dude. I'm going to follow your advice. It's like he thinks he's doing what he wants. Like, there's no thing that I'm going to. Oh, hey, thanks man. a lot. Yeah, so he does. He goes and he, he, he moonwalks away. So yeah. then they just get, and again, then they go to the next room. And when they go to the next room, they do find Bruce Wayne, dog Bruce Wayne. Yep. And yeah, and Peacemaker's pissed because they put a muzzle on him. He's like, oh my God. I, know, I, I got upset too. I was like, who would put this little fancy man in a muzzle? And that's exactly what Peacemaker said. And I was just like, oh, maybe I'm Peacemaker. Damn it. How how happy is Peacemaker that Bruce Wayne dog, I have to keep saying doggy Bruce Wayne, yeah. missed him and loves him. He starts licking his face. He goes, oh man, he missed me. He's missed me. This is great. Look at this. And he's yelling to Red B. Look, you missed him. He missed me. He's great. He's my best friend. But in that, you have Red B looking at all of these cra- – and they look like pulpy, you know, old school, golden age, you know. Yeah, like Wolfenstein, Nazi, German uh, war machines. When he looks at it, he goes down, and you did have in the last edition, you get a little bit of a flashback as well, the war wheel. And the war wheel pretty much destroyed all of his friends in World War II. It just went through that, you know, down the road and just splatted everybody. And that's where Red B's like, this can't be. You can't have that. This is the worst. And and again, it's a goofy comic, but you do have some feels and you do have some, you know, action scenes and some superhero deals where this guy, he, he can't have this happen. So he's pissed. And that's when you do get Mala and the brain and brain in a death stroke deal. Pretty cool looking, too, and goes by yep. War Maker and says, oh, and I he got also these. doesn't have an eye like he doesn't have his right eye. And it's just like, why? I know. And it's so funny, he's like going with this, and it's Warmaker, the brain and Deathstroke's body, genius level, criminal intellect, perfect physical form, bred for combat, a deadly combination. So it's like, oh my god, how are we going to beat this? I, I thought in the play, I really thought, because you do see a vat of chemicals that plays out a little different by the end, I thought he was just going to fall in it. I actually thought that what they were going to play, because he jumps down from the roof, kind of, to say, oh my god, it's me, I'm going to get you. I thought that one eye was going to get him off of his depth. Perception, he was going to jump in this vat of chemicals and then maybe turn it. But now he comes down and Red B flips out and says, You killed my boys. But the problem again here is there's nothing that's going to stop this. So look at the helmet. It's pretty cool. There's nothing that's going to. They were getting the crap kicked out of them by Team Deathstroke. This is a Deathstroke with the brains. Brain. Red B looks like he's going to die. And Mala ends up at one point holding back Peacemaker so he can't even help. And yeah, there's going to be big trouble. I'd like to just the way it plays because Peacemaker, he's desperately trying to do something and he does finally get to use his laser in his helmet. Yeah, helmet. And it says laser, they, they laser set that up three issues ago and they're finally paying it off. Yep. It finally pays off. And all he's able to do is knock the, the sword because that's when the brain Deathstroke grabs a sword. But in that the funniest play after that, and it's been through the whole play. You have a panel that just has Mala destroying Peacemaker, and it says, knock the fuck out. That onomatopoeia is the greatest thing ever. It made me laugh so much. that When I first saw Baby Deathstrokes, I I laughed. I thought, that is hilarious. And then when you have Mala just knock the fuck out, I'm like, oh, that's great. So when Peacemaker is out, he does think back to his dad. And again, it's like his birthday. Do you know what day it is? Dad? His dad's just awful. And you know what day? I, what a day that I have to tolerate your stupid ass. And he's like, oh boy. But he has friends now. Even, and I consider Red B kind of his friend at, at, after all this stuff and whatnot. So he ends up being knocked out and it is bad. It is really bad. Red B looks like he's going to die. Michael steps up. You, you said you knew it right away. 
at, but did you know, like, could you, you couldn't have said at that point, I know what Michael will do. <laughs> he'll, he'll sting the one good eye. I oh, know, it's so hilarious. And it's so great. He ends up stinging the good eye of this Deathstroke body brain in it. So he can't, the best part of this is, is just because of that, then the brain just is going to just, I'm done with this body, right? Yeah, it's it's so funny because you just have uh, the bee over there crying his heart out, having a saving Private Ryan moment, be like, no, no, no. And there's the brain be like, well, fuck this, I'm getting a new body. Yeah, that's all he says. He's like, oh, this sucks. And it's it's like, well, you already had one pet. Like, find something with two good eyes. And so, yeah, Michael sacrificed himself. But then Red B gets really mad and picks up that sword. And all this does is actually help the brain transfer to a body quicker. But it is funny, gets the sword, picks it up, slices the head off of this death stroke, and the brain comes out, the actual brain of brain. He, it ends up falling. And Bruce Wayne Doggy picks it up and is shaking it around, and that ends up making Mala pissed off, which then grabs the brain and flicks Bruce Wayne I, Doggy I thought, away. I thought he smacked the dog. I was like, oh, God, Bruce Wayne's dead. I was like, no. Because, you know, when, when Peacemaker is like, where's Bruce Wayne? I was like, oh, he's going to be dead in the corner yeah. of the dog. Oh, and Peacemaker's just going to lose his shit. Yeah. And I, all this is going on. I mean, this is hell is broken loose. You have a, a body of Deathstroke that ends up having its head cut off. The brain comes. The dog's doing it. Peacemaker finally wakes up. Where's Bruce? Bruce comes over and he's like, "Oh, there's my special man." <laughs> like that's all. He, he he looks a little wonky-eyed now, though, so maybe he has some brain damage. He is a little off. I like too, as as he's going, you do end up where Mala's like, "Get away here, you grotesque goblin!" I'm like, "Yeah, those dogs do kind of look like goblins." It made me laugh. So in that, you have in the background then Mala, and it's funny too because Michael the Bee sacrifices himself he's dead you have red b there oh my god michael you shouldn't have done it you shouldn't have done it so there's them you have mala in the brain where the brain is rolling around getting eaten by and you have mala go to get everybody has their guy or connection here mala grabs the brain puts it in the canister and then slips it into what's going to be a camo body but then yep. in the meantime peacemaker wants up and he wants to know where oh my god where's Bruce Wayne? like it is that whole play that all of them have that very similar connection here with somebody else in the book and it makes me like i like that i i think it's very nice though all hell's breaking loose and it's like a scene that if you try to describe it like we are it's like this doesn't make any damn sense but it's so if, fun if, you, if you've been reading along with the series everything's starting oh to come it makes together. so much sense especially right? the chemo because that was a reference from last issue because literally when uh there was a part where a peacemaker he calls amanda Waller, and uh, bruce wayne's been kidnapped and she thinks it's actual bruce wayne she's like oh my god pull the suicide squad off the chemo mission they're coming yeah, here it's now. so funny that that was the play of like her misthinking and thought that bruce wayne batman was kidnapped and so the, the chemo body, you get the brain, and now he's this big thing. I'm telling you right now, I'd rather face that than actually a death stroke uh, with the brain in it. But we'll see how it goes. But like you said, the, the weird play of this is a lot of times, like, this is something that when I'm reading Harley Quinn by Teeny Howard, I want something like this. I want something that the, the jokes are set up. They actually make sense within the story. And because some things you even said, one of the jokes ends up being set up in issue three. And yeah. we're at five. This isn't just here. Yeah, there's a lot of in your face humor. There's a lot of toilet humor. There's a lot of fun with that sort of thing. But it, it doesn't feel like the story actually gets left behind. The jokes are part of the story that keeps it going. And while it's not going to you know, be a mind bender here or you know, be your great favorite thing ever, maybe, but uh, it's really good. 
It yeah. really is funny. And you realize in a book like this that, oh, shit, like, I actually do care about Michael the Bee, and I care about Peacemaker and Bruce Wayne Dog and these characters. Like, you really feel bad when something happens, and that's because of the character work, and it's really well set up. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, I think it's really good. Like, if you've just been reading the series all along, and I recommend everybody, go to DC Ultra if you got it, check it out. If not, wait for the hardcover to come out. It's definitely worth the price of admission. I would really like to see Kyle Starks come to an actual DC book, maybe even do a Harley book, maybe. I would like that. I, I would like him on anything. It's hilarious. I, but keep going. Uh, but overall, I really like this issue. I think it's a very funny, very heartfelt issue because not only are there moments where it's like, oh, you get to see the sweet reunion between Bruce Wayne and Peacemaker, but you have gut-wrenching moments like when you see Michael the Bee die. So overall, I'm going to give an 8.5. My only real nitpicks is that there's a few little things where it's like, eh, you know, I would have liked to see the uh, Deathstroke babies fight, even though that's just me being a twisted, sick mind. You know, and then there's also stuff like maybe, you know, would the brain's brain survive by getting they just plopping out? You know, like, I think you need to be it a little bit like more they, sterile. They just but, go with it. You know what I mean? That they're yeah. like, oh, well, that's how it but, goes. But that's true. But yeah. you're not thinking about that when you're reading the comic. What you're thinking about is like, man, I'm having a good time. So that's why I'm giving it an 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, I'm going to go 8.8. And I think that I, issue three and four, I like way more. I, yeah. If we would have done less. Months issue number four, I may have given it a nine nine five. Yeah. It made yeah. me laugh uh, so Snowflame much. Snowflame was and amazing. <laughs> I'm yeah, just going to say story that. and a lot of characters. And Snowflame was great. Snowflame is so great. And, and the idea of Snowflame does it should have never been any sort of deal ever. But then Snowflame showing up, and in this book, it makes complete sense. I mean, it made so much sense. It was just he was way. Over. And I actually, when I actually saw him show up, I guarantee you. That he talked a lot like David Lee Roth. That's what I would say. I'd, I'd have David Lee Roth play Snowflame. That's what I'd do. But I really do like this, and I think everybody should check it out. We're going to go to the next book, though. That is a new number one, a continuation. It is Blue Beetle number one that comes off of the Blue Beetle graduation day, which I didn't love. I was not a huge fan. By the end of it, Eric liked it a little more than me, but at the end of it, I said that what I really wanted out of that first series was tell me and show me how cool Blue Beetle is so that I'd want to, you know, go forward. And now that the movie's coming out and all that sort of thing, you know, I understand why it's coming out, but the first graduation, it didn't seem to be selling much. I didn't see or hear a lot of people talking about it, but this, I actually like the start up better than what that past one was. But if you haven't read, graduation day i think we should go and read graduation day before you jump into this you're going to get more of a idea of who these other beetles are and a lot of other things but i'll give the credits and then i'm going to see what you think it is blue beetle number one written by josh trillio adrian gutierrez on art will katana on colors and lucas katoni on letters what do you think about this yeah so I, I think this is a good establishing issue not so much like a primer issue but more like it's establishing where we uh, left off with graduation day, you know, and uh, for those of you who haven't read graduation day, basically the whole story was Jaime moved out to Palmero city to live with his aunt and work at her diner after graduating high school. And while there he got benched for a little bit because there was a looming uh, reach invasion, according to the just league turns out that it's actually a peace faction, a peaceful faction of the reach known as the horizon who have sanctuary in Palmero city. So not only is Jaime stepping up to take, uh, uh, care of them, you know, take charge or whatever. He's also going to train their own version of the Scarabs, you know, the Beetle Warriors, uh, Dynasties and Matita, which is basically just the yellow and green beetle. And that's where we pick up with this issue. 
And here's the thing. I like a lot of the things we get in this issue, but they're all just, they're so like small tastes for me. Like it's like, oh, hey, first off, we were going to show you a high maid kicking ass in the beginning fighting the Mad Men, which I like that. I thought that was really cool. But then he started sprinkling in us seeing the new recruits, you know, Dynasties and Matita trying to step up, but they're struggling because they're newbie heroes. So, you know, Ted Kord's trying to give Jaime the pep talk, trying to, you know, get him to be the leader he knows he's going to be one day. And while we do that, then we get pulled into another direction where we're seeing the Horizon living in Palmyra City struggling with the other humans because the humans are a little bit hesitant to having new aliens there. It's very much like what uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson's doing in Action yeah, Comics. It's, it's exactly like Action Comics and the Blue Earthers and the whole thing with War World. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. You, I, I'll just step in a second. The idea of this, the first graduation day, when you went through graduation day, it drove me nuts because I, I, you move, you know, you move Jaime away from his two best friends. That I thought was a bad play, but they're here with them now. You end up having Brenda and Paco here. So I like that. And also through a lot of that, he couldn't talk to the Scarab, which drives me nuts because they always do that. Now he can. So right away here, I'm like, all right, this is already more fun. It feels more like a Blue Beetle book. Ted Cord being there, that's a little bonus. And that, like you said, you end up fighting the Mad Men, a old deal that used to fight with Ted Cord. And I think that there is that weird play of here of giving that like, hey, this Blue Beetle stuff has been going on a while, even before there was, you know, Jaime and the Scarab. And what we knew was he ended up, they mentioned uh, Dan Garrett, who had yeah. the Scarab. And the whole play of that is that Dan Garrett was the Beetle he had the scarab, and then when Ted ended up taking over when Dan Garrett died, he didn't know how to use the scarab. So the scarab just sat there, and he became, you know, what we know of Ted Cord Blue Beetle. He's just an acrobatic guy, uses tech, all that stuff. But then at one point, you didn't. They don't mention it. I know you can't mention too much, but Dan Garrett actually was resurrected by the scarab. He came back to life, but he wasn't right and ended up being a villain for a bit against Ted Cord. And I thought, it's weird that by the end, is there something going on that way? Or there's also been stories where Dan Garrett's relatives have said, wait, that, that scare belongs to us. I should have been the next legacy deal and all this. And maybe it's something with that. I don't know. Because at the end, it just kind of gets at you. And we'll have to figure it out as we go there. But I, I, I'm with you that you just kind of have these little bit of like bite-sized deals to just say, hey, look. You know, Jaime's out there. He's still being nice with Natita and Dynasties, and they're pretty cool. They're actually work. They just don't know how to work together yet. They don't know the lay of the land and how to go together. And the characters are okay. I, I don't mind them, but I want to see more of that. But then when you end up going, and you said when I almost laughed when you said when you know Jaime went to live with his aunt and work at the dine. We barely saw any of that. I, it yeah. was so weird that idea, and it was weird that his parents end up saying. You're a lazy layabout. You're going to work at the diner. He barely worked at the diner. He was there for a second. But you had too many characters in that first graduation day, including the Justice League. And at least we have more Blue Beetle here. But it still does kind of you're not settling down enough in this first issue to really, you know, dig in. And I think that he's just going to play this where we're going to get dribs and drabs each. And it might end up, you know, at the end. Everything will be fine, but the idea of the diner, I'm not that interested in. When we end up seeing the horizon, you want to, you're playing this deal. Me and you talk, I don't even know how to talk about this without, you know, maybe getting people pissed off. It's a weird play, but you're looking at them as they're refugees. 
almost the idea of crossing a border coming from a different country, but they are aliens and they are there. And in a superhero comic book world, you kind of have to check things out first. So if the play would be, because it looks like a mother and a daughter are out eating at the diner. Yeah, right? her, her name is Uli. She is the daughter of the main guy, the shepherd from the first graduation series, the one who came and was seeking the refuge. It's his daughter. And, you know, she's like, oh, well, we come here in peace. The humans should just accept us. But then she doesn't want to listen to any of the rules or guidelines that are set out. Like, hey, you need to stay near the ship so we can protect you. Oh, well, I'm entitled to go explore this world. And it's just like, but then how are we supposed to protect you if you won't listen to us? Yeah. And it, it ends up where I think that I don't know. I don't know if we're supposed to feel a certain way towards this horizon and the or is this supposed to get us bad? Because the idea of. You know, if you ended up having a little kid, a Horizon kid, actually just wander off. You know what I mean? That they don't know what they're doing. They wander off and then all of a sudden, luckily, Blue Beetle's around and gets to save because a gang has, you know, come together. We're going to take down that stinking alien. And then the mom, oh, my God, my like, then you'd feel bad. You'd be like, oh, man. But this idea of really coming off as a, a real kind of bitch i mean i yeah. hate to say yeah, whatever I, I but hate that's to say it too, but yeah that's that was my impression yeah and when i read it i was like wow what a bitch yeah and it's not like and Jaime's like really upset about this Jaime really feels bad because in the diner when he walks back to the diner you have the ants they let these horizon they're eating and it's like i'm not gonna eat in this stinking place that allows aliens we don't even know what they are they're gonna end up and you know it's it's hateful but then when yeah. you get to the deal and you're like, I don't listen to that. And you t- almost like Jaime and everybody is being bad for making them stay at the ship while they figure things out and actually try to integrate some things in here. Again, when you say it, you got to remember, these are aliens that you don't know about. Could have powers, could be there. They barely know why. The idea they're against the reach is fine. But the idea of all these people, but. It just felt weird how they act, the Horizon acted, and then, you know, hey, I'm daughter of the shepherd, dude, and I'm going to go, and if I want to walk around, I'm going to go because this is bullshit. And I'm like, yeah, it, com- it right. comes off as, like, she's a bratty royal princess, and it's just like, you got to follow our laws and you're going to stay in our kingdom, if you will, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's, again, it's hard to say it in a way that doesn't sound bad, but it, it's this weird situation, a situation that we don't really... You're trying to make it feel like a situation that we would have in our regular life, but this is a superhero world that the situation is nowhere near what we would have in, in real life if aliens ended up coming to Earth. So you end up, and even that you have a rock come through, oh my God, and I'm going to get, and wants to go out and fight. Actually, that's the other thing. It's like, I'm going to go kick their ass. I'm going to go show them. And Jaime's like, come on, settle down. But then when you end up having the horizon you know, go away, uh, you have where we'll go back to the ship where we belong. And there's Jaime who's so upset. He looks sad. And I'm like, you got to just settle down. <laughs> it's hard to talk about and, and not make it seem like I understand. I think that this is supposed to be, you know, kind of the metaphor of things happening. But it's not a, you know, apples to oranges. Type. It is apples to oranges. It's not a, you know, equal situation. It's just as weird. I wish that you had a little better feel. For the horizon, like man, they're so nice, and they. But it comes off weird that that play. Then we go to the beach. And, and yeah. There are some weird things, and I'll tell you, if you have read, you know, some of the old 
Blue Beetle, this sort of thing. Eric mentioned it right away in the graduation day. Paco has hit the weights. He, he yeah. used to just be kind of a chubby guy. He's yeah, a big dude. Seeing, but he's, seeing him in like that Speedo, I was oh, just thinking, I was like, mom. you've come a long way from your new 52, <laughs> yeah. you know, gangbanger look. He was look. A, kind of a dumpy gangbanger look. That's what he was, but he's kind of, a, but now he, he is stacked. He's there. Yeah. He's posing. It's funny. I'm, I'm surprised that uh, Dynasty's turned him down. I was like, are, are you sure? I think that she's playing coy. You end up mm-hmm. where uh, Brenda's like, oh, my God, get out of here with that, you know, penis hammock. And yeah, they're all and it's it's kind of fun. They're all laughing about stuff and trying to. But they're talking about, again, the, the horizon and how you do have these other Beatles are scarabs from the horizon. They're against the reach, but they've come to come together. I think that maybe you could have explained a little more of that in this for people who didn't read Graduation Day. About the exact thing and who's who and whatnot, but it's okay. I, like yeah. I said, having read it, I think it's it's fine, and I do like like Paco and Brenda. Just this with Paco doing his things, I'm like that. You already made the book better by allowing them to come back into it. They moved, you know, to speed with Jaime and go to college there. So I'm all for it. I love both of them. I think that they're a really good play, and the whole interaction with dynasties and it's kind of fun. So you end up having that, and then we end up at the end because a lot of these, like you said, it's just little scene moves yeah, to another flavor. little she scene. Just, it's, yeah. like, it's like, hey, here's something that's happening right now in Blue Beetle, or but here's something that's coming up, and you just get all these little samples, which all the samples taste good, but that's they're just samples. Yeah, we want the main course. Exactly, we want the meat and potatoes. It, it's funny, is they're they're bringing out these, you know, hey, here's appetizer one. I also would want to know, like, well, what, what, what the hell's going on? Like, am I going to get a big deal? Like, you don't know where any of these are going. So, yeah, they're like, okay, that's a neat little scene. But is that going to lead to something? Are you going to center on that? Are you going to center on this? Are you going to do? Because Ted goes, and we still have a deal where one of the interesting things in uh, Graduation Day was Ted's sister as well. And her yeah, idea she's of maybe. Not here she, at all. Yeah. And, and the idea that she might want to experiment on the front, like she's a little sus and I liked it. And I, I thought that was cool. But in that, you know, you have Ted go back. He's got to end up checking out the beetle because at that point, I guess it was Natita ended up growing and ended up hitting the beetle and he ended up. So he's doing some repairs. He's doing all these things. And all of a sudden he hears somebody and he realized that there is somebody that has broken in to the lab and he sets up. You know, this crazy Mission Impossible laser grid that I, I'm telling you, it, luckily it's not his sister because I think it would slice her up. I mean, seriously. But you end up where this is where I said about is this a play again with Dan Garrett saying imposter. Your worthless toys aren't going to save you. It's all this thing of like you're not the real Blue Beetle. But why is that like if it's something with the horizon, if it's something with that, why are they going after Ted not right away to the reach? person Jaime that's what kind of gets me I'm wondering what this is but then again at the end you just have what looks like another beetle that has come in and just is destroying things and looks like it might have killed Ted at the end which is crazy runs him through with some weapon there like a you know a laser sword or a lightsaber and yeah and you end up having Ted in big trouble you do see this red beetle that's pretty cool but I don't yeah. know what's what's going on. Uh, but what do you think? I mean, do you, I, the only thing I could I kept saying is you did bring up Dan Garrett. You did bring up like old school villains and things like that. And then have this guy say, you are an imposter. You're worthless toys. You're not worthy. All that. But we'll have to see. We'll have to see how it is. But what about you? What do you think? 
Yeah, so uh, the very opening page, we get like a Silver Age throwback, or like you know, like, you know, it's like saying the history of the Scarab, and in that, uh, there's this like narration where I think it's Jaime or whatever, and he says like, "Who knows the secret hi- history of the Kajida?" And that could be a part of it, and I hope it is because that was another flavor that I was interested in because it's like, "Ooh, we're going to learn some more about the Kajida." I would love to do that. And if he's able to tie it in with the Red Beetle, the one who uh, attacked uh, Ted, that'd be interesting. And like you said, there is a history where uh, Van Garrett, he came back from the dead and he had an axe to grind with Ted. So this could definitely tie in that too. My main worry is that with how there's so many different threads that uh, Josh Trujillo is planting, is he going to pay off? Because I read Graduation Day and let me tell you, he barely paid off anything in that. Uh, that was all mainly set up for this. Yep, it was a lot of setup and a lot of scenes. So when we're talking about things, I kept thinking about like the idea of Starfire showing up. Yeah, didn't really do much. Yeah, and then you end up Justice League, and that didn't. Do- so he was big on introducing things, but losing track because in that graduation day, the big things obviously Jaime, but also these new Beatles. You didn't really have enough space because you were doing all those other things and, and whatnot. Now. In that, too, the whole play of Dan Garrett, when he ended up getting the scarab, you know, he was a archaeologist, ended up getting that, and, and they changed it since, oh, it's it's reach tech and whatever. And it may have to do with something like that would be cool, too, uh, you know, the difference between, because it's it's funny, once you had rebirth, they kept changing if the, yeah. the scarab was magic or science, you know, science yeah. fiction space. And it drove Eric nuts, because he likes Jaime just straight up reach and having that science fiction yeah, element to it not the magic deal and they they kept like that was one of the big rebirth things every oh you thought it was this but it's actually mad you know you went back and forth with that but in that maybe they're gonna play maybe it's gonna play up with that and we're gonna find out something else and how this plays i don't know maybe it's just the personification of kajida that shows maybe, up just uh, coming I, I don't know yeah i have a question for you so with the kajida i'm not as familiar with like the dan garrett history when Dan Garrett found it, how long had the Kajida been around in, like, you know, the uh, uh, temple or whatever, you know, wherever he found it? Was it, like, there for thousands of years? I think it was there for a while, and it's he was in a pharaoh's tomb. Yeah. And he became the – actually, that's the thing. It's, like, Ka, it's Ka-F-Re is the deal with the scarab in it that was, like, thousands of years old there. So, and he touched the, he touched the scarab and ended up giving him the blue beetle powers and, and whatnot. Uh, but – it ends up for the weird play is I, I don't really know the exact answer. Yeah, I, I <laughs> it don't was there for a while. Yeah, but so like, could it be possibly be something like I, I hate to say this, but you know, it could be something tropey like, oh, this is the great, 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 great grandkid be. of the original Pharaoh or whatever. Yeah, it might be the Pharaoh come back because it's like, though well, that was originally the Pharaoh Scarab. So yeah, obviously, you know, uh, well now Ted could never get it to work. So, but you know, and it could be anything. So. And it's crazy, and at points like in Crisis on Infinite Earths is where you end up where Ted lost the scarab. You had a lot of history with it where at different places you can think, oh, it might be that person, whatever. But it just for me, just that mention of Dan Garrett and then ending up saying, like you said, of what is the secrets of the Kajida. Like maybe if that's the case, do that because that's interesting and that can help the character going forward. Don't sit there and meander about with other things, but that's what, Josh Trillio seems to want to do when he writes these things, but maybe he'll surprise us because this is okay. This gets us yeah. going. I just wanted a little more. Yeah, I, I wanted I wanted a little bit more too. Like I said, this was a bunch of like they they were all good samples. I mainly like most of this. I mean, the only thing I didn't really like was maybe the 
alien refugee thing. And it's not that I don't like it, just I don't like where it could go. That's that's my issue. If he plays it smart, I think he'll be fine. But we we read Batman Phase Clan, so sometimes he's not exactly you know the smartest writer. That that's that is one of the worst books, and I'm glad you brought that up because I always forget that he wrote that Phase Clan deal. That was one of the worst books I've ever read, and it, it was free. I ended up reading, and I still felt ripped off. That's how bad yeah. it was. I'm like, what? You wasted your time. And that's oh the most my precious God. thing. I, I, when I was done, and I ended up, I'm like, because I almost made a video on it, and I was like, that was so bad, but what the hell was I expecting? I went into a yeah. Batman Phase Clan book, and I'm, what was I? But again, sometimes you get surprised. One of the funniest yeah. things and fun things I've read since we started the podcast and even reading uh, and reviewing stuff, it was the KFC multiverse tie-ins with with the flash were yeah. hilarious they yeah. were hilarious and uh, i didn't mind that and we just talked about like peacemaker but boy that face clan we'll have to we, we might have to review that at some point oh, just for a joke it's so bad uh but what would you give this issue so like i said i, I think this is a solid starting issue like a well establishing issue that is it gives you most of what you need now it definitely would help to go back and read graduation day that would always help but overall, I enjoyed what we got. The main worry is that, is he going to be able to explore all the avenues he's opened up? And do I trust him to? And honestly, I don't. But I have to base this issue on its own merit. I think I'm going to give it about, let's say, 7.5 out of 10. I only ding a few points out because there's a few, like, like I said, it's just you don't get a lot of meat or substance there. You know, like not the meat and potatoes. Because it's like, like what, what really happened this issue? Like, tell me what was the really big thing that happened? And it's like, well, he fought the madman. And it's just like, that's not a lot. No. Everything else is just purely lot. set up for the future. Like, we get so many questions that are brought up. Is he going to answer any of them? Because, I mean, we only touched on like maybe three or four. You know, we touched on big ones, but there's other ones. Like, for instance, like, what's going on with Brenda and her secret job? And why do I think it's involved yeah, that with Victoria Yeah, that was a weird play, too, right? When he's like, that sounds weird. I'm like, really? Brenda's pretty much a go-getter. I, I wonder why he I, I think that. I think she's going to be the assistant to Victoria Court. I bet you that's, that's how they're going to tie it in. I think 100%. But it's weird that behind you, that seems weird. That I'm like, no, it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> Papa's immediately, immediately like, don't worry about it. Yeah. The, the thing that I thought was, okay, that's weird that she didn't mention it, maybe. But the yeah. idea, it was so odd to have that deal of like, oh, man, that seems sus. And I, I'm looking yeah. now, I wanted to see, I do think at this point, because of this and the timing, you can go read Graduation Day, if you, even if you have the regular app, not even the yeah, old, you, so can. you can go read it. So, yeah, I, I would say if anybody is interested and they're like, well, I want to check, I would say that that is almost... It's definitely required to a point where you could get away with not reading it, but I think the only way that you're really going to know and enjoy what's going on, especially in this first deal, is to get that back up. Though, like you said, you might end up being frustrated by the end like we were because yeah. things were set up that never came to be, and then it just ended. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. The, so. the, the best way I could describe it, it's like watching one of the later Fast and Furious movies. You don't really have to watch the former ones but it would help you'll get the, the family connections if you yeah if exactly you watch it's all the about others. family yeah it's i mean when the they family. start flying cars in space you're gonna need to know about the family it's, so. it's flying scarabs now jim it's flying scarabs uh, do they No, drift? actually it's a flying rock through the window that's what yeah, it really is. that's what it was and me flying out the door uh yeah no, i like i said i'm giving a six five you're a little more you're a little more nice to it than me, but I, I still, I think, I feel like I got burnt by that graduation day, and I need yeah, to I, see I something that. better. Yeah, it was, and this is okay, but again, 
you're just kind of drib and drabbing it to set it up. I need a little more, but it's interesting. We're already talking. I mean, a mystery at the end with this new red beetle was like, okay, that's cool. I just thought of something with that. Now, wh- what if Brenda's the red beetle and that's what the secret now, that would is? Be crazy. Because think, think of it like this. Remember in the new 52, uh, What's his name? Apaco. Remember, he got that uh, beetle offshoot because remember, you know, Jaime insisted on saving him and it went rogue and he became a red beetle. I I was just wondering if Brenda's that and already in the first issue where they just mentioned she has a weird and she's already killing Ted Cord, that'd be odd. Yeah, like what if what if that what if she got an alert on her phone be like, Oh, it's time to kill Ted Court and she's like, Okay. Okay. Like it'd be maybe, okay if we found out on the side that she's training with another reach. Maybe maybe it's something with Victoria Cord. You know, maybe Victoria was like, Hey, I love my brother, but he's got to go. I need charge of this company and I need to do whatever I want with the The horizon. imposter deal feels more like it would be for for Jaime, but we'll see. We'll see what it maybe. is. Maybe it's a dupe. We'll see. But that is that. Thank you again for joining me. And no yeah, problem. this is already a long podcast. We're we're gonna hit the uh, record number uh, of hours again. It's been a while since we had something even over five hours. I think we're already at that now, but we still have a lot to go because we're gonna go off now. We're gonna talk a little Superboy. We have some Steelworks. We have a bunch of things, so we'll go to that now. All right, and I'm here with my man Rocky. What up, Rocky? Hello again, Jim. Another another day, <laughs> another wonderful DC comic review. Exactly, and here we are <laughs> with you know pretty much the winner of the round robin that then become a dawn of DC book. It's Superboy, the Man of Tomorrow, issue number four or five. Actually, sorry about that. I ended up messing up. And this, if you've been listening to our podcast throughout. Eric was more of a fan of this book, and I was kind of there, you know, riding his coattails because, again, I don't have as much of a connection of Connor, all this stuff going. And I I think that he might have ended up liking it a little more maybe because of what he thought might happen or that he just wants to get some Connor. He wants some Metropolis kid. He wants all that. I have kind of been like, well, okay, if you like it, that's fine, whatever. And I just I don't have much of a connection to it is what I'm saying. When we go into this, every time I read an issue of Superboy, The Man of Tomorrow, I end up not even remembering what happened the last time, which is common because I'm an idiot. But also just it never sticks with me. Also, I want to mention the idea that this book has the weirdest schedule because it seemingly always comes out early on the app. Then it comes out on print. It's like all (laughs) over the place that I actually ended up asking you to do this this week. And then seeing, well, it did come out on the app here and there. And I almost said, well, I don't know, maybe. But we both had already read it. So I thought, yeah, screw it. We'll, we'll end up doing it. But I'm interested to see what you think of it. And hopefully you can maybe take Eric's reins here and convince me that it's pretty okay. I don't know that anybody's going to say it's great, but, you know. I'll, I'll give it the old college try because I, I did actually enjoy this. And uh, I, I uh, some of my bias, and might I might be heightened because I did listen to an interview with uh, with Kenny Porter where he talks about this. And just as a little bit of background, uh, Kenny Porter uh, confirmed some people suspected it, and I think uh, I think you and Eric and you reviewed it, maybe even have brought this up. But this is a story that actually takes place before Action Comics one thousand fifty one, before before Connor dons the jacket, uh, the, the sort of the ja- the his new leather jacket for the Superman family. And so this was the adventure that he had in space that sort of inspired him and gave him, you know, basically had him sort of become essentially, instead of being the kid of yesterday, he becomes the man of tomorrow. And if, this is, the, I guess, the formative issue where he actually says something to that effect here as well. And 
I thought it. I love the cover. I got to give a shout out to the cover. I love it. Sort of alludes to the death of Superman, but I love that that jacket. You know, with a spear, uh, Trav's spear, the the member of the Cosmeteers who betrays the team and and almost believes he kills Connor. Connor uh, kills Superboy. I, I thought the, I think the cover is fantastic, so it's definitely a cover buy for me. And and the great thing is that it's cover A, and for once the cover cover has actually reflects the content something of the comic that's book. going on in there it almost <laughs> yeah. has like it's funny because again if somebody expected to see that scene it's more of the idea of the philosophy of what ends up happening which is cool the overall vibe and overall what the actual deal is which i do like now in that the yeah there was when you mentioned it and you said that you listened to and that was uh an interview by your man chase so that's pretty cool as well so when you end up talking about that there was a an editor's note, at the very beginning of the first issue, it said this series takes place before issue 10,050, the the big, you know, Into the Dawn of DC. And even then, I kind of rolled my eyes about it, but now it makes more sense. It actually does play out the idea of, okay, this is what gets him to the position of when we get to the Dawn of DC and how he has kind of accepted his role and grown a little. So that is pretty cool idea. I don't mind. I'll give you the credits here. It is Superboy, The Man of Tomorrow, Chapter 5, written by Kenny Porter, art, color, and cover by Janoy Lindsay, and letters by Lucas Gattoni. So you end up, and I, I have enjoyed the art in this. I do enjoy some of the concepts in it. I actually think the Cosmeteers, Eric was hoping that this was going to be almost like a new type of Legion type deal. The problem is, is that you end up having them not so great. You know, you end up with well, there's a redemption a bit in this issue for, you know, a cup, two of them. But main deal, he he's not so good. Well, I, mean, I, just, you I, have I want to interject, uh, Jim. Uh, I think Eric might be. I mean, I, I can tell you that one of Kenny Porter's uh, wishes, he uh, there's there's a rumor going around uh, social media. This is according to Kenny Porter that says that thinks that he might be the new writer for an on for an upcoming Young Justice series. He debunked that rumor. He said he's not he's not uh, going to be a Young Justice writer that, for a series, but he did say that if he was going to write Young Justice, uh, his his approach to the team would be more in line with having a little bit more, uh, not necessarily spacefaring, but a little bit more uh, science-based and, and maybe involving space travel uh, with... Uh, with the Young Justice team members, so he sort of alluded alludes to that. That's sort of his, his take on it, and yeah, he had a lot to say. He's, he's very opinionated on it, and I love the fact that he's he's very passionate about it. He he talks about the frustrations he has with the, the sort of like he shares a lot of readers' frustrations because we're dealing with Connor. He's sort of like a middle character along with along with Cassie and along with Bart. I mean, what do you do with characters like that? They're sort of intergenerational. Where do they fit? And yet somehow Wally should be a member of that team, but he's not. Wally's older, but he's part of a different group. So uh, hearing what Kenny, had to, uh, Kenny Porter had to say, he, I, I understood, I, could, I had some sympathy for him when he, when, you know, in terms of how he had to approach this character by taking Connor Kent and sort of going back to how he was previous. As he he seemed to get older, and he wore the just the, the the black leather or the black the black shirt, the black shirt with the S with the S. But now this is sort of going back to that that brash young character. And incidentally, Kenny Porter describes his version of Connor Kent as he's as akin to Raphael of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's how okay. he sort of views him in terms well, of his character. I love he's Raphael. Brash. Yeah, he, he's, <laughs> he's, he's 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 he tends to jump into action. He and he. 
uh, Kenny Porter refers to his favorite scene in the series on issue one where, 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 uh, Connor jumps on the, on the, basically the front of his, of the enemy spaceship after he defeats them and he sort of rubs it in and he calls them out. Like, that's not something Superman would do. No. But Connor Kent is kind of calling them out. And of course, it's that brashness that comes back to haunt him and leads to his defeat by Trav last issue and it humbles Superboy. Uh, in this issue, when he comes back to to win the day, and he learns that lesson that leads to him becoming the man of tomorrow. So, you, uh, I appreciated the journey that 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 Connor went on in this series because of that interview, and and I think it, there's evidence of that in the story itself as well. There is. It, the, my my biggest problem with it, and overall with the deal, is I really don't care that much about these side characters. I know that Trav's the you know he's the guy, he's the villain. He's doing all that, but I really wanted to get more in the Cosmic Tears, and I'm not really finding myself caring too much about them. I, I do have to admit that they just are side characters to me. And in the end, it's like, well, we knew Trip, like, no, you, you're pretty bad. They even say at one point, well, we're going to get arrested too because we we're pretty bad. But it's almost like a little, well, you aren't that bad. It's Trav. That's the big problem. But I think that they'll end up, you know, being redeemed by the end. But I, I just don't find myself that compelled by them. I don't mind Superboy's, you know, overall journey to be, you know, the man of tomorrow and not this brash kid that he ends up, you know. And and I did, even the people in Slack, the people who I consider big Superman fans and really big Young Justice fans, like a John Wayne, people like that, they hate this so much. They can't stand it. They think that it's <laughs> one of the worst things ever. And I do think that maybe it's one of those where it's been elevated a bit more Overall, because it was just a round robin deal, now it becomes a Dawn of DC, even though it happens before that. Maybe going into it, I was expecting even more from it than what it really is, but it's what it is. So when you get into this, the whole bit with Trav and he's a Daxamite, no man, I didn't have the powers you had and I should have been this. And I I don't know, it, it seems to get lost in the shuffle with me overall, especially at this point when he's just, okay. I'm going to use this mind control deal, get all these people. I'm going after Dominator X. Dominator X in this suddenly becomes pretty much the comedy relief with Infinity. <laughs> and it's just I, the tone is a little weird. But my big, yeah. actually, my biggest problem with the issue is that Connor is left for dead. He can't get off this planet. You have Red Sun, all this. But you do have him. He was saved. He ended up getting saved by... These kids, Glebe, and this other kid. The problem I have, though, is they seem to be the MacGuffin to solve everything. Like, everything is solved by them. These kids are pretty smart and, and with it to just pretty much get him, get him under the yellow sunlights, get him powered up, and also fix his communicator transporter. It, it seems a little too much for these kids. I like the ideas inspired them, but be the end-all, be-all of, like, hey, now everything here is solved and we're going to get moving on think maybe that could have been well uh, better thought out or better played out how about you i i enjoyed the fast pacing i enjoyed the fast pacing i i loved uh, I, I thought croon and glebe you, you're right they accomplished quite a bit they definitely they they were plot devices but i i thought they i thought they were they they helped reinforce the fact that they were inspired by by superboy and and that that is the point of this series. This the, the point of this, I think, is quite clear. And certainly, uh, I know Kenny Porter's made it clear that it, you know, he wants to inspire hope. And despite the fact that Connor is kind of a brash young Raphael like character, he he does manage, despite his brash nature, he still manages to inspire hope. 
even in characters like Cruding Glebe, who, who respond in kind by fixing his teleporter, like you say, putting him back on the playing field because he travels from planet Kilim, where he was defeated by Trav, uh, and he ends up on planet uh, Decidia, where... Uh, or pardon me, uh, he was on planet Decidia, where he ends up on planet Kalem, where he Kalem, yeah. confronts uh, Kalem, or he confronts, sorry, uh, Trav, Trav again. Yep. And and the battle that ensues, I I personally love. You're right. You might that you mentioned the comedic moments with 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 the Dominator X walking around Baby Infinity, and Trav is so pissed off and is trying to kill him, and Trav doesn't care if he kills civilians. He's so blindly. He wants to take out Dominator X and he's taken out civilians while he's doing so. And while he's doing that, his teammates of the other Cosmeteers, uh, particularly Pyra, she sees this and she says, you know what, you got to stop doing this. So Trav is his own worst enemy here. And it, it, it builds to a head in the issue until finally when Superboy shows up and they ultimately defeat Trav. And I thought I thought it's an extremely paced issue, bro. But I didn't mind the pacing, though. Did did you or did it? Did well, it it's you, just the what? idea that you have this whole setup that he's stranded on the planet, and you're like, "There's no way he's going to get out," and it gets solved in a with the. I wouldn't have minded the idea of okay, the lights. Yeah, but I I kind of wanted him. Maybe Connor wakes up and like, "Oh my God, thank you." Oh no way, you're you're so. And he does get that play of usually it's Cal who's going to inspire people. Not necessarily him all the time, and this gets him all excited. It makes him become more, you know, of a man in that way. Maybe have him like, okay, let's work together. Just let me see what you were doing with my child. I don't know why it would have made it better, but they just end up, yeah, we tried to work on your transporter, but I couldn't do it. Oh, really? Can you look at it again? Oh, yeah, I can look at it again fixed and then hand it. But again, like you said, it's a means to an end because you, you don't want to have him stuck there. You need to have him come off. And I do like really the big play is that once it gets fixed, hand at Kalex is right on. Connor, are you okay? What's going on? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm good. Hey, you want us to send somebody there? You want us to, you know, transport you out because we're all worried about you. And he ends up saying, no, no, I'm good. I'm going to go. And that's a cool moment. That's the moment where, again, you have set up that he just wants to get the hell out of there. Oh, my God. But he set up a problem here with Trav and he needs to, to take care of it. So he, you know, he goes to do it. But yeah, I'm telling you, the Dominator X after this, it's just the idea that, yeah, now that Trav's the big bad bully, you can then play around, I guess, with Dominator X and everybody else with him running around with that baby. Make a shield now, baby. And I go, no, no, you can't do that. Well, do you have heat? They should do something, baby, Infinity. Please do something. And and then just grabs him and runs away. Ah, I got to get away. And it, it is funny, but I don't know that I needed that. I know. It reminded me of, I don't know if you watch The Boys, but if you watch season one of The Boys, there's a scene where uh, uh, one of the characters holds up like a, like a, a, a baby that's been uh, injected with the V V compound, and, and and the baby has laser vision from his eyes, and he's using the baby in a maternity ward laser to kill a gun. It's yeah, hilarious. the deal, and it is. It's kind of funny, but again, I don't know that the the overall tone of that. Now, I'll give Kenny Porter maybe a little credit because you do end up having Trav really disintegrate some, you know, just innocent bystanders and civilians. So maybe he thought I needed a little play here to have a little goofiness, whatnot. But that's what ends up happening then when you end up having this play of, hey, I where's Dominator X? Where is this? I'm not, I don't know. I don't, and he just starts disintegrating everybody. And even by the end, they allude to the fact that even the Cosmeteers, if they step in the way, and Pyra does kind of like, she's about to get killed here. 
And you do have Connor then show up Badass too And he shows up It is really cool Great scene uh, Credit to the artist uh, Janoy Lindsay Just fantastic art In the battle sequences In the battle Especially the latter half of the issue With the battle scenes Between Superboy and Tra- Trav I thought they worked really well They just popped off the page very well. Yeah, and you're playing this idea again where the cousin tears, they realized like they were all in and they were mad and Trab was able to kind of convince them, hey, we'll do this, this and this, but they didn't realize how far he was going to go. So I feel bad for them, even though they've done, they did do bad things and knew they were doing bad things, just not real bad. Like This has gone too far. And so when you have that, though, I, I just look and I'm like, I guess Trav, you know, he didn't go with full out you know, Dragon Ball, half shirt, cyborg. I mean, right now he looks as evil as he's ever going to look. I mean, he's flexing the abs. When you wear a half shirt and a trench coat, that combo is is evil. Like nobody <laughs> wears a trench coat and wears a half shirt unless you're evil. And he's doing it. Like I said, he's got like Goku hair. He's got the diamond in the middle of the deal. I mean, he's straight up evil. And yeah, I like this because you end up where... Connor's had enough and he says you know I'm I'm gonna take you down I'm not gonna let you hurt anybody else and they do go fight and at one point yeah you, you don't really you can't really tell okay who could win you, you, there is that possibility though we know it's not gonna happen Connor's not gonna die or you know whatnot but this fight can go either way and whatnot but Connor is inspired and again it's the hope and the, the whole play of of doing that that ends up but Trav again just wanted to be that living weapon that he thinks he should be and be better than a Kryptonian. He was a Daxamite. Oh my God, it sucks. And I thought that by the end, it was a little bit more confusing about exactly what's happening here because you do end up having him seemingly die. You know, he gets disintegrated. But the thing is, he uploads himself then into another clone body of, you know, Connor type deal. And he becomes, you know, Trav in a Kryptonian body. So he gets rid of all of his, you know, weaknesses. Now it's and I like the play here that he almost plays into almost being a cyborg Superman for Connor, even though it's more of a Kryptonian clone type deal. He keeps that streak of hair going and all that. Uh, pretty cool. Well, uh, but I, I, it's I weird. To, I have to interject again because uh, Kenny Porter would love you right now because he that's exactly what his intention was. This is cyborg Superboy. He said, he goes, I never called him that, but that's what his intention was. He wants this to be a cyborg. This is, this is Connor's cyborg Superboy counterpart. That's exactly what this is. And, and, and yeah, you saw that. And I, I, I thought it worked well. I, I love the choreography of this fight. I love the fact that Connor rips off Trav's arm and that the, the arm itself, which, and this is the same arm that, that contains the red, the red solar generator that deprived him of his powers last issue. But unbeknownst to Connor, it's set to explode when it's ripped off. It explodes, and Trav's so stupid, it actually kills Trav himself. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, oh, man. Totally, yeah, but not, again, not a, it's, it's a cool <laughs> thing. And now you got me all excited because I'm not as much of a dummy as I, I pretend, I guess. But then I'm thinking, I see at the end, it's like cybernetic Superboy. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. Uh, but I do like it, too, because you do end up having the tactile deal where Connor is going to protect everybody else. And again, he steps up he, and he doesn't know if he's going to survive. So he ends up doing that. But yeah, Trav, poor Trav, he goes down. And I like the idea that when they think Trav is dead here and gone and done, 
they do feel sad and, 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 you know, oh man, it was a shame. He just went too far. But then when he comes back, they're like, oh crap, what a dick. <laughs> like the idea, like you feel bad and all, oh man, what a jerk. But it's okay. Uh, you know. It is. I, and and I, I do want to say, I always like to say a speculator alert. This is the first appearance of Cyborg, Su- of Cyborg Superboy unnamed. He's not named in the issue. But to all you speculators out there, yeah, if you're, you know, if you're in for a key appearance, I think this is a key issue for, uh, for, for future reference. Yeah, we'll see if, if anything comes from it. And obviously, if, uh, Kenny Porter is a smart guy in the <laughs> next issue, you won't just kill him off flat out. You'll end up having him <laughs> like right. run away, fly away, and then he can go. And then you go with that play of, okay, that if he did a, a young justice or he did something there, that would be a cool deal. And, and in the meantime, if you're going to have characters and an established character, I mean, Connor, it's, you know, not like he just showed up. He's an established character, but it is cool to continue going and giving a rogues gallery to some characters. And while it's a playoff of Cyborg Superman, it's still not just scraps of some other hero. A lot of times, you know, you'll have that in the Batman books and whatever, you know, oh man, you know, Scarecrow, or you have the Superman books. Oh, I got to fight Cyborg Superman. It's cool to get their own rogues gallery and, and so i give them credit for that again this is the one thing though that makes me actually care by this last page i'm like okay now i'm kind of down with trav up until then i just the whole play of the hey i'm a deck i know what he was going for but it just wasn't hitting with me and then at the end again you're gonna have what is the living weapon who's tried to go against it fighting the guy who always wanted to become it so that is a good back and forth between these two and if i had one one criticism plot or plot wise in terms of how it played out in 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 the sequence because superboy took sort of like that mind stone away from trav i to me he travel would he should have still had that mind stone because that would at least explain how he could still move after he's been literally decimated. Because I don't know how, I mean, he was literally incinerated, but for his, his spinal column and his skull, I don't know how he could possibly move to the uh, clone chamber, uh, unless maybe he still had that, if that, if the mind stone was still in the skull, I could maybe understand it. But yeah, you'd go in my own headcanon as a, as a comic book geek, I don't quite, that doesn't make a lot of... Uh, well, that's what possess. I said, that that progression, I was, okay, like, eh, I, <laughs> I actually thought it was also a shame because of the idea where you also, you took the Mind Stone, that, that's, you also blew up the arm, like, you might have been even be able to play something where, because Con, Connor rips that arm right off, and in a cool page, too, where he rips it off and throws it, you could have just had the arm kind of have something involved with the download deal and, and kind of work it that it's near, but... You really got rid of all the things. And then I'm like, is that Skillin just crawling around? I don't get what's going on here. So I did think the progression was a little odd to get. what. And again, I said that even earlier with the kids fixing everything. It, it just ended up there's two spots in this issue that I definitely sit there and say, okay, I see what he's doing, but it might have been a little better done, but you don't have a lot of time. I'll give, and we ended up, me and you, we're talking about the JSA book that we talked about on the Patreon spotlight as well. And there's a lot of times in these books uh, that you do kind of like that they go forward. Like, again, I could sit there and bitch and moan. Oh, my God, that was too quick. But if it took 10 issues to do it, I'd be bitching and moaning then. So I get your point. Like, you like the fast pace because you just get it done. And then you move on. Because really, the fixing of the transporter 
and having them in a bed with it, that's not real exciting to watch. I mean, it's not, that's not what we're here for. So it is a means to an end to get moving. I just, some of the times I just shake my head, but I'm with you with the idea at the end. I'm like, I don't know what really happened here. I really couldn't <laughs> tell you, but hey, it looked pretty creepy. And you get crazy cybernetic Superboy trap, you know, and that's a pretty cool deal. And he, that's his dream. He got what he wanted. He wanted to be like a Kryptonian. Now he's got a Kryptonian body. He's got a cool suit. He's ready to go. So I, I will admit, again, you might have convinced me to like this, just us talking. Also, I love when I say something and I'm told I'm right. That that really gets me excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the, K- Kenny Porter was really excited. He goes, I, I, he was, he's hoping that people can, can infer that that's Cyborg Superboy. And, uh, and you, you did. So you made him happy. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. It'd be funny if I tell you afterwards. I I listened to the interview. I I knew what was going. I I did not. So in that, though, I will say that the best thing I can say about this issue is that for the first time, I actually am looking forward to the next issue. I actually have never said that at the end of these issues. I actually (laughs) moan and groan when we have to do this because it just wasn't my thing. And it was ending up like even watching, like talking with Eric about it, he just was frustrated. Like, okay, what are we doing here? I want more. And I hopefully he reads this and he lets me know if he likes it or not. Uh, but yeah, I'm at least looking forward to the next issue. Now there is a backup. It it continues that idea of the books that didn't win the round robin. They have these lit. They're not even issues. They're just kind of like little half things that they did. And this is T. Franklin. We're not talking about it because I don't know what goes on in this. This this little bit did enough to be a mind scrambler with me that I just I don't want any parts of it. You even said that you were having problems even getting through it. So we're we're gonna skip old T. Franklin and the ghost tour from hell. Uh, but what would you give this issue? I I enjoyed the uh, I enjoyed the uh, Superboy Man of Tomorrow uh, issue five. I. And I may have been a little bit biased because Kenny Porter's enthusiasm and passion wore off on me listening to the interview. I'm going to give it an eight because I, 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 I think, I, I think I recall you saying that you, when you, when you, you initially, when you, uh, review, reviewed the earlier issues, a lot of the people saying that this is not Connor Kent to them. This isn't Connor to them. This felt like Connor to me, his earlier, this did, it did feel like Connor to me throughout the series and i know some people will vehemently disagree with me on that but i, I thought it felt like connor, connor from the beginning of the series but not necessarily the connor who maybe with the with the black shirt and the red you know but the initial original iteration of of connor when he was wearing the leather jacket i thought i think kenny porter's pretty much nailed it so i'm giving it an eight i'm going seven and then the idea i think that you had the same kind of vibe and and again you say the idea of the enthusiasm of a writer can really help out and I, I do agree i don't i don't love listening to interviews because a lot of times it is just softball questions it feels just like pr but there are certain times when writers will get really enthusiastic about it and kind of go off on tangent and things like that and i i've even had the deal of one of the reasons why i even like jeremy adams as much as i do is because of sometimes hearing him and even seeing tweets and things and how much he's into it it just makes you like the people a little more and it, then it, it it's a but mind boggler why on the opposite side, you think some of these creators want to just have fights with people like they end up wanting to 
you know, trigger them and get mad because that doesn't help anybody. It, it does nothing. And you just said, like, just the enthusiasm makes you want to read people's things and, and get more out of it. And, it. and it does. It does work. It's just a little hint to some of these other writers in all of comics or in anything. The idea of being mean and yelling at the people who are your fans, it doesn't work out. But in that, though, again, I, I'm excited for the next issue. For the first time, I think it's pretty cool. And it might be one of those series here that by the end, I end up like, this sucks because I, I just got on board. I mean, we have one more issue left, right? And I'm, I just get <laughs> into it. Like, I'm going to end up where I'm, man, but at least it's finishing off strong. Another thing that a lot of DC stuff has a real big problem doing. You usually start off all hyped and then it just thuds. This is actually getting better and seems like. You know, you're getting more out of it as this thing can lead into the dawn of DC, which I do like it. But another thing I was going to say that I went off on a tangent about Jeremy Adams, and that's the point. The idea when people were talking to me about not liking this book, the oh, Connor and this, you know, it's two steps backwards and it's this. I heard the same things when people were talking about the first two issues of Green Lantern with, you know, oh, this how Jordan, he should be beyond this. He's doing this. But you do even see with that, it's just setting up some things. I just worry that. At this point, I think most of the people would actually start getting on board, at, like me, at issue five, which is a shame. But I think that a lot of times they've already discounted. They're already gone, which is another bit of a shame with this, because this could end up, you know, carrying off into something pretty interesting if it does continue in some form. And I can even see this continuing in, say, in Action Comics as, you know, a four or five issue backup in that deal and, and continue stuff there, because some of that stuff. It's garbage. I'd rather have this. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, I, I think I did end up liking it a little more. You had that effect on me again. Woo! You have this mystical effect. <laughs> I'm telling you. All, now, from now on, when you're on with me, all you have to do is make up stuff saying, oh, my God, you didn't realize. Like me and you were talking Tom King Penguin. You didn't realize that Tom King actually said exactly what you said. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm a fan now. I love that Tom King. It'll happen. I mean, it's nice to kind of. You know, figure out like, oh my, I actually did figure something out. That doesn't <laughs> happen often. Uh, so I got all excited. But with that, thanks for joining me as always. Please, everybody, go into the show notes and check out Rocky's link to the Comic Boom YouTube channel. And Rocky, send me the interview deal wherever, the, and I'll put that in yeah, with Chase. The interview is with uh, the Comic Source is it podcast. On the, okay. Uh, at, uh, Jace, uh, Jace does the interview, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, I'll yeah I'll, send me the I'll link, and the, I'll put that because I'm sure people will be real interested in hearing uh, what Kenny Porter has, and maybe you know there'll be a groundswell of things. I think that the problem Kenny Porter is just he hasn't become that name that people recognize because he's always on these kind of side books. He's always on like the the deal, and did he did the DC Mech as well? He did, right? and yeah. I just I just want to give a shout out to DC Mech, and I don't know if uh, we reviewed. Uh, Jason and I reviewed every issue of that, and I thought, I thought it was enjoyable. But he he could literally. One thing about Kenny Porter is he is genuinely starting out. I mean, he's he's earning every story he does. He look, not everyone's. You know, he's 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 a newbie. Okay, so when we criticize DC and we want them to hire just the A list writers, well, okay, Kenny Porter, he's starting out. He's starting out at the bottom. He's in the mail room of writers. He is, but he's he's paying his dues. He's passionate. He's he's open to interviews. He's blunt. He, he loves comics. This is this is what you know. Frankly, guys like me who, who love comic books, I think he's an up and comer, and I think he's I think he continues to 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 improve. And you know, there are 
you know, again, I mean, you know, he's he's not he's he's gonna not not please everyone, but quite frankly, I I really I, I think that he's uh, he hasn't made a name for himself as quickly as Jeremy Adams has, but I think but he might in that be same on my, vein. my watch list, you know, moving forward because he continue he hinted at more work to come from DC, and hopefully we'll be hopefully we'll uh, have more to uh, follow. And yeah, and, and again, not everybody gets to, you know, be on a couple of books and then get on Batman like Tom King. Uh, you know, the, some people have to work <laughs> yeah. for it. And and again, even like a Jeremy Adams, who he ended up at least kind of got a bigger book right away as well. And and Kenny Porter, I'll just give a shout out. And I don't know if he'll ever listen to this, but my man Common Sense, who is a guy on YouTube that ends up commenting a lot on the YouTube channel and also some other people's stuff and whatever has just been pushing Kenny Porter so much and loves like every time. And then when I'm on like the comics aficionado show on the weekend, if he's in, he, every time I, Jim, did you read that DC <laughs> Beck yet? I'm like, I haven't gotten to it. I got a lot going on here. And uh, yeah. he really, really loves Kenny Porter. Like to the point where it, like you said, where Kenny Porter's enthusiasm gets you inspired. There's common sense. I'm like, I might have to check out that DC Mech again because I read the first issue. I'm like, I knew we weren't going to read it or review it on the show. And a lot of times because of that, just don't have the time or whatever to go. So I did tell him I would read it. But man, he, <laughs> yeah, he he's good. a big fan. So at least you see, though, everybody, it, sometimes it takes time. It, it basically it reminds me of a band that, you know, they're not going to get. But you keep touring. You keep doing the tours. You keep hitting smaller towns and things like that. And you start to get that following. And that's what you really need nowadays, uh, especially because some of the times maybe Kenny Porter's big days at him won't even be at DC. They might be at Marvel or they might be yeah. at Image or he might have, you know, user thing. You just you have to get your people behind you. And if, if he's a nice guy and enthusiastic, that, that's how you do it. So that's yeah, and, pretty cool. And let's face it. I mean, we, I, you and I both, we know what it's like. There, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of there's a darker side to uh, comic books, and there's a lot of negativity out there. And sometimes I I will admit I contribute to some of that. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's just the way it is. I might as well. And, well, there there you go. And so and and that's why I I can't help but to I, I I'm glad that we're giving some props to Kenny Porter because I, I, it has to be difficult to be a writer now, especially a writer if you're struggling. Or but I'm not that I think Kenny Porter is, but. I, the fact that they can stay positive and show that passion and, and still, you know, show up, get the job done, get it done on time. Hello, Jeff Johns. That's a big uh, deal. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it's something that, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're giving some recognition of that. Yeah, and I, well. I hope then nowadays we're talking about that time deal with the idea of them not having a lot of editors, the editors are overworked, that if you can get things done on time, that's another way. To, you know, get that bonus. And we've even talked, I've heard people say that Teeny Howard gets more work because normally she's on time. And that is something that really does help out. She doesn't rock the boat, things like that. Well, she's a good soldier. She gets yeah, stuff that's done. it. And whether or not what she writes, is, it doesn't matter at points. You just need to get it out. But hopefully, you know, Kenny Porter gets some more opportunities because I'm sure it's frustrating while people do like, say, DC Mech. That that isn't, you know, Nightwing or that isn't Teen Titans. So you, you want to start to get recognized by the company and getting a little up. And I guess this kind of is putting this as what was a Dawn of DC or not a Dawn of DC. It was more of the uh, the what's called Round Robin. Round Robin yeah. It did get elevated by getting that Dawn of DC banner and, and, and coming in fairness, out in that way. And I should say that Kenny Porter did say that they were impressed enough with the story. He said these are his words. That they delayed. Yeah, you can tell they, it was they delayed. They delayed it 
and he By spoke a year with, almost. Yeah, and the reason why they did, he spoke to, he spoke with Philip Kennedy Johnson, and they wanted to time it and sort of synchronize it somewhat okay. with the with action comics and and sort of that's why they had that editor's note, like you said at the beginning in the in the first issue. Uh, sort of this was the formative adventure that leads into the uh, the Superboy that he'll become, the Man of Tomorrow, cool. leading into action comics. So. And then hopefully, even if Kenny Porter right away doesn't get to do anything with it, that Philip Kennedy Johnson will continue with it, then maybe he can pick up the baton himself again a little bit later. But again, just to end this, <laughs> us talking about this waxing poetic. And we said sometimes we get angry. It might not come off a lot of times. But I, I try at least, and sometimes I even get upset at myself, I try not to be hateful as much as just upset. And that, you know, I, if I'm not liking something, I'm not going to like it. But I try not to be as, sometimes I lose it a little and get a little upset, but then I, I get upset at myself. I'm not here to, you know, say that this person's that and they should go do this. I just want to enjoy the comics they write. That's what happens when you love comics, man. When we, we always get, we always get, uh, we're always hardest on those we love and we're hardest on those things we love the most. And we love comics, so we're going to get emotional once in a while. <laughs> I'm telling you, the football season starts tomorrow night and then I Uh-oh. really get crazed with them, my Eagles, but still, I mean, the, I get more mad at them than anybody else. So yeah, I, I do the same thing with comics. So thanks for joining me though, Rocky, and a little extra conversation at the end. And I actually said, to a bunch of people again to extend our segment a little long. The idea that I do like with Eric away having a bunch of people, and, and I did get a shout out that people were enjoying having you on as well, which I like to talk, but I also like the idea that you kind of get in this rut, or not even a rut, you get in this kind of timing deal where me and Eric talking about this book would have been done 15 minutes ago. I know that we would have just because we'd have the things going and we'd be doing that. We're used to that way. Where I do like kind of this new. You know, deal. It almost takes me back to when we first started the podcast. Being able to talk to you and and everybody else kind of is like a it, it's, it's called a fresh organized start. chaos. Yeah, and and oh my god, <laughs> back in the day, the the amount of nonsense. But I, I even have some people that you have already heard people listening to the podcast here that I've never talked to in my life that I'll be talking, and that's something that I usually don't do, but I'm doing it now because you know I'm kind of trying to trying to become a better person, just like Connor. I'm trying to be the podcaster of tomorrow is what I'm trying to be. But I, I have really enjoyed and just want to shout out to you and everybody else who has jumped on at this point because it has kind of reset and, you know, recharged my batteries a bit to get excited and actually be more positive for a lot well, of this Well, that's good. But you realize that if you're comparing yourself to Connor, that means that there's a cyborg gym out there. Yeah, somewhere. yeah. That's Eric, maybe. Or, or actually, no, that's the AI songs. That's my, my Cyborg Jim. Nobody wants to be Cyborg Jim. That would be the worst. Hopefully, th- this guy today, I'm telling you, this is how bad I must be right now where this guy, an older guy, this guy looks so old, called me old timer today. And I'm like, looking at this guy. I'm like, you are at least 30 years older than me. I got mad. I think the guy was joking. But I don't know. I'm like, really? Like, I came home. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm like, I'm not that bad. I'm I was so upset. This guy called me old timer. Oh, my goodness. Though, though I was going to get my heart medicine. So maybe he knew better than me. And what happened was he was holding the door for me. He's being very nice. And I ran to get in the door because I didn't want him to have to hold it too long. He goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going to pull something there, old timer. I'm like, what? Okay. I actually went old timer. And then I went in. And I was like, mm, I don't want to get in a fight with this guy. He's being nice. Uh, that's he's uh cyborg gym just the jerk. that's more <laughs> earth three but yeah, yeah so that is that we're gonna go off and talk some other book 
All right, and the last book of the night, I am joined by Gray. What up, Gray? Hey, Jim, what up? How's it going with you? I am not Yankee. We're, we're almost done here. It is a long podcast, and we're almost to the finish line, and we're going to finish with Steelworks, uh, Steelworks number four, an issue that I just asked you if you wanted to do it. I didn't even ask if you had read it. I just said, hey, you want to do Steelworks? And you ended up saying, yeah, right away. I don't even know if you're like, I don't even know what that book is, but we're here to talk about it. And you did catch up. And and this is the fun part of it. Yeah, it might be one play that we'll talk about a book that we know fully. And it's like, oh, man, this is my favorite character. But I do like doing things where maybe this introduces you to something and a character that you might not know that much, right? Well, I've actually read, Jim. I read the first two, you know, when it when it started. And I was quite intrigued because of its, you know, its wharf. It's like Michael Dawn. But I just, I don't know why I dropped. I dropped it after two. And I was like, oh, I'm not really bothered about this series. But owing to you, I was like, okay, I'll reread. Well, I'll read three and then I'll read four, especially for this podcast. Anything for you, Jim. Come on. Oh, my goodness. And this is an Eric <laughs> character. This book is like true, you know, 100% an Eric type book. He loves mm. Steel. It was one of the characters he loved. The whole deal with the death of Superman and the reign of Superman and all that. So he was excited about it. And even he was kind of like, well, and I, I agree with you. After two issues, you're like, does this need to be read? I mean, a lot of people don't have the money or time or whatnot. And it's good. I, I mean, good in the part where I said Michael Dorn, I think he writes a pretty good comic book. He knows, you know, how to do things. There's nothing that ends up like, oh, my God, he's going too heavy on dialogue. He's doing this. The only problem I have is I don't know how integral this book is. And mm, by the end, it yeah. is just about zero point energy. And I'm telling you, that is not like the, the greatest thing zero. ever. I don't know that I care so much about the idea. Oh, my God. Steel has come up with this free energy for everybody. It's fine, but it's not something that really grips me. At one point, you were talk- they, they were talking, you know, get rid of superheroes because there were all of these contingencies oh our building will turn into this and that you have a mention of that but we're dealing more with the zero point energy and again eh, it's not the most exciting thing he is trying to add maybe too much because of that like there are a lot of characters a lot of things going on here we'll see we're almost done it's two issues left i I, it's weird too so much going on but i never really think like oh man he better hurry it up because i don't really know what exactly he's going for uh, as a end all, you know, the end game deal. But I, I do like John. I do like Lana is my reason why I do like this more than maybe some other people. But it is Steelworks number four, written by Michael Dorn, art by Sammy Bassery and Vicente Cifuentes, colors by Andrew Dollhouse. Not only has Andrew Dollhouse not blocked us, he actually follows us and actually talks to me occasionally. So Unbelievable. I'll give a shout out wow, to Andrew Dollhouse. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a couple of them out there. And I love, I think Andrew Dollhouse is a really good color. Uh, letters by Rob Lay. Hell of a hell of a letterer. I'm going to try to get him to start talking to me now. Oh, my. The only uh, letterer who's ever talked to us, I believe, is Pat Brousseau, who actually mm. got mad because when we started the site, we didn't list letters in the credits. Because we didn't know any better, and he ended up uh, arguing, not even arguing, he complained, and then we started doing it. So I was like, okay, there you go, Pat So I, I owe you that. But we end up starting out, and there was, you know, the whole thing going on, every superhero, well, really, Connor and Lana, they ended up at that whole, you know, presentation for the zero-point energy, and they mm. ended up 
spritzing out. They ended up overpowering. Lana just actually getting her powers back, which was a crazy deal. She's Superwoman. Again, that becomes a thing as everybody's attacked by the cybernetic, you know, soldiers, all this stuff going on. And you kind of are at that point where, all right, they have to figure out what the hell happened. And it's okay. And I, I do love Lana. And I hated that Superwoman book with Lana. This is all from that. But if we ended up getting and Lana could, we don't get Lana much, right? You even ask, like, a lot of people don't realize that John and Lana are, are a couple and have been for a while because we never get them, right? That's it. Well, that's why I was asking you before we went live. I was like, yeah, I didn't know they were together for one, but um, I warned you, Jim, I don't know the character that well. I did a bit of research. I looked into it. And as you say, it's after that classic, you know, Death of Superman issue. He was part of the reign of Superman, wasn't he, John Henry Irons? But it's good to see this. It's good to see Lana in it because I've always liked her as a character. But as you were saying, hardly see her. You know, what's funny is Lana... That it could become the Gwen Stacy versus Mary Jane type oh, thing, yeah. but it never really does because people just accept Lois is the one. They get She's the one. All that. Yeah. I love Lana. I don't know if it's like the, the idea of liking the girl that doesn't get the guy, like you feel bad or something, but I, I do like Lana. And it's a problem with Lana is how do you mix her in with things? And her and Steel, they're a couple. So that's cool. And so if this continues on, I do want to see. Lana, I say continue on as these characters kind of, you know, mold mm. into maybe action comics, sure. get maybe another little story. I don't know how many miniseries or what that Steel's going to get, but it's cool to have it. Like you said, this is one of those where for a Dawn of DC, it makes a lot of sense to have this book, the idea of, oh, man, you know, you're trying to get some of that 90s feel. You're going back. You get John involved and with the super family as well. So I like it. But boy, I love Lana when they end up saying, See Superwoman, you know, 2006. Don't, don't go see Superwoman. Really? That, that book was, it was bad. It was so, people may argue with me about this. It was a, re- in that book, Lois Lane died. I mean, she was straight up dead. And it no was way. just, they kind of molded in. Then she became like Ghost Obi Wan Lois. It was wacky. And really? she had, it, at one, she was a Superwoman as well. She had powers. And then that killed her. And then you ended up having Lana going forward. A lot of the stuff, and I think Eric might have brought it up in the first issue of this, a lot of that stuff with Lana and a bunch of other things, it became kind of a question mark. Once you got Superman Reborn, hmm. it kind of made the continuity might not have happened this way, or that would have been because some of the things that were from that book and how they got there, they wouldn't have existed then. So it was kind of a shady gray area, but I like seeing her and I'd like to see her more. As Superwoman, uh, I like seeing the gym, and like you were saying, I like seeing the the Superman family in this, and it, it could be a good move to do that. Like you say, bring them into action comics in the future. But you know, it's good that he doesn't just focus on on Steel on his own. I like having these different characters getting to know them in this. What do you think about Connor? Connor in this? I like. I like see again. Connor's another one that people love, and we have the Superboy Man of Tomorrow book, and we yeah. talked about it tonight. But the idea. That's like it takes place before rebirth, and it's just it was the winner of the round robin deal. It's not like it doesn't feel as ah, important right. as well. Yeah. And so I like seeing Connor, and there are so many of the super family that you do hope that you get other things with them in. And yeah, I I I get I like seeing them. I like that he's. So I wish we saw more of them. I yeah, wish it wasn't I'm just a mention. Oh man, he overpowered. That was crazy. And I really thought that the big play here was going to be a move where 
uh, the the public is afraid of the super family now because of what had happened and what they saw and all that going down. But it didn't seem like that's as much of a problem. They're more worried about how are we going to control this stuff and go? Because by the end of this, John realizes that it was the orb that he was making, the zero-point energy orb. That's right. And the the funny play is, and I, I said to you that one thing in this issue made me laugh, and it's that while this is going on and while John's trying to figure out Lana, they end up where that Silver Mist, John Kerry, he starts, and this guy just phases through things. He runs things. The first part he got his his member of the powers, he just went nude and started running towards. Yeah, I like, remember you know, that. It was yeah. so weird. So now he has this, you know, outfit. Thank God. But he goes and he runs into Steelworks and he's going to go and get the zero point energy or Charles Walker the third. Well, I said looks like toy maker thing. Just nonsense, this guy. But he ends up where. He's guiding them in. They're going to go get the orb, and he wants that orb. It seemed at one point he wanted it just because, oh, man, this zero-point energy, free energy, that's going to make me go poor. You know, I'm going to lose my business. And everybody mm-hmm. wouldn't. I said that to Eric when we talked about it. The idea of coming up with free, it's like when they say who killed the electric car. It was a documentary. I remember like, that. Yeah, do you remember see that? It. Like, yeah, you yeah. Come up with, if, if me and you come up with the electric car, there are a lot of people. Who are not going to want that? Like, there's a lot of oil people. There's exactly. a lot of cars. They're not going to yeah. want that, especially back in the day. And yeah, now we're getting a little more of it, but still, it's not what it. it you could get killed by things, you know, people coming and getting you. And I, you get that now. It looks like by the end, he just wants to use it to make giant mechas or mecha suits. But we'll see. But you end up having silver mist. He runs in. And the alarms go off, all the things go, and he ends up finding the orb that is in the middle of this room in a case. So he grabs the orb, all of the things going, and you have the security go off. John Mm -hmm. says, you wait here, I'll go. And then Lana says, no, 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 you know, I have powers right now, I'll go with you. And that's fine. And they do go in. Now, the one play of this is like, Natasha should be in this more as well. She's just kind of recovering from everything that happened, but still... I wish we would have even checked in with her a bit. But you end up where Silver Mist has this orb. So when they go to get him, Steel just walks in and realizes in a smart way, hey, I get it. This guy, he can face, but he, the, the orb can't. He's no, going to have to right. get out of here. You can mm. go through a wall, but you're going to have that orb. It's not going to be able to go through. I guess, John's. I, I wouldn't know that that would be necessarily true. We've seen characters that whatever they touch, becomes able to face as well but john's yeah pretty- it's not really explained well is it jim you're not really sure how, how far do the powers extend but i've got to say i do like um, this scene where he's phasing his way into this huge safe you know it looks like it, it took a lot out of him didn't it silver mist he's like oh, he's breathing yeah, out at the yeah. end yeah he's he's and it is and that's the thing when charles walker's it you have to keep running you gotta go faster and right again in my mind i'm thinking you know phasing is his power that he's good but he still has to run. <laughs> he's That's running right. really fast. So I do like that as well. But he's kind of stuck. I like when Steel walks in, it looks like he's hiding behind that pony. Yeah, he is. That's what you I know? thought. He's, <laughs> he's, he's like, like, he knows, like. <laughs> it's like, I'm sure. So they end up where he figures, and this is again, Charles Walker never said that much. And we do, but the idea that they have the orb and you're just going to blow it up. That's pretty crazy. And that shows it's because Silver Miss Sean Carey, he hates Steel. He hates John. 
And I think that this is like, you know, I'll go down as long as I can take this guy okay, down. I with didn't me know that background. I, I, I was surprised, you know, when he throws it, when he launches it, it's like, oh my God, he's going to blow them all up. Yeah, what is he yeah, doing? I did not. In my mind, if this was the real thing, I don't know zero point energy, but it seems like if this was this thing would have blown up the entire building. Well, even and, the city. You know, yeah, yeah, God knows. Yeah. Yeah. So he does this. He says catch and throws and it does blow up. But that's when you see that Sean gets hit. Silver Mist gets hit by by steel. I like the idea that steel punch. What does he? Why does he even hold that hammer? But he ends up where he punches him, knocks the mask off and recognizes him and yeah. then lets him go. He actually lets them go, and you're like, I didn't realize why. I was asking you before we recorded, like, you know, because he, he's like, Sean? I didn't realize who he was, you know, the the, um, the connection they've got. So, And it's weird because it makes you think, oh, he let him go because he knows him. He, mm. he might know the situation, but it's more of a trap. Steel even says to Lana, because Lana's like, you, you let him go. I guess you're going to make another of these orbs. And he goes, no, no, I don't have to. And he goes in. <laughs> They just have, he has filing cabinets in this room, and the one just says family photo. It's so weird. It doesn't even say photos. It just says family <laughs> photo. He goes in, and there's an orb in there. Now, again, I, it's weird because I think that with that Charles Walker, maybe because it wasn't exactly, you know, exact science of him trying, oh, because he's trying to guide. Silver mist into the deal, and I think that there'd be an energy signature, or whatever. Oh, right. But it was in that room, right? I got, got you. Still, I got yeah, you. yeah. But it was yeah. still in the room. But it was under family photo. I, I just, it, it I didn't get that, that why he was saying, hide, you know, hiding it in plain sight. I was like, well, wait a minute, it wasn't in plain sight. It was in a filing cabinet in a drawer under family photo. But now I get what you mean, now, Jim. Yeah, it was showing up on the scanner. I love the idea too, because when all you see in his family photo, it looks like it's a picture of him. With the it's like a cool. selfie of Polaroid. <laughs> like, what are you doing? But it's it's there. He's like, I hit it in plain sight. Like, oh man, you are so smart. And then they're like, okay, let's figure out because he also put a tracker type deal, and now he can follow Silver Mist back right. to their headquarters. So all this goes on. Now the weird play here is like immediately as and I don't know if I'm steel. Yeah, that's fine. He's walking around with the zero point energy orb. He's just walking around the hall and just holding it in his hand, yeah, for all to see. Hazmat guys come by, and they are quick. This is like two seconds later. So again, Charles Walker III, is, he, is it one of those where we could say he's thinking ahead because he knew this would happen because these could are his be. guys. Yeah. And he already had them in Hazmat deal. Think, if that is really thinking ahead. Like, okay, I think that what's going to happen, or that was the plan all along, because of the idea of, you know, having this stuff go on and having the deal go. But the weird play is, is these guys are going to go in and it does seem like they get the orb. But the, but but Steel has it in his hand. But then we have a weird play where I think that Michael Dorn, Worf, he, he runs into a little brick wall. This is what makes me laugh. They're walking away with the orb. The hazmat guys go in. They are Charles Walker, the third guys. You don't see exactly what they end up doing. But by no. the end, this guy stacks, this bald guy who you said you thought, what, what the hell's Kingpin doing here? Yeah, we- <laughs> right. <laughs> he ends up coming back with the orb. But in the meantime, you have, now we have, this is the thing. Steel is on the rooftop. They're sitting there with Lana. And then Superman comes in. And the whole play of this is they figure out, and, and John has figured out the orb is what's causing the overpowering. I thought that it was more of the silver mist 
something to do with Charles Walker III, but really this this whole deal is Genesis Energy from War World. We know that that ended up Superman came back from yeah. War World and said, "I have more powers now." Really didn't see much of it, but it's the orb. So what what gives? Because while you're reading this, you're like, "Well, you're holding the orb right next to him. Why isn't Lana changing?" This is what makes me laugh about this issue. This is another dupe orb. How many things? How I know, many this does is he have? I got so confused with this, Jim, because like you say, the first one, the first orb, we thought that Silver Mist had destroyed it by throwing it, like blowing it up. Then like um, Steel say, no, no, don't worry, I've got the real one in the family photo drawer. But at the same time, you've got Stax, the Lex Luthor bald guy, he's just walking out with one. So how many orbs are there? Which one's the real orb? And that's the funny play in this where John's talking. So they have a fake orb yeah. on a pedestal. He that's says right. to Lana, ha, they, that was a fake. That was. I don't know why you make a fake that can still blow up and possibly kill people because that right? thing blew up yeah. and it, it, it threw people back. But he says that was the fake. We have. I have the real one in the drawer. Look at this, Lana. Ha ha. We got him. That that was a fake. What, why are you going into another drawer and saying here you go and pretty much lying? This is a fake because when he takes that one to the roof, he's talking to Superman. Oh man, I think it's this. Zero point energy, Genesis energy, it overpowered him. We're going to have to do this. Oh, by the way, this isn't the real orb either, and throws it to Lana. And then she's like, oh my God. And he says, if it was the real one, you guys would have just flared up. And we yeah, didn't want yeah, that. So, that's right. So, like, it's the weird play of thinking ahead. Like, they're thinking steps ahead, but these steps make no damn sense. The idea that he actually was in that room with Lana and said, that was a phony. We have the real one here, but actually grabbed another phony. And then if you thought, well, he thinks maybe people will go in the room because Stax passes him, yeah. but Stax doesn't bat an eye. Stax doesn't say, oh, crap, oh, he's that's got what it. we wanted. Oh, yeah, yeah. He just goes in and then where – is there another drawer that's like, you know, the, the <laughs> vacation photos or you know, something like what that do you that think? the real one was do in? Do you think, um, like, uh, did Michael Dawn, he kind of write himself into a corner, do you think? That's what I think happened. When you, when you ended up, I think that the problem is – and I don't know – it's easy to change. All you have to do is have Steel leave that room without the orb. Yeah, have that's it, it in that, and like I'm going to keep this in the photo album, deal, the, the family photo, and put it in there and go. But it's in his hand, so that's the weird play. And so he's talking about it. I think that maybe they wanted the visual, but that wasn't the real one. And by the end, I can only think that okay, is that the real one that even Charles... How many of these dupes do you have? I know. I mean, he may have 7 million, but he's there with and he's like, oh, right, because that's the other play that I really thought when they came back. This is kind of a wink-wink that I give, you know, Michael Dorn some credit. I thought that the Silver Miss Sean Carey was going to be in big trouble. I thought that when he went back to Charles Walker III, that Charles Walker, why did you blow it up? Oh, my God, but it's obvious he knew it wasn't the real one. And he's not mad. It looks like that was the plan because the Silver Mist, I like that he's down on like one knee, taking a knee there next to him. But he's smiling. Everybody seems to think the plan's going right. And this must be the real one, maybe. And then you end up where he's like, oh, my God. And and goes with the idea that they got some names from the custodians, even though when they did that, the, the security guard didn't seem to be doing his job anyway. Nobody checked anything. And then with the help of a distraction, that is the distraction was blowing up that fake one yeah it's weird i mean i i get the idea i guess the plan is and again it's kind of a smart deal they knew that sean wouldn't be able to phase out with silver mist could get it but he wouldn't get out 
So that was the distraction to kind of make them think where you thought Steel thought that he was setting the trap, but they were actually setting up. So by the end, actually, it it, it works out like, oh, my God, that's kind of a clever plan. But I don't know what's going on with these dupes and why John, no. John Henry Irons is going around like, oh, man, I got a million of these. It's like he's just you making know, these for Jim, no you reason. Know the thing, the thing like um, the, the plot line where it's saying, okay, it's warping the molecular structure of the superheroes. So that does that only affect the, the superheroes, like the Kryptonian? Is it the Kryptonian thing that's having that effect? Because when, you know, when the guy takes it to, what, what's he called, to the toy, <laughs> the toy master, yeah, the toy maker, yeah, to are, are Walker, they okay? Yeah. Is, is it going to affect them as well? It doesn't seem, and, and even if it does, I guess they're saying that when it warps it, it just overpowers the, you know, the whole meta. It, it's a weird play, mm, but it's okay. not affecting. It's not affecting John either. So no. that's where I thought, you know, John's more tech. He doesn't have that deal, so he's not being affected. I would right, think that gotcha. in my mind, something like this, this is like the difference of. You know, the Joker falling into a vat of chemicals and becoming the Joker and me falling in and either disintegrating or getting aw- awful cancer. Or turning into the baby, you know what baby I mean? Jim. Like, yeah. Or baby Jim. That'd be fine. <laughs> goo goo gaga. Yeah, end up where it, it's a weird play. If I'm if I'm John, I'm thinking that while the superheroes flare up, this might be causing problems in like normal people. And, oh, and yeah, again, yeah. that might be a thing playing. And I do think that by the end of this, the idea of having a zero point energy, which, you know, then that's fine enough. You can get Greta would love that. She would be all into it. Oh. But with that, <laughs> I think would. it's going to be like, we can't do it because of this. The idea that the superheroes, they'll end up playing. It, it's a weird play. Also, like mm. you said, you have Lana, who's not Kryptonian, but you end up having, you know, the others being that would this affect, say, Flash? Oh, right. Would yeah, this of affect, you yeah. know, some other deal like that? I don't know. So, you know, maybe we'll find it, maybe we won't. But again, I'll give Michael Dorn credit, the idea that he, when you're reading this, you don't ever say, well, you know, it is Michael Dorn. He's not a comic writer. It actually is pretty well done to the point, but there is some confusing things. I think that a couple of things need to be tightened up a bit and maybe get a better overall story that like, oh, my God, this is kind of grabbing that Genesis energy that maybe not a lot. Everybody's not going to know that. You kind of tie it in and get a little confusing with it. But you do have Superman show up. Cool. You have Lana as Superwoman. You mentioned Connor. You have all that, which I, I think is really cool with that. But what would you give it by the end? Well, um, I, you know, despite my criticisms, which might sound a little bit harsh, I actually really enjoyed this, Jim. And, I'm, you know, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Maybe because I've come to this after reading a few, uh, maybe, should we say, inferior comic books. But, yeah, as a score, hmm, it's hard to say. I'm going to give this 7.5 out of 10. I'm 7.5 as well. That oh, is my nice score one. that I have 7.5 because it's good. It's not it bad. It's good. Yeah. I think that at the end of this series, it's going to be one of those. Like, I, I'll talk about Dan Waters' Asriel series. I liked it. I liked when we went through it, kind of fell apart. But, but it's. I need to read that, Jane. That's one I, mean, I definitely good. need to read. It's, but it's one of those where I, I'm afraid this, even though this can tie in really well with all the yeah. super books, action comics, I think it's going to be one of those that it kind of gets lost in the shuffle, like a year from now. Ah, you're not going to sit problem. there and say, like, oh man, I love that. You might bring it up, like, you know what was kind of cool? That's Steelworks. Remember that? And yeah, oh man, I did kind of like that. But I wonder I how it's selling. Like, I wonder how many Steel fans there are, you know, who were supporting it, who were buying I it. I don't know. Eric's mm. one of them. He loves Steel. It's funny with mm. all the different 
super characters and anything that goes like he loves like like Azriel at one point he did think he liked but he didn't like but then in the super part he really took to steel like steel was his oh, guy okay. in the reign of superman so yeah uh, it's kind of fun and and that's cool for people who had that connection and then somebody like me who didn't read that stuff back in the day it no, might give you a little bit of like man i'll go and read that i'll go and check it out but it you know i came in late in the game and still trying to catch up with stuff so but overall i think that it's it's a good enough book i don't know that everybody's gonna love it i don't know that you even have to like read it right away you can wait for the trade you can read it on the app but as as a thing that's on the app and you could read it a month later if you have the ultra even so i think it's a good book that way it's a cool thing to maybe read down the line. Like, yeah, I'll check that out. So I do recommend it, but not like one of those must-read recommendations. But no, it's not a must-buy, is it? But I'm looking forward to the next issue now to see how this mecha madness plays out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I'll tell you, like, the, the big books and things going on in Dawn of DC, I like this a whole lot better than that Cyborg book. That Cyborg book, I oh, think, is a wreck. That was terrible, unfortunately. There's a lot of books that I think this is better. And why I say that, I hope that Michael Dorn is having fun doing this. And I hope that he does something else after this. I hope that they just don't sit there and peg him as like, okay, if we ever have Steel come up, we'll give you a call. I, I'd like to see him do some other characters. The reason why they throw him in, he did the voice of Steel. In right. the cartoon, I see. so that I didn't was know the that. connection. Yeah, that was yeah. the connection, and I I think that he's kind of proven to me that he doesn't need that yeah connection. You, you can have him do whatever, and I'd like to see him do some more. Jim, just let me ask you here at the end: um, How does this compare to the Fire and Ice book that you reviewed? Uh, this is a bit better. Again, okay. though, this is the funny place. The Fire and Ice book has this play of you know, hey, if you like this sort of thing, you can like it. It's kind of goofy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think this is better written. I think that this is better set up. I think the characterizations are a lot better. But we're talking about a one issue. By sure. That Fire and yeah. Ice book is wacky. And it's crazy. Though I, I enjoyed I, your review, by the way. Yeah, I was surprised by how long you guys went on. I was like, wow, you know, this is interesting, this. That was on the uh, the Patreon spotlight this week. Me and Simon almost went an hour talking about yeah. that, laughing at stuff. And we, I really like uh, the robot character Elrond. I think he's the breakout character. He, he cracked me up. But I actually okay. <laughs> expected like something like that, even like this. I When I heard, okay, Worf, and I made the joke. Every time we talked about it, I'd say to Eric, I wouldn't say Michael Dorn. I'd say Worf because it would drive him nuts. And then I would make up like, I, you know, I know who Worf is. He was in that Stargate show. But I did go into it thinking, okay, it's it's Michael Dorn. I get it. Well, you say, I, yeah. I, but I'm impressed by it. I, actually, I didn't expect by this much, point, much like, at all, Jim. This is same a as lot you. better. I will admit, though, some people, you know, like to hate for hate's sake. Going into that Fire and Ice book, I did not expect much. No. And as we talked about it, I started to at least have some fun with it. I don't think it's, again, I don't think it's a necessary must read, but it was kind of funny. Uh like that better than Hawkgirl as well. Hawkgirl yeah, is the one book hear. that I hope that ends up getting better. At least I like it, but I don't see that happening. But we're going to end the show, and I ask you to stick around for the end. Just quick, with my book of the week, a, a shocker out of nowhere, a book that we've never talked about until this week on the podcast, Peacemaker Tries Hard Number 5, is my book of the week. And I've even tried to push you to – I keep telling everybody to read it. It is a fun book. It's a funny book. And a lot of times I don't find a lot of comic book humor funny. Uh, but sometimes you get into a thing that you're like, okay, it's it's the Peacemaker show as a comic. It you is. didn't like the Peacemaker show. 
you're not going to like it. But if you did like it or don't mind that, it's over the top, really raunchy humor a lot. You don't see that a lot. Even people who do usual black label stuff, they end up using wingdings and stuff like that. And you know, they don't do that in this. And I think it's I think it's hilarious by Kyle Stark. Sweet. You got me to go back, Jim. I've actually picked up the first um because what we got to issue four, though those five, so yeah, the five, first yeah. four issues. I've read the first three. I'm really enjoying it. I think it's, it's a fun, great fun. Right? It's really funny. You know, and it's, it's not funny. in any continuity except kind no. of the wink wink of the TV show. It's like the TV show, yeah. yeah it's that style, isn't so it? So you could just jump into it without knowing anything, really, and, and read it. You don't have to watch the TV show to actually read it. But if you did watch the TV show, you'll get – and I mean, it's it's John Cena. They don't even make any sort of you know bones about it. It's John Cena, Peacemaker, and it's fun. It's rude. It's a bit risque. You know, it's daft, but it's also this. Is what surprised me with this, Jim? It's um, it's become quite emotional as it's gone on. Yeah, yeah I've got, I've got into dealing, it now. right? Yeah. I'm telling you, it's good. It, it. I think it right now. It, it's the hidden gem of a lot of the books going on. You hear a lot of talk about all these books, and I, I didn't hear anybody talking about it. And so I, I was haven't. Like, Man, no. I'll, I'll check it out. And I just on a whim on the app, I decided, all right, I'll check it out. I'll see what's going on. And I read the first issue. I'm like. Why? Why isn't anybody talking about this? This right? is so funny. And then I yeah. even I actually at that point because it was you know a month or so, two months ago when I first read the first chapter, so our first issue. I was late, you know, doing it, and yeah. I, I ended up reading all the ones that were available. But I asked Eric. We, I said we should talk about it on the on the podcast, and he's it's not continuity. We're not doing it. So I'm like, all right, it's a okay, shame because really. it's really fun. And then even then, like I never even noticed the reviews or anything. I went back and I'm looking at them now, like the reviews are through the roof. Now it's down to only three people reviewing it, but the aggregate score for five issues is still a nine. And I'm telling you a lot of times with these sus reviewers, I think, oh my God, this is a book that I thought they were going to review bad because of how raunchy it was and how over the top. And I I mean, this is the thing, this is like a book where, and, and you know, me and you talk about reviews and comic book roundup a lot. The idea where you rarely will get a book that's rated high critically and also rated high in the user reviews. It's usually like one's high and the other one's real that's low. Right. That's right. That's how, it goes. You know, how yeah. it goes. This is a nine critic, 8.7 user reviews. I really think that everybody should at least give that first issue a try. And I think that you might find out, oh, my God, this is really funny. Because, again, I said a lot of humor doesn't really go well and con you don't really have it there people try hard to do it and it doesn't work this actually works like the whole time and it's just for fun this has some proper laugh out loud moments jim actually does you know saying you the funny we were talking about it before not this we were just talking we were actually talking about laughing before we started we were yeah and i said that and and it's one of those things where you said that once you start recording things and you start listening back you, you notice weird things that you didn't think you did like you said, a lot of times you'll inhale before you laugh. Got a bad, yeah, bad and laugh, you didn't yeah. realize that. And I don't think anybody actually realizes that when listening. It's one of those things like you think that it's so pronounced because you're kind of embarrassed about it, but it's nothing anybody notices. And I said to you, I, my problem is repeating lines, it's saying like t- there's little trope words that I say to, to go into a section or to do things that I always do that bother me. But I don't really laugh that much. And I said, I don't laugh out loud. I'm not like I, I would be the worst guy to do the reaction videos because I don't really react. And and it drives my wife nuts. She goes to show me something. She thinks I'm going <laughs> to, I don't know. She thinks I'm going to jump and click my heels and, and jump. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. 
And she thinks that I hate it. And I'm like, no, I just, I, I thought that was funny. Why is your but, reaction, Jim? Yeah, you don't so there's no reaction, right? So, and, and, and that's <laughs> just because, again, I don't have, don't show or have much emotions. That is something that's been diagnosed and is kind of scary. But the idea, when I read, I read that Peacemaker first, I laughed out loud. I actually laughed twice to the point where that is like, oh my God, what is wrong with him? Tanya said to me, what's going on like what do you and i'm like oh look at this and just to point out the kind it was a necrophilia joke <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> and I'm like, i thought that was and she's like that's what you laugh at and then just went went back to bed i'm like yep yep i'm I'm crazy but it, it is good is this limited jim is it only is it a six yeah. issue series yep, one more yeah. issue oh, okay. one more issue gotcha. so if people wanted to wait and get the trade again yeah it's not going to affect anything with dcu it's a uh black label non-continuity deal but boy it's that's fine. right and i i do want to go back to the steelworks one quick bit we didn't really mention much about the art the art's really good and that i do like it the is art good the i do like the art yeah in the piece peacemaker art's great I, I really like the art as well i'm telling you it's my little book the little book that could it's steve Pugh. i remember him from years ago doing um Hell- hellblazer back in the day i mean talking years ago so good to see yeah, him still working and that's a big deal for like a black label peacemaker book but yeah, yeah more people should check it out at least on the average rate or whatnot but in all of that we're here to tell you now what we're going to talk about next week there's not as many books next week but there's some pretty good ones coming out i'm going to actually use this as a little bit of a litmus test to see what you might be excited to talk about next week as cool. I get my schedule together and get some people to talk with. So next week, two of these issues obviously will be on the Patreon spotlight picked by the badasses of the Get Fresh Crew. Uh-uh. Oh, I kind of oh. know what they'll pick, but I'm always wrong. But here we go. We have Batman Incorporated number 12 finale. It's a shame. I, I've liked that book. Uh, it, I thought it got better. But then it's kind of got caught in that Joker ink stuff. And then I think that's when you had the, hey, we're going to end this. And Ed Brisson couldn't really do much more than that. You're not going to start a new arc with two issues left. I you think actually got me into this, much. Jim. I, I picked good. it up because of you. I think it's really good. And Ed Brisson, like, I've, I've started looking out for his work now. Seriously. I think he's doing it. A lot of people even get fresh crew people. They end up liking the uh, Stormwatch story of Ed Brisson yeah. in the deal. And. At the moment, he's doing the uh, Alpha Flight as well over at Marvel. So it's weird. All those te- like he's doing team books, and some of them start to feel alike. Like Stormwatch to me can kind right. of easily cross to Alpha Flight. Maybe not Batman Incorporated, but still has that feel. And I hope that he's. It's a weird little like thing to get typecast as. You're the guy who does wacky team books. And, mm. uh, all right, but he's doing that. And, and like I said, Eric. And Zach Walker really were enjoying that Stormwatch deal. You also have a new number one that I think is going to be the, obviously the big book of the week, Batman and Robin number one. Joshua yes. Williamson, uh, uh, Simone DeMaio in the art, I believe, throughout. And it it's going to be pretty big. I like what Joshua Williamson did with Robin, with uh, Damian Wayne in the Robin series. Though I don't really love his storytelling much anymore. And even in that, even if you love that Robin series, that Lazarus fight, I think we might even mention it earlier in this podcast, but that Lazarus plant, it didn't really go anywhere. And no. it was more about the character work. So I want to see how that is. And I think that that will, 
definitely be on the Patreon spotlight. There's no way that they're not picking that one. Right? I'm looking it, forward to that one, deal. Jim. It reminds me of the good old days of Grant Morrison. Do you remember that one, the Batman and Robbie, when it was, uh, yeah. I love that. was that. Dick Grayson as well as Batman, yeah, Dick wasn't Grayson it? Dick Grayson as Batman, yep. And so I cool. love Damien. A lot of people hate him, but it I does. do. I've always liked him. Yeah, I love him. It's it, You can't have the same character over and over like, no. oh, man, here's another Robin. Oh, golly gee, Batman. They can't all be it nice really guys, can cool. they? Yeah, I like it. I like those guys, though. I like Guy Gardner as well because of that. It, it's the thing when guys are like that and you have a Damien who's like really just a brat and a he real is, pain in totally. the ass. When you finally see that he really does love people and he loves Dick Grayson or he let, it's, I'm telling you, when he ended up dying in the New 52, spoiler alert, when he ends up going, the la- one of the last things, because he's there with Dick Grayson, and he's like, hey, we were the best. We were the best Batman and Robin, and then went to die. I cried. I cried so I – cried. I, I'm almost getting choked up now thinking of that it, scene, yeah. and I don't have many emotions because it was so good when you end up seeing that a lot of the – a lot of that bravado is just there to because he's a he's a little guy. He's, he kind of probably is upset about his. That's what makes it mean yeah. more. What makes it land more, doesn't it? When you actually see, he does care because he's, yeah. he's been like a bit of a scumbag the whole time. It's like no, you know, he actually cares about these people. It just doesn't I show want, it. Yeah, it's what I want to see more of from Jason Todd. We we keep kind of going back to the well. He's running around with a crowbar. He's pissed off. I I want to see more of that. But yeah, we need more development with Jason. Definitely. Yeah. Next one is something that is funny because if. Eric was on the podcast he wouldn't Want to talk about it but I think it's a book that A lot of people are excited about And it's Batman Gargoyle of Gotham number one it's Raphael Grandpa and it, it's I've read it I actually got a Advanced copy not from DC Wink wink oh, I ended up getting it From somebody else and I I'm read so it jealous, Jim, I'm it, jealous. It's good well uh, I'll let You see it as well it's really I'm looking good. forward to it's it really, really good so I, I suggest Everybody check that out and again It's a black label book but it's really cool. I wish that you'd have more black label stuff that might not be Batman, but mm. it, it's what it is. Uh, but it's really good. So I suggest everybody check that out. Then we have Green Lantern number three. Green Lantern returning after the two month hiatus. Finally. Yeah, I know. Some of these books, and I, I get, I, I trust Jeremy Adams. I, I think he's really good. I yeah. think that he'll be the one who will at least reference at least a word bubble about Night Terrors. Like, man, it's good that shit's <laughs> over. Because no, really? no other book, they just kind of go and go with it. Like, yeah. nobody has. That's what we ended up talking about, the finale of it. That was my problem, yeah. though, about it is that it feels like nobody, it didn't bother anybody at all. But yet it's supposed to be this huge thing. Like, you don't have anything about it. Oh, it's nonsense. I think but, it, it drove Eric away, didn't it? It, it just killed Eric. Yeah, he's gone. Was, oh, he bailed. Oh, goodness. Come back, Eric. We miss you. Come on. Yeah, Green Lantern 3. I'm looking forward. Now, with that, I do want to, and I've mentioned this before, but the idea when Eric does return, something like a Batman Gargoyle of Gotham, I want to keep that going. So we'll still have other people on the podcast from now on. I think that now that Eric's gone and I've kind of mixed in some people, I like doing that. So it's going to keep going. So it'll just expand the podcast even when he comes back. But Green cool. Lantern number three, I'm looking forward to that. I, I'm not looking forward to that. That whole Sinestro storyline in that, I hope that that tightens up a bit and we get some some cool stuff. But we'll see. And the big play of that book, if you remember, because it's been two months, it even hinted at the uh, Night Terrors is what happened to Kilowog. What is what is going on with Kilowog ah, and right. how is yeah. hell involved? It seems like it's setting up something that might be a little sad. But you also have Spirit World number five. Let's see. That book had 
a, a good start, I guess, the first mm. issue, but since then it's really kind of fallen off. It it was the one that I was looking forward to. I actually all these We Are Legends, City Boy Vigil, and Spirit World. I was looking forward to all three. Me too. But when because of Cassandra and Constantine, I thought, man, the Spirit World, but it, it's a it's a bit of a mess. So we'll see if if it became too too Elisa Wong, unfortunately. Yeah, she started off really well, didn't she? She started well. She needs somebody to tighten things up, but I we think also so. have World's Finest Teen Titans number three, and that's pretty cool. That's a weird book too, and I know Eric with this continuity nonsense, it, it, it's driving him nuts. That and the World's Finest being slightly out of continuity, but not fully mm. because of tight and. A lot of people, even this Teen Titans, uh, World's Finest Teen Titans, are wondering, like, okay, what's this book about? Because it really feels like it's just a goofy type. Yeah, I'm not quite sure about it yet, dude. I'm not sold on it yet. I I think it's fun, and that's kind of what, you know, Mark Wade's deal is. But Mm. in this one, they're going to Teen Titans Con. Do you remember? They're like, oh, man, there's a a convention, so they're going. That might be (sighs) funny. It might be really just goofy. It could be good. Yeah, it could be funny. I hope it is. It's a a miniseries, and we're not really doing too much, but it's just for fun, I guess. But those are the the books. There's not many. Two of those will be on the Patreon spotlight. If you want to listen to that, go to patreon.com slash weird science and listen to that and a ton of other shows, some which even include Grey. Most of the people that end up showing up here are people that I've I do podcasts with on the Patreon. So if you enjoy what you hear and this kind of deal that we're doing with co-hosts, I think that you'd enjoy some things over at the Patreon as well. But that is that. Thanks for joining me, Gray. And I want to push the idea. Also, I didn't say it before, but I'll say it now. Go and check out Gray's YouTube channel, Wakasashi's Tea House. It'll be in the show notes with a clickable link to go there. Like I said, me and Gray, each week we talk about a Morrison, Grant Morrison book on his YouTube channel. So that's something to go check out as well as all his reviews. And he's not lazy like me. I'll, I keep saying that. I still haven't done a video in, <laughs> Come in a on, while. Come on, Jimmy. The hardest working podcast around there. I haven't done a video in a while. Once Eric uh, ended up saying that I, it's really consumed most of the time recording with a bunch of people. So I haven't had a chance. But I'll get back to that. Again, and also, I have something that's a really crazy show that i'm going to be doing uh coming up but i don't know that i'm allowed to announce it yet so i won't announce Ooh, it but i'll tell you teaser. i'll nice. tell you when we're done because in my you know realm you never can do enough podcasts it's it's another pot and this might be something that'd be like a hour two hour long <laughs> this man is a machine it's actually, I'll tell you, it's actually two podcasts because it's one for i'll, I'll tell oh you when we, when we get done what are you doing, Jim? What are you doing? No, I, again, I want to do these videos and I can't even get done the normal stuff. But with all that, again, thanks, Greg. Check out everybody's links in the show notes. Please, everybody who stepped up and continue to help out, I really do appreciate it. And I think that's a fresh crew. You got to check them out and give them some love. So that's it. Thanks, everybody. And we'll all talk to you next week. You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution.